Hello and welcome to the Weekly Stuff Podcast with Jonathan Lack and Sean Chapman. We are here to talk about stuff this week on the show. We are diving deep with the saddest game of the year. Uh (laughs) Um, We'll talk about the quality of it later, but that is inarguable. Uh, The Last of Us Part 2 by Naughty Dog, the big game of the month. Um, One of the first big new games we've had in a while because of COVID stuff. Yeah. And one of the last PS4 games we're going to get to talk about. Yes, it'll be this, and then goes to Tsushima next month, and then that's that's pretty much it. it. Yeah, yeah, for at least for the big exclusives, Mm -hmm. obviously. Um, So yeah, so we will talk about all that later. We did a little bit of spoiler-free chat on it last week, but this is going to be the spoiler-heavy episode. We'll let you know before that starts. Um, Little bit of housekeeping first. I wanted to let everyone uh, remind everyone that last week we had two podcasts. We had mm-hmm. our normal stuff where we we did um, a little bit of Last of Us talk. We did some other stuff, and we got Sean's breakdown of EA Play 2020. Yes, which I've heard uh, my brother listened to that and said it was it made him laugh very hard because it sounded like such an awful show, and he hadn't even heard about it. Yeah, it was it was truly pointless. Yes. EA shouldn't have done it. They should have just released that trailer for Star Wars Squadrons and then called it a day. Basically, yes. basically done like what Nintendo's been doing. Lately. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. like, yeah, we made, we're making a Star Wars thing. Here's a trailer. Anyways, we'll talk to you in like two months when we have another game to show. Yeah. Um, but we also had our one-year anniversary celebration episode of Weekly Suit Gundam, where we ranked the best characters and songs and musical soundtracks and mobile suits and the shows themselves from the first 11 Gundam series we've talked about in the first year of that show. That one was a blast to record. Yeah, I loved it. And tomorrow, June 30th, we will have another Weekly Suit Gundam. This is very much a surprise bonus. There's a bonus episode to close out the one-year anniversary month spectacular of June. Yes, which we where we did. We will have wound up doing four Weekly Suit Gundams in one month, which is the most we've ever done in a concentrated period of time. It's the closest it's been to weekly. Yes, it's it's we decided, hey, we have called this Weekly Suit Gundam entirely just because we have the Weekly Stuff podcast, which is a weekly show. Weekly Suit Gundam... <laughs> Has never been, is not designed to be a weekly show, but we might as well at least do one month where it's yeah. sort of weekly. Yeah, it's, I mean, we took two weeks off in the middle, but it averages out. Yes. Yeah. So anyway, that'll be a fun bonus, and I'm not going to tell you what it's about yet, but you'll find out. It's going to be a, a blast. And maybe even if you're not a Gundam fan, you might want to listen into yeah. it, because it's going to be, it's an experiment. That's uh-huh. all I'll say. Uh, but yeah, Sean, you got any stuff going on? Um, I mean, it's a lot of... Playing Last of Us, um, I've been watching. I've been basically playing Last of Us, watching Samurai Jack, and watching Columbo has been the past week. Um, that sounds and, like a good week. Yeah, all three of those things are very good. All three of those things are also extremely different. So it's, yes. yeah, it's like watching seventy minutes of Peter Falk, like you know, going through a bunch of mannerisms and figuring out how to solve different crimes in Columbo, which is we've just finished the first season. I'm watching them with my mom and my dad, and it is 
Columbo is just like unimpeachably good. It is so phenomenally good. Probably good family entertainment too. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Everyone um, would enjoy it. Yeah, and it's funny because after the end of each episode, my dad will basically just talk for like 15 minutes about every single actor that appeared in the episode. Because Columbo, they're all, you know, it was basically one episode a month. Um, and it would switch off with different other shows that were doing the same thing. And they're like 70 minute long episodes. So they have a lot of production value and they would always get really big actors to be in them. So, you know, you have like Leonard Nimoy is in one of them. Eventually William Shatner's in one, which I don't think I've ever seen that one. Like Vincent Price is in like a lot of actors that you've known that, you yeah. know, from the day, like Janet Lee is the killer in one of them. Um, so it's a lot of that period from the fifties to seventies, a lot of huge actors from that era in Hollywood show up in Columbo. And so my parents have seen them in a bunch of old TV shows and stuff like that. Do your parents do the thing where it's like, oh, that, that person from The Thing. And yes. Then and then you look yeah, it up. Yeah. And then just like trying to figure it out for like 10 minutes while I'm just like, I'm just going to look this up because I can just Google this. Yeah. While they're trying to remember it. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. It. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. All right. Well, good to, good to know that's a universal thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it, we will be like that in 30 years. Oh, I know. Talking about some bullshit. Yeah. It'll be like anime voice actors for us. Yes. But, yeah. It'll... <laughs> Wasn't he in that, what's that, that show, Gin something? I'll remember. <laughs> It'd be harder with anime because of yeah. the length of shows. Uh-huh. <laughs> like Gintam. That'd be, God, I'm sad at the idea of, like, watching a show as long as Gintama and then in 30 years not remembering the name. Yeah. But, Ginta, Gintoto, I, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I've been reading a shit ton of One Piece. Um, mm-hmm. I got through the Dressrosa arc, which is the longest arc in One Piece. It's 102 chapters. It's fucking phenomenal. I did a little Twitter thread because one of my favorite things about reading manga on my iPad is I can just screenshot things I love and save them. Mm-hmm. And then I can do these fun Twitter threads when I'm done with a One Piece arc and put up some of my favorite images. But it's uh, it's definitely my camera roll is just polluted with One Piece screenshots. Uh-huh. But it is the fun thing about, about reading manga that way. And um, But I'm close to catching up. My goal all along since I started my like, reread slash get to where I had left off of One Piece um, by basically in December when I was in Japan is I wanted to catch up with One Piece before chapter 1000 so I can start reading live like before we hit that big milestone. Uh-huh. And I will definitely do that because if Oda publishes one every single week, which he won't, he takes like a break a month, especially during COVID and stuff, um, it'll be in October. So I am less than 200 chapters behind now. Oh, yeah, I, that's easy. Yeah. 200 chapters of manga. That's that's like two days. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's fun. I You know, the Shonen Jump app, which is really awesome. It's only $2 a month. And you get just the entire Viz Shonen Jump translated library. Like, that's that's the best deal of anything I pay for. Mm-hmm. If they charge me 10 bucks a month for it, like Marvel Unlimited or something, I would 100% pay it. Yeah. It's super worth it. All this one piece I'm reading, it's like $10 per volume. Yeah. And I go through one of those a day. Um, but anyway, it's really great. But they have, one of their limits is that you can only read 100 chapters a day. For whatever reason. And I don't I don't know why that is. I don't know what... The, 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 but I've never hit that. I've never yeah. hit done... But I do... I kind of want to at some point just like take a day off and like sit myself down on the couch with my iPad and just like see if I can hit it. Yeah. And f- see the error message, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. And, and that I, would be like 2,000 pages or something, right? Yeah. 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 Like, yeah, 20 pages times 100. <laughs> it would be a lot. Um, but I have, I have a long arc coming up. I have Whole Cake Island is next. So there you go. There you go. I'm on Zoe now, which is the island on the back of an elephant, which is fucking coolest thing. Yeah, I think you are now like officially in the part of One Piece that is new enough that I don't know anything about it. Yeah. Because it's like the only stuff I know about One Piece is just 
seeing references to it in other stuff or hearing people talk about it or seeing people talk about it online. And if it's new enough, it's like, I don't know. Yeah. I've never heard about no elephant back island bullshit. But it's so good. I've been watching a lot of the movies and, and TV specials and stuff too just to get some of that anime hit. Mm-hmm. You know, I just got to the part of the manga in Dressrosa where you meet Sabo, uh, Luffy's other brother who's not Ace as an adult. And I watched the episode of Sabo TV special this morning. Sean, Sabo in the, in the anime got the fucking royal treatment. Mm-hmm. He is voiced as a boy, as a little boy by Junko Takeuchi, uh-huh. who is Naruto. Naruto yeah. So, star power there. Yes. And then as an adult, they got Toru Furuya. Fucking yes. awesome. Uh, that yeah. is like Amuro the... slash Yamcha. Yes. Yeah. And it's just the coolest thing to have this character age from Naruto to Amuro slash Yamcha. Really yeah. more Yamcha. He's doing more of his Yamcha mm-hmm. voice there because Sabo's not a 15-year-old kid. Yeah. But like... Man, that's the, there are some moments, in, especially in the One Piece anime, when you look through the cast list where you're just like, oh right, because this character didn't have to be there for like 800 episodes, they're just like, who's the biggest star we can find? And we'll just do that, and it's fun. Yeah, I love whenever we do a Weekly Suit Gundam, because whenever we do Weekly Suit Gundam, I look up all the voice actors and stuff and see what else they've been in. And everybody has been in One Piece. Yes. Every single voice actor has been in Japan has been in at least one episode of One Piece. Yep. Um, whether they're a main character or just like someone who shows up in one episode and is, or like for this one arc and never shows up again. And everyone has also been in an episode of Detective Conan. Yeah. Those two shows, <laughs> every single working voice actor in Japan has been in at least one episode of both of those shows. And it's fun because I have not seen the whole One Piece anime, but I'm close to having read the whole manga. So I do these lookups too and I'm like, oh, they got that person to voice that guy. I uh-huh. can't wait to see that in the anime one day when I... Break down and watch the whole fucking anime somehow. Um, but yes, when we finally start Weekly Suit One Piece. Oh god, no. One episode a week. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, we'll be doing the podcast until we are literally dead. Yes. Um, anyway, so yeah, it's just been a fun anime week for me. One Piece has been a very necessary pick-me-up while playing The Last of Us, I have to say. Because mm-hmm. I would see, you know, the most miserable things on Earth happen in that game. And I would be sad. And then I would go read about, you know, Luffy kicking Doflamingo's ass. And I'd be like, I'm, I'm evened out now. This is good. Yeah. I mean, that's basically what, like, Samurai Jack has been for me. Because I just <laughs> watched an episode of Samurai Jack last night that... It's been fun watching them because I'm pretty sure I've seen all episodes from the first the original tv run which is the first four seasons of samurai jack back when they were airing on tv yeah but i obviously had never seen any of them since then um so every single episode i hit a point a couple of minutes in where i'm like oh it's this one and i like clearly samurai jack had a left a massive impression on me because every single episode i have had a strong memory of and then i see the episode and I'm like yes this is that episode like my memory of it is fairly accurate for something i had not seen for 20 years uh, in case of any of the episodes from season one. Um, but last night I got to the one, it's like halfway through season two, where it, it is just another example of how the fuck did this show get to air on Cartoon Network? Where it's a whole episode that is just Jack um, wanders into this like ancient ruins that basically looks like if you wandered into like Machu Picchu or something, like it's so old. And he realizes slowly that he's wandered into his hometown because, you know, the plot of Jack is he gets sent to the future by Aku the demon and so he is in the future and, and usually it's they don't actually deal with anything from the actual past and, and like the ruins or ancient leftovers from the past that Jack lived in like his life that he lived and so the whole episode is him just walking around these ruins and then seeing flashbacks to his childhood um, I think there's maybe literally less than 10 lines of dialogue in the whole episode because all the flashbacks have no dialogue so it's only a couple times in the present Jack will like say something to himself um, and it, there's no antagonist there's no fighting really it is just 
Jack remembering his his and it's not even you know most of his life back in the past was spent with him traveling around training that's what the first whole first episode of Samurai Jack is is him going around the world and training with different masters from everywhere around the world so he can defeat Aku so it's him remembering really being like an eight-year-old kid and there's a whole sequence uh, that is just straight up a scene from Lone Wolf and Cub that they they just do, uh, which is funny to watch Samurai Jack now having seen all the reference material that they used to inform Samurai Jack. And so when I was a kid, I had no idea what Lone Wolf and Cub is. Now I watch them like, that is just, this is, not only is that just the actor from Lone Wolf and Cub that they have uh, <laughs> done up in Samurai Jack style, it is just a scene of him fighting people on a bridge that is like, they just replicate certain shots from one of those movies, and it is, it is, it is phenomenally good. Samurai Jack has hold, held up in a way that, I, like American cartoons for kids from the early two thousands, typically do not. Um, and it is very good. You're not, you're not saying Ed, Ed, and Eggy and Rugrats are just masterpieces, and no, yeah, I those mean, are two good shows. Too. No, those are two I'm... good shows, but they're not necessarily shows that I feel like if I went back and watched them, I would have this like no really powerful. Like it's the, because those are shows that also are you know it's the, the classic American cartoon. Every character talks a mile a minute. It's gag, yeah. gag, 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 gag. Like that's the kind of pacing it has. And Samurai Jack, like I feel like there was an executive of Cartoon Network that's like you have to have at least one line of dialogue an episode. You can't have episodes that are totally silent uh, for like ten year old kids on uh, American cartoon TV. Uh, because if they could get away with it, I think they would have. Because it's, it is the most minimal amount of dialogue you possibly could have for any individual episode of Samurai Jack. With the exception of the Scotsman episodes. Because the Scotsman character, who is awesome, like his whole thing is that he just like talks incredibly quickly. And you can never understand what he says. Because it's in a thick Scottish brogue. And he's the only character that is allowed to have a lot of dialogue because it's funny. Nice. I think you're forgetting about the Zatoichi homage on what Rugrats. So... Yes, the yeah, the yeah. part where Tommy uh, walks in and he's got something in his eyes and he can't see, and then he kills all the other Rugrats um, yeah. in a rage of fury. And then realizes, he realizes, yeah, well, he realizes what he's done, um, and then he he you know leaves quietly, and the parents don't know where he is. And then it's just a shot of him slowly walking through the reeds with the sunset on the ocean behind him um, as he turns away and kind of listens back towards the town that he just came from and then resigns himself to march forward um and that because he's a man who lives by violence but cannot live in the world um that yeah. he's helped create through the violence he has enacted yes yeah it's yeah. Rugrats is very deep all right you want to talk about the last of us sure yeah you want to you want to make that turn yes <laughs> all right from Rugrats to the last of us part two the last of us part two uh spoilers from here on out yeah, because there's no way to talk about this game without spoiling stuff, and we gave our spoiler-free impressions in last week's show. Yeah, I don't think there's any point to trying to dance around the like anything past the first two hours of the game or whatever it is that you can actually talk about without yeah. uh, talking about the story of the video game. Yes, so go in peace. If you do not want to listen yet, if you haven't finished the game, come back. It'll be waiting for you. All right. Yes. Sean, uh -huh. what did you think of The Last of Us Part 2? I loved it. Okay. I think it's a great game. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I have conflicted feelings, and this is probably going to be the kind of conversation where I'm not going to like be disagreeing with all the things you think are great about the game, mm -hmm. but the overall impact, some of it, 
So, so I, you know, what I said on Twitter was I think it's an extraordinary game that I have conflicted feelings about, and I think that's the best way I can describe it because I do think it's extraordinary. Yeah, like in the truest sense of that word. Oh yeah, it is extraordinary. It is, yeah, definitely doing things that you it's certainly of a game of this fucking massive budget you would never expect to see. No. Yeah. And, and it, you know, it's extraordinary in all the ways Naughty Dog games usually are, which is that it has better character writing than anything else in certainly the Western industry. It has better acting. Yeah. It has better animations. It has, you know, as good or better graphics than anything else you're going to see. It's a technical marvel. The gameplay is tight and polished to hell. You know, all of that stuff that you expect from Naughty Dog, it's there. Um, the quiet moments where you walk around and look at things and talk to, you know, that's all there. Yes. All the, like, Last of Us Left Behind legacy that has been in all their games since then, it's 100% there. Um, for me, I have, I, I think, I have an uncomfortable relationship to this game's relationship with violence. There's a lot of it I don't like. Um, and there's kind of a split where I think the first half of the game with Ellie, so the Ellie play, so I think the, yeah. the opening, like, prologue portion, everything up until... Joel dies. Yes. And the plot of the game starts. Yes. That's all great, and I think it's a really effective introduction. I have some quibbles about the Joel death scene, but we can talk about that later. Then you get to Seattle, and the game is very much two halves. You have the Ellie mm-hmm. half in Seattle, and you have the Abby half in Seattle. The Abby half in Seattle, I think, is as good as anything Naughty Dog's ever done, and I yeah. love it, and I think it's perfect. And not, not perfect, but there's a lot of stuff. I don't... It's the best part of the game. It's the best like, part of the game. It's the best, and, like, prolonged part of the game. Yeah. Yes, and it's got all the best set pieces. It's got, I think, the best combat encounters. It's, yeah. it's just... It's marvelous. Um, and I think it's where the game's heart thematically lies, mm-hmm. is in that section. The Ellie half in Seattle, I think, has great moments... And great sequences, I thought it was, like, way too long. It's, yeah, and, it's bloated, for sure. Yeah, it's yeah. bloated, and I think it's a little meandering in ways that, that with a game that is this inherently slow, and I like the inherent slowness of The Last of Us, but if you are inherently slow gameplay and your plot is a little meandering, it can get a little, like, oh my god. Yeah, there's just, for me, the main criticism I have for the game... Um, and I think this is something that The Last of Us 1 has as well, but it's uh, exacerbated in part 2, mostly because you really spend like 90% of the game in Seattle, yeah. um, and it helps that you get that character switch, um, but it is still, you spend a lot of the game dealing with what is like a very small amount of plot, all things considered, um, what is going on in the Ellie section, and so there's a yeah. lot of... Ellie like stands up on some high point, looks in the distance, points and says, there's the thing we gotta get to... And then you play through like a four-hour gameplay sequence getting to that point, And then some plot thing happens there. And they do that probably like three too many times in the game. They do. And, yeah. and like Last of Us 1 has that a little bit. But the thing with Last of Us 1 is that you're always pretty sure of your destination. Like, mm-hmm. like you, you are getting Ellie somewhere. Eventually, you know, you're getting her to the Fireflies. So like there's a real goal to it always. And you have like more significant paradigm shifts in the plot yes. um particularly once you're out of the detroit section yeah the, where the plot picks up and it's a full like half of the game where it is much faster pacing than last of us one whereas last of us two you don't really get that until really yeah. that like the very end of abby's section in the epilogue it's too long i think to be called an epilogue but the ending of the game sequence yes. where you play as ellie again yeah it's you know, because I think the Abby sequence is very focused yeah. and, and has more of that Last of Us 1 feel of like, sometimes she points in the distance and you spend four hours getting there, but like, you know very clearly why you're going there and what yeah. you're going to find. There's a sense of urgency when like you're going to the hospital to get yes. supplies for Yara, for instance. It, exactly. And, you know, some of that is I can 100% buy that part of the purpose of the Ellie half is the aimlessness. Like, mm-hmm. she is literally aimless. It's just one of those things where I think it could be 
conveyed more effectively. Yeah, it could be trimmed up, I think. Yeah. yeah. And then I think the ending sequence, so, so as I'm saying, Ellie sequence, I'm a little mixed on, not that I think it's bad. And then the Abby sequence, I think it's fantastic. And then the epilogue sequence, I mostly think is fantastic, and there's one choice near the end that soured me so hard on the game, I'm still grappling with it. I, yeah, because I... I really love what they do with the full ending sequence. I love most of it. There's just, there's just one choice that is the thing I like least in any Naughty Dog game hmm. by a mile. And we can talk about that. Okay. But, yeah. Where do you want to start with Last of Us 2? I, I don't know. <laughs> okay. uh, there's I mean, a lot. I guess maybe we should start with Joel's death. Because that is yeah. that is what the game is about. It is Because th- it is the thing... Is talking about this. This is where finally I can just talk about the fucking spoilers that I read like three months ago or however long it's been. There were the leaks, yeah. Yes, because, yeah, so the game got leaked. Uh, I mean, the material of that leak was, as far as I saw, was just a handful of cutscenes that probably was totaled up like 20 something minutes of video of like gameplay and some cutscene stuff from different points in the game. I didn't watch any of the the actual video. I just kind of read a breakdown of it and then read a little bit of like conversation around it because if people remember the general reaction to the leaks were I I thought felt overwhelmingly negative. Um and maybe yeah. it is and it is a thing that has continued with this game of there is like a vocal minority of you know there was like a massive metacritic review bombing like all that kind of shit. The developers, voice actors, everybody involved with the game is getting harassed online for a number of different reasons uh and we can talk about a lot of that stuff as well but uh, the main thing that i saw of why people had a negative reaction was two things one that they killed joel and then two that you spend about half of the game playing as the woman that kills joel Mm -hmm. and most people saw that in uh, i shouldn't say again i shouldn't say most people but there was a loud section of people that saw those and were like fuck this shit and I saw that and I'm like, yes, that is what, that is kind of what I want. Um, I want, I, I think there's nothing else to do with Joel as a character. Um, and so he either has to be mostly absent from the story or dead. Um, and if, and as like kind of happened in the game, if he's dead, he gets to be more present in the story than if he were alive. Um, and then playing as the character that killed the beloved and maybe like, two beloved protagonists in the fan base from the first game like that is a fucking cool decision for a story like that is a thing that i've never like i have seen you know games doing like a bait and switch with protagonists metal gear solid 2 did it halo 2 did it but raiden doesn't brutally murder yes yes but it it, yeah it is exactly a like what yeah what if raiden had killed solid snake in metal gear solid 2 what if the arbiter like the beginning of what if halo 2 was you play through the first two levels of halo 2 and after you blow up the scarab, all of a sudden a fucking energy sword pops out of the Master Chief's <laughs> chest. And it's the Arbiter there. And then it flashes back to the Arbiter becoming the Arbiter. Like, that's, a, broadly speaking, the kind of choice they made in Last of Us Part Two, And it is, like, I felt reading the, le- reading the leaks that's like, this is what the pitch of the game's story is, right? Yes. That is the premise, is Joel is killed, Ellie goes on a quest of revenge, and you follow Ellie on that quest of revenge, and then you also follow... Abby, the woman who killed Joel, in the aftermath of her killing Joel and what her she is like and what her life is like. And that, to me, is a really good pitch, and I feel like they made good on it to me. I mostly feel the same way, and we can get into that. Here's not just, like, yeah. as a meta thing, though, do you think, because I totally think this, that they should have just fucking said that in the marketing? That yeah, they, yeah, I mean, just, yeah. It's the premise of the game. Like, I feel like they could have, I'm not... 
this is this is not me blaming Naughty Dog for the hate they're getting because it's unwarranted. Yeah. But like they they I feel like they could have kind of buttressed against that if just like fucking two years ago at E three that just like that this is the premise of the game this is how it starts this is what happens this is what the game's going to be about. Because I don't think it even plays as a shock when you play it. Like, the way the oh, yeah. game opens with, like, these two very heavy sequences on Joel and Ellie and the sadness. It's like, I'm like, oh, Joel's going to die. Yeah. And this it's mysterious like, group of characters that are there, yeah, that... Looking for yeah. him. Yes. Like, yeah, like, oh, okay, Joel's, Joel's going to die. Like, I just, the whole plot, once I know that the game is about Ellie seeking revenge and I don't know against who, and you start the way you start, I'm like, okay, Joel's going to die. So I feel like... There's this, and then all the fucking marketing that just lies to you that they did, where like they yeah. put Joel in scenes he's not in. Like, I really don't like that. Yeah, and but I, what I think is funny is I feel like we there's because there's two major pieces of marketing. There's the first like teaser trailer, the very first one, like 2016 or some shit, which is the scene where it's not in the game, but it's like Ellie is like sitting in a room and there's a bunch of dead people there and Joel like is like walking through the room and he says like what have you done or something like that and she's playing the guitar yeah she's playing the guitar and I feel like the reaction that everybody had watching that teaser trailer was is Joel dead yep. because the whole tone of it feels like he's a weird ghost that is like not like he's a hallucination yeah. or something that Ellie is having and he's not actually there present in the scene it's like one of the first things you talked about with this game is it seemed like because it would make sense for Joel to be dead Again, there's nothing more to do with him as a character. As like a living, active, growing character in the story. There's just not room for him. Um, and the way that that was framed felt like Joel de- is dead and Ellie killed all these people to get revenge. Because they set up the idea that it is a revenge story. But what would Ellie have to get revenge on if not the death of Joel? You'd have to introduce a new character and then kill that who, character off. Who she surely would not have as deep a relationship exactly. with. Exactly. And, and the player wouldn't, and it would be hard to communicate and, that And so they, they had these other trailers where they kind of coyly indicated it was going to be Dina who dies. And like, yeah. and I, I and then they had the trailer where like, there's the scene in the game where Jesse comes in in Seattle, but they replaced him with Joel in the trailer. Which I also remember us talking about, that seems weird. Yeah. Like there's something about the way that it's framed again that's just like, that doesn't like jive with the rest of what we're seeing it doesn't make sense. It wouldn't make sense that Joel would be present through the whole game, but you'd only get like two shots of him in any of the marketing material, right? Yeah. So it, like it was that kind of thing where, and it's maybe just because we've been around with this stuff enough that the me thing I thought of was shit like Metal Gear Solid Two, where Kojima Productions did make fake trailers and demos of that game where you played sequences in the Big Shell um, facility, which is the raiding section of the game, yeah. but it was Solid Snake in the marketing. Like, this has been done before, and it does feel like you just don't need to do it. It also means that other than the cinematic they released that's in the game of Abby meeting Yara and Lev and them all getting brutalized, um, Abby is just completely absent from the marketing. Mm -hmm. And, like, we knew Laura Bailey was in it, but we had no... And, like, that feels also like, like, pitch the other main character of the game. That's okay. Like, like she's the most interesting character in the fucking video game, her and Lev. Like... Do it. It's okay. You've got Laura Bailey. You can talk about this. So it's weird. It's it's just I don't. This has become more and more of a thing of of lying in trailers, and it's part of spoiler culture that I really don't like. Yes, and it is just a like I I there's a part of me that gets it because it's like you want to save it because it is a big shocking moment or whatever. Like even if you know like intellectually that Joel is like going to die in this game there's a difference between knowing it intellectually and having the reality be there and so I get the urge to have that but it's also like no like just if if it is the premise of your game just make it 
Just it's, just put it in the marketing material. It's a twenty-five to thirty-hour game, and this yeah. happens within the first two hours. Like, yeah, it it's, is. It's the premise. Yeah, it's the inciting incident of the plot. It is. It's the like kind if of thing in Last of Us around. One, they hid that Joel ever met a girl named Ellie. Yeah, like, or it would be. It specifically would be like if they hid that Ellie was immune, because that's yeah. like the inciting thing in that game is the discovery that Ellie is immune right. and Joel having to take her to Salt Lake City. Yeah. So, but let's talk about the death of Joel itself. Yeah. So, I think that opening sequence, like I said. Is mostly fantastic. I think, uh, God, the way this game starts with black screen and you hear Troy Baker's voice come in. And I don't know about you, but I played this entire game with headphones because mm-hmm. I don't know how you play Last of Us without headphones. Yeah, um, it would just be a significantly harder experience. Mm-hmm. And just hearing like how close he is in on the mic and the crackle in his voice and like it's such a beautiful performance as he's confessing to Tommy. And then you have the scene where he gives Ellie the guitar and plays the song. I was like, yeah. oh my god, fucking Naughty Dog can bring it. Mm-hmm. And then you have the whole extended sequence with Ellie and kind of getting a sense of her life in Jackson and meeting Dina and Jesse and these other characters. And then you also have that mixed with us meeting Abby and going around um, the outskirts of Jackson. Yeah. And then it all converges in very, very intense form. And here's the thing. So this is Time Out Joel's death. I agree with you that as the premise for the game... This is by far the most interesting premise they could have chosen. Yeah. Because as you say, Joel's story was Last of Us 1. It was wrapped up. Like when people say there doesn't feel like there's a need for Last of Us 2, part of that is because the main character of Last of Us 1 was finished as a character. Yeah. There is no need for Last of Us 2 if it's about Joel. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So, and I don't even know if there's a, Last of Us, there's a need for Last of Us 2 if it's about Ellie. That's why they had to bring in Abby. Right? Yeah. You know, because Ellie is, especially after Left Behind, we know so much about her. So, yes, kill Joel, have Ellie react to it. That's the best use of him. He gets to be such a more interesting character in this game than he would have been otherwise. Mm-hmm. But this is where my main split with the game and a lot of my conflicted feelings come in. Is I agree with what they do narratively. I think it's smart. I think it's resolved well. I think it, like it, how it, it impacts the characters is interesting. But pretty much every single piece of violence in this game, and whether that is stuff you do as a player, whether that is stuff that happens in cutscenes... I think the game pushes too far, and I think it pushes gratuitously and grossly far. And I think that starts with Joel's death, where I find the entire shooting his leg off and us looking at the, like, fucking sinew and gaps in his leg, and then, you know, beating him against the wall, and Abby taking out a golf club and smashing his face in, and then, you know, being there with Ellie as she watches his skull get caved in, and we don't see the moment of the skull cave in, but we do have to look at his face a lot after that, fucking caved in, this character like you loved and played as, and I think you could get the, the intended purpose of that scene across, which is that... Joel is killed, someone is very angry at him, and making you start to question, I loved this character, but was that entirely warranted, which is the arc of this game. Mm -hmm. And I think you could do it without the sheer degree of brutality they go to, and that is something I think about an awful lot of this game. And that's something that I don't have a problem with, because I don't... And this is obviously, it's a very personal thing, and it depends on your expectations and comfort level and all that kind of stuff. But I would not, with with probably the major exception being um, the hammer stuff with Yara, which was something that like was lightened by the fact that I had seen it before because it was the trailer in 2017. Um, that to me is the most, what I would call a gratuitous piece of violence. Generally speaking, I wouldn't call the violence gratuitous in the sense that you usually, it doesn't linger on it. It is not like... Like, there's a huge difference between this and something like a Saw, or lots of, like, horror fiction, where there is a sort of... 
almost like weirdly loving way that the camera will show the gore, right? And the camera doesn't usually linger on gore in Last of Us 2. Again, with like a hand, like one or two exceptions. Maybe with the Joel thing, I think it, the camera doesn't really linger on it, but you definitely see that moment where Joel is pulled backwards and his leg just is completely limp. You're like, okay, yeah, he's it's over for him. I, I don't agree with the not lingering on it at all. I, I, I agree Maybe. it's not. I agree it is not fetishistic it, it, like Saw. Yeah, I but mean, it like, tends it, to be out of focus or cuts right when like a violent impact. But happens. it happened, and like it's very clear to you what happened, and like there are yeah. also playable parts that are just like. Like the thing I really fucking hate and detest in this game later on, that just it's just in your fucking face. And it's like, look at these characters getting cut up and shot up and and I and like I don't how would the scene have been less effective if instead of her pulling out a golf club and clubbing his face in, she's like beating him with her fist and then shoots him in the head. I feel like that would be less of a fucking turn because it it left a sour taste in my mouth that never left for the re- remainder of this game. It, it, there's a lot of the violence that goes to it. I agree that it does not linger on it fetishistically in that way, but it still pushes it to a point of extremity that in some places feels like just fucking parody to me, which is like all the ways they make the NPCs suffer in battle mm-hmm. encounters with the ridiculous over-the-top screaming yeah, and the limbs being blown off and yelling out each other's names and all that shit, which I also think is is a dissonance in that none of that is really conveyed in the story. It's all just over here on the side. And, like, just so much of it is pushed so far. And, like, weirdly, the Yara moment is one I have less of a problem with because it is so then a part of the story you and Lev dealing with it and, like... That you have to cut off her arm and like it becomes so narrativized. But like, I don't know. I I don't like Joel dying is is one hundred percent motivated and not gratuitous. The way they kill him is what feels like this is gratuitous, and that's something that recurs to me a lot through this game. Yeah, I guess I just didn't feel like, and it, it, again, it might be because like I do definitely like engage with a lot more horror fiction than you so like i mean i spent the last like two to three months i've been reading a lot of horror manga so it's like when i think about what constitutes gratuitous violence it is this like really sort of you know you don't see joel's eyeball pop out of the socket when she hits him with the golf club right like that's the kind of stuff i'm talking about that is that is what is fetishistic to me or gratuitous about the violence in this game, it feels like to me with, again, and I don't think it is in every instance. And I would agree that like the NPCs screaming, if you shoot off their limbs and stuff that I think goes too far in the gameplay, but typically in the cinematic story sequences where violence occurs, it is something that I think feels like affecting because it is done in such a matter of fact way um, that it is, it is just a thing that happens in the, in the camera doesn't treat it like it's something that's special I think that's what's effective about it to me. That that it's not it's not zooming in on his skull when it's getting caved in. It's not like showing the after effects in the sort of viscera of violence. It is just showing you that this violence has occurred and then it and then it cuts or it moves to the next thing. But there's so two things about that for me. Like yeah. one, comparing it to other mediums, I think if you stick within the realm of video games though, like because of the level of visual realism going on in this game Mm -hmm. and the degree of graphical fidelity like I have not played a game that shows violence this realistically and like with that much detail like when you in the first time so you see Joel's death from two points of view you see it from Ellie's and then much later in the game you see it from Abby's and when it's Ellie like 
it's mostly about you being in her POV and imagining it. So, like, you know, you don't see the eyeball pop out, but you sure as hell are supposed to be thinking that. And then you see the the other side and you see how fucking maimed he is and you're thinking about Ellie being forced to watch that. Like, that's 100% there. But then, like, later also, like, in the Abby section, like... You know, they go into extreme detail of her, like, pulling the golf club out of his head and having the fucking squelch sound and, like, blood dripping off of it. And there's, like, other, like, sinew stuff on it and just, like... And, like, the the level of detail it can go into, you know, that is not... Abs- there's, like, nothing abstracted about it. It's in the world. And some of that I agree, like, the matter-of-factness of it I think is good. But it's when you go to the extremity of... We're going to put, you know, extremely realistically detailed golf clubs in the scene so she can beat his head to death. Like, like there's just... I guess I just, it, it sometimes feels like a technical exercise in how far we can push it and like realize it on screen. Then, and, and that's very much what I feel about some of the NPC like limb being shot off stuff. Then what I feel like is fully narratively like necessary to like get the point across. And I don't know if you're just judging it on like, for me, like the history of video games and, and cause car, you know, violence in video games, especially horror games is so often so cartoony and over the top, mm-hmm. um, you know, like a, a resident evil or something. Where you're not going around killing people, you're killing zombies, and you're doing it in ridiculous ways. Um, you know, I do find it extremely shocking, and sometimes I find it effectively shocking in, in what it's asking you to think about, and sometimes I find it eye rolling and and shoving your nose in it. And and I think that I mentioned the dog stuff last time, and we'll get into that. I 100% think about it there, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think it just again it comes down to like expectation and comfort level because it is. It is- of the video games and like the major exception is the last two Mortal Kombat games but maybe that's a slightly different thing because those are the fatalities in Mortal Kombat like Mortal Kombat 10 or 11 fucking Last of Us is like kid shit like it's nothing but Mortal Kombat is a ridiculous like it is fighter. but it is also like have you seen the fatalities in Mortal Kombat X or 11 <laughs> yeah but they're not asking you to think about the violence critically in a way that you would in Last of Us no right? but you are watching like uh Jax uh, rip his daughter's skull open and fucking put the cigar out on her bleeding tongue as blood vomits out of her fucking esophagus. Like, it is true. That is fetishistic violence. 100%, but it's a different thing. Like, it's almost not worth comparing. But I'm just saying that, like, there are video games that, like, if you're talking about that kind of... Of violence as this gratuitous visual thing. Um, And I think that's, like, the distinction I want to draw is there's a difference between... The way that violence is shot for like a Mortal Kombat or the way it would be drawn in a like horror, like an extremely gratuitous or like graphic horror manga or the way it's shot in a Saw-esque, like very graphically violent horror film. There's a difference there between that and what Last of Us is doing where I really don't feel like the camera shows violence in that way. The violence occurs narratively and through the, and it feels to me like a lot of what you're talking about is more like you say like it doesn't show the eyeball popping up but you can it, it the violence is done in such a way that you can very easily imagine it right that you you can you feel the impact of that violence that way without it actually showing it to that level of detail. sure but that's this so i maybe i'm using the wrong words i yeah. think it's rubbing your goddamn nose in it that's what sure. it is to me it is yeah. sh- taking your head shoving it in there and making you like smell and taste the violence and i agree it is not like fetishistic in the sense of like look at how cool this violence is. I want to jack off on this Mortal Kombat image like that mm-hmm. you definitely get in some of those games and yeah. stuff. But it is, shove your nose in it, feel miserable about it. And I do think the game, and I, I think at its best, the game is better than this. 
But I think there are moments, and sadly I think the game ends on one of these moments, that is just straight up fucking misery porn to me. And I have no interest in that. I think it is like nihilistic and ugly to a point that is well beyond what the game is thematically interested in or needs to be. So, and, and Joel is like one small part of this. So, you know, we're having this discussion up front because yeah. it's so big for the game. But there's a lot of it where like, you know, if, you know, when you're playing through a big combat section... And there's all, you know, and there's the sheer amount of misery it's making you think about. And it's like, well, do you want me to play your goddamn game or not? Like, like, do you want me to, like, go through and kill all these people? Because that's how I have to get through this goddamn encounter. And, and it's not going to be acknowledged in the story after that. Like, that's one thing I have a problem with in this game is that I think this game deals with, like, the, the violence in the game versus violence in the story less well than I think Last of Us 1 did. And sometimes I just feel like, like, you know, when I'm, when I'm get the drop on someone and shoot them and then they're screaming in my ear loudly for like a minute as they slowly gurgle on their own blood and die. And I'm like, okay, well, do what do you fucking want? Cause this is what I have to do to play the game. And there's, well, there's a lot of moments like that for me, me. I don't think the game is like, I don't feel like the game is saying like, you should, you should feel awful about what you're doing in that way that like you should stop. It's, it's, Again, there's something very matter-of-fact about it. I think the part in the gameplay that goes so over the top is the, like, the way that NPCs will scream when you, um, if you shoot off a limb. That is, to me, like, that is, like, so fucking ridiculous. It is, especially because it's ridiculous because they're screaming, which, you know, someone would scream horrifyingly if you shot their leg off with a shotgun. And then they just stop because they die because it's a video game and the NPC has to die. Um, And so there is a, like... There are parts where what they're doing with that stuff goes so far and then it just has to, it can't do anymore because it also has to be a video game. Um, and that's where I feel like, and I think some of like the stuff they do with the names, it, it ends up in the same territory where it feels almost parodic and how much the gameplay stuff goes with that. But, and, and, but it's like if, if fucking you're watching Saving Private Ryan and Saving Private Ryan in the D-Day section at the beginning has a person got their limbs blown off, screaming yeah. to death sequence like Tom Hanks is there trying to comfort them. Mm-hmm. And it's extremely powerful. But if Saving Private Ryan every 10 minutes did that and then like looked at you and been like, violence, man, it's heavy. And then like moved on, that would be a terrible, annoying movie. And I don't think Last of Us is terrible and annoying. Yeah, but there is a little bit of that, especially in, in some of the boss stuff later on that just is like, what the fuck do you want? I, I don't know. I, I, it's, 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 it goes a little too far. And, and you know... This is this is not something that's we should know. This argument is not just you and me. This has been something in yes. the game. Like yeah. if you take out the crazy trolls online who are harassing everyone for having trans people in the game, this is a genuine like critical debate going on with the game um, that I found very interesting because I I think like I'm not saying you're not making good points because I think there's good points on both sides. But yeah, and I just feel like um, again with the story stuff like with Joel. I just didn't have a problem with it. Um, I think part of it is also the way that it's shot. It's such a, like, the scene is so dark. Like, it is so hard, I think, to, like, see any of the detail of what happens that it it feels like, and part of it is, we should talk about this, that, like, if there is a person that deserves to be killed the way that Joel was killed, like, Joel's that person, right? Like, Joel's a bad fucking dude. Like, he is a bad person. That if, if if people are going to enact violent retribution you're going to like okay. Joel's going to be the person you enacted on and there so, was and so that's like kind of a part of it to me is that to me it felt like it, it it already felt partially justified to me from that perspective I so so here's the thing this is a productive tension yeah here because I agree yeah. and I think if you're talking about just 
So violence is enacted upon a lot of people in The Last of Us Part Two. Everyone in Last of Us Part Two has violence enacted on yes. them. I think that's safe to say. Uh-huh. Yeah. And yes, I agree. If anyone in the fucking world deserves it, it probably is Joel Miller. He, I forgot. Yeah, who's apparently his last name was Miller. Miller. I'm yeah. pretty sure this is the first time they've ever said that. Yeah, it's only ever been Joel. It might have been on like a document or something in yeah. the original, but yeah, it felt like. They realized, wait, we want to have a shot where we have his grave, but we can't yes. just put Joel. <laughs> be the only name. And, on the and grave. also that Joel is a common enough name that Abby presumably would need a last name to find yes. him. But yes, anyway, so so yes, I agree, he deserves it. But it's the degree of violent retribution, and it's something that I think goes critically unexamined in the game is the extent of the violence. And you know, maybe there's an argument that violence is violence and it's all equally bad, but I don't really agree with that. Then, I like, don't agree with that. And I, I don't think, think the game agrees with that either. But but like. I I cuz cuz I don't think anyone deserves what Joel got. I think maybe he deserves a bullet to the head. But I don't think anyone and and, and that's just like over and over again. It's it's characters going so far beyond what they have to do to like get what they want. And I'm I'm just not sure for me the game ever resolves that interestingly to to justify how far the violence goes. Cuz again, if the scene is Abby punches him a couple times and then shoots him in the head i probably have no problem with it but if it's the golf club to the face until his eyeball pops out and he's his skull is caved in they're just those are two different things is all i'm trying to say and like i don't i don't think i I don't think anyone deserves that and i think there's there's a certain amount of how much you do in the game of like people keep having that that um instinct and there's not the conversation where, like, like this is a big problem for me. Is that after Joel dies, no one says to Ellie, he might not want you to do this. No one says to him, her, one, he wouldn't want you to put yourself in danger like this. And two, he probably doesn't want you to kill hundreds of people in the city of Seattle to get to his one killer. That's probably, like, maybe that's bad. And no one, you know, Ellie seems to feel it at one point of, like, oh, man, I tortured too many people. But, like... I don't know. I in a way where like when Joel tortures that dude in Last of Us One, you are one hundred percent knowing that that is bad, and he knows it's bad and it's unexcusable, and like this is fucking wrong. And I don't know if this game lands that for me as much because of how up to eleven every act of violence in the game is dialed. I think one thing the game is doing is I think it draws a distinction between enacting violence on someone to like remove them to like solve a problem that's like this person is a problem and they need to not be that problem for me right and that is like the typical violence you enact in gameplay um and then then some of it happens in cutscenes as well like i mean that's like jesse's death is an example of jesse's just a character he's just shot in the head yeah, yeah he's just shot in the head right it's just this i need to get rid of this person so i'm going to get rid of them and that's usually what you do in the gameplay um and there's a difference between that and then enacting violence on someone to make them suffer which is what abby's goal was with joel it's what ellie's goal is with abby and her friends it's what um she does specifically with like nora which is the the woman that like that gets infected and all that shit it is her trying to inflict pain on people not just kill them yes but and then i guess this is where i also have a problem with i think there's a dissonance in the gameplay is that good god you make those people suffer when you kill them like there's maybe you do because you're shooting people limbs off all the time and you just got to shoot them in the head and they're just you can they, shoot them in the they head go down. They just but most things you do to people in the game is like incredibly ludicrously brutal like 
And and I agree that like it's realistic if you were doing this, but also there's nothing realistic about going and killing hundreds of people in a city that like like no fucking U.S. soldier has a kill record like that. Yeah. Like this is not a thing. So so I don't know. Like like the amount of like you know neck stabbings and disembowelments and all sorts of things you do. You don't um, disembowel people unless you. I guess like the mines they get disemboweled because they get like disembodied. But yeah, you kind of proven my point. There's a lot. I I. I think like the there's a thing where there is like a tension to me in how advanced the gameplay gets in its stealth and and combat mechanics, which are objectively fantastic from a gameplay design perspective, but also like the amount of arsenal you get and the amounts of ways you have to maim and murder people feels a little out of touch with like what I agree would be a productive tension in the game between killing to get by versus killing to make people suffer. Um but I think that's lessened a little bit in, you know, the amount of, you know, if you have to sneak up behind someone and you shiv them in the neck and then you hear them gurgle and, and like, drown to death on their own blood. You know, that's, you're not, you're not going to tell me that's not horrible, horrible suffering. It's, it's horrible suffering that happens to them for a couple of seconds, which is different than beating to someone with a lead pipe over the course of minutes to it like with you know, how long was she beating Joel on the ground with that golf club, right? Yeah, but, but if... If the main gameplay stuff, by necessity, has to be read on a different order of realism than the rest of the game, which I think it does for this yes. one, I mean, I then I don't think they should have video. pushed it as far as they did. That's that's, a, and I, I think you it sounds like you agree with me on some of this. So yeah, I, I I think I agree that like the gameplay stuff goes overboard in some places, but I also, but I guess it doesn't, it doesn't affect me as much because part of it is because I think it's true of The Last of Us One as well. Like I think, generally speaking, the violence is not. On a different order of magnitude than Last of Us One, it's that the graphics are better, so it is able to, and the sound design is more detailed. And there's sure, and and for for most of Last of Us One, you're playing Joel, so you're not slitting throats, you're choking dudes out, um, so you're not. But I also think like like Last of Us One has this phenomenal turn to me where you're there's a section in the because like until the last half of Last of Us One, you don't fight people that much. You fight. Um, it's definitely like it's swapped in this game where like zombies I feel like are two thirds of it in the in most of Last of Us 1 and people are one third and it's kind of the other way around in Last of Us 2 I don't know and you kill a lot of fucking people in Detroit <laughs> you do but but I'm thinking like so, so okay so you get to that Wyoming section or no it's in Colorado it's the the, uh, the university in Colorado yeah, yeah the university in Colorado and at the end of that it's where Joel winds up getting impaled but you yeah. kill all these people and it's not like specialized it's like a normal combat encounter right and you do that, and then later in the game, when you're in the winter section, you realize, oh shit, they're mad at me because of this thing I did in the normal course of gameplay. And I think that's one of the smartest moves that game makes to like fully bring in. Because I agree, there's, there's no world where you can make both of those, if you're going to have a combat system this fleshed out, the same order of realism. Yeah. But there's, there's a real acknowledgement of it that I, is still one of the great like twists in gaming to me of making you like hyper aware of what effect your normal course of gameplay stuff has made and i don't think last of us part two has that like turn or moment to me and i miss that a little bit because i feel like that connection isn't drawn as clear when like the acts of violence that make ellie like truly suffer and think are things the player doesn't do they're things that happen in cutscenes, and i feel like there could be like even if it was something as like as simple as like when she fucking kills owen if you walked into the room and shot him 
which I would love to do because I think Owen is insufferable and I hate him. Yeah. But <laughs> I need to replay that the game just so I can know that it's Owen when he dies. It's yeah. like, fuck you, Owen. You yeah. just fucking suck, dude. And I don't know if he... We'll talk about Owen later. Yeah. But um, anyway, um, yeah. So, so I'm sure this will come up more as we talk. Do you want to maybe move past it and start talking about the Seattle section? Sure, yeah. Okay. So, so the LA Seattle section, we've already agreed probably too long and, and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, but definitely. Seattle's pretty cool what they pulled off, technically. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, I love the idea of it, of having this, like, you know, it's not an open world. They have, like, a, that Lost Legacy section at the beginning when you come into Seattle. That's very cool. Um, but it, but it, while it's not a, like, oh, you're, like, going around the same paths or, like, discovering new stuff, it's not like that. But there is this sense of you kind of learning broadly the city mm-hmm. um, because you are definitely seeing places when you come through again as Abby, the, like the hospital and stuff like that. And you come around in different ways and you have like the theater that kind of anchors things that you go off from in different directions based on where you are in the story. And there is this sense of Seattle being this place that exists that Ellie comes into that has a history. It has these two different factions that have their own histories and this conflict between them. That kind of becomes unraveled to you over the course of of the game, and there's that there's this cool feeling to that. That is something very different from The Last of Us One, which is a road trip game. So it's constantly moving places. The thing that I think is the problem is that you spend the game is so long that you spend so much time in that one location that just having like a change of scenery does a lot to change like the mood of the narrative, and that's like something that I feel like the game being significantly longer than last of us one it's like a 20 to 25 hour long game versus like a 12 to 15 hour game of last of us one i saw a lot of reviewers and people saying it was more in the in the like 27 to 30 hour range for them which it was 25 for me so i found that interesting yeah i think 30 sounds like that's long for this game like maybe if you went for like every single collectible but but yeah but since it's so much longer but you are in one location for almost the whole story versus Last of Us 1, which is a shorter game and you are moving to, there's like five or six major areas that you go through throughout that game. It ends up, I I think like a little bit of of the coolness of Seattle ends up getting hurt by that, that I kind of wish there was another stop along the way to Seattle that does some of the stuff that happens with early Seattle or something, just so that you're not spending so much time in that one location. Or I just think the LA section can be shorter. Because like, when you get to Abbey... That is when so much of the game clicks into place. It's when the overall vision of this as a story and a thematic tapestry comes in. It's it's what the game like needs to get to. Yeah. And they're also very smart. Like the Abbey section, even though it's also in Seattle, so doesn't feel like a rehash. It, yeah. You're going to such different places. The Seraphites are you fight them a little bit as Ellie, but very, very minor. And then they're like the main antagonists for for Abbey. Yeah. So, you know, I, I just think cause cause there's also like the Ellie section, Ellie is very static as a character in that she has this like single-minded revenge quest and it keeps going further and further. And there is an arc to it. I'm not going to argue that there isn't. There obviously is this single-minded revenge quest. It becomes more and more all-consuming and then she reaches a breaking point when she kills a pregnant woman and it's like, I need to get Dina out of here. Let's go. Yeah. And then is interrupted by Abby. So like, there is that arc. I just think that arc could be would be much more effective if it were focused down. Yes. If because there's so much good stuff in there, Dina's a, like surprisingly great character considering she has to carry the weight of replacing Joel as like your buddy you're going around with, or mm-hmm. Ellie in, in yeah. another sense. Um, and it's great hanging out with her. There's the parts where you hang out with Jesse, and that's really cool. Um, but but there is this sense of like 
Because I feel like that opening Lost Legacy-esque section that's you've got a fun little map and you're going around, that like kind of scratches my itch of the long four-hour let's get from point A to point B and do all yes. that. But then you do it several more times and it's always on this kind of like tenuous... I think there might be someone over there who can tell me something about somewhere I eventually want to go. And that is too tenuous a narrative thing to ask you to do that much gameplay on. Yeah, and that at that point, there's not as much like character stuff going on. Because yeah, cause let's talk about that Lost Legacy sequence since it is at the beginning of Seattle. And it's, I think, one of the best gameplay sequences in the game. And, and part of what that is and why it's so good is both the openness and I think just having that sense of freedom and you're exploring and there's lots of cool things like the bank to find. And I love that the whole idea that the fucking zombie apocalypse happens and on the first day people are like, you know what? Let's go rob the bank because everybody's distracted by whatever the fuck's going on. Let's go. We like get all this money and get the fuck out of Dodge. Um, and of course it goes bad for them. And I don't know if I saw the bank section. You didn't? I'm trying to remember, but it's... Did you get the shotgun as Ellie? Yeah. Okay, so that is in the... Okay, yeah. I yeah, remember. Yeah, the shotgun's yeah. in like the bank vault. Okay, okay, yeah. yeah. No, um, I totally... Yeah, okay. Yeah, because I'm, I'm curious to know I, whether or not you can find some of those weapons in multiple places. Because that bank area is utterly optional. And it's where you find the fucking shotgun. Yeah, I must have found it. Because I did everything on the map. There's, there was... I did learn today about one thing I missed in the game. And I'll just back up and tell the story because yeah. it's funny. I, like a week ago, I saw someone on Twitter say something about like... Man, it was crazy in Last of Us 2 when, when Ellie sings Take On Me on the guitar acoustically. You missed that? At, let me, yeah, I did miss that. And, and I, but I saw that and I assumed that tweet was a joke because on, regardless of the scene, yeah. on paper that sounds ridiculous, right? Like, sure, yes. Yeah, that Ellie yeah, sings. That it's not like the, the 80s, like, yeah, it's not like she plays a fucking, the techno song every day. Right, but I was like, well, I like I, and I, I saw that and laughed, because the guitar stuff is a lot, but that, that wasn't the kind of song they were singing, so I'm like, that's funny. But I must have missed that. There's like, I guess, a music shop you find? And, yeah. Okay, I, I didn't totally even, miss that. I didn't, I think if I went back, it would be obvious that it's optional, but in my memory, that didn't read as a thing. That, I thought that okay. was like critical path stuff. No, I mean, there are multiple parts, even after the, the little open world thing, where you can take like a left or a right path. Oh and, yeah, it is a much wider, even the, it doesn't do the like sort of open world thing again, but it is a yeah. much wider designed game than yeah. uh, Last of Us 1. So I did see that game on YouTube today, or, or that it's scene like, on YouTube, yeah. and I was like... Oh, that was fucking real, and it's actually pretty good. But yeah, it's yeah because because that's that's in that section, isn't it? Because that's it must be. I don't know. Yeah, where I it think is, I right? think that's in that section um, because that whole area. What it does is that's really where you learn about Dina, and that's where you like yeah. deepen Ellie and Dina's relationship because you only get like you know that sort of implication of, of that they had some that there's some sort of sexual tension between the two of them. They have sex um, in that kind of prologue sequence or whatever in the marijuana yes farm. in the marijuana so which is that's a whole really good fucking sequence um but yeah so it's like they have this kind of like romantic thing going on there was the kiss that happened that was in the trailer um and for the longest time i was like i thought for sure that trailer was the thing that would be in this game not realizing it's like the last fucking scene of the whole game once they went past it i was like i actually thought to myself that's going to be near the very end yeah because I, I knew it was in it and i just thought because the, you know they have the old, like, sequence of flashbacks involving Joel. And I thought, oh, they'll eventually get to that one. Yeah. And then, like, halfway through playing the Abby thing, I just had this, I was like, oh, they never did that. I'm pretty sure that's in the game. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so so you have that kind of vague background for Dina in this relationship between her and Ellie. But it's not until you get to that area 
and you're exploring around that that's where they put all the like dialogue really that um establishes dina's background um i like that um you know they, it kind of gets back into some of the stuff of ellie having grown up in what do they call it? it was in boston in the, like, the, Q, the Q, yeah, the, Q, yeah the, quarantine QZ. Zone, the qz so she grew up in the qz whereas dina grew up like kind of out in the world um with her family uh, she talks about her older sister a lot. There's a scene. Her older there's a killed. really good scene in that section in a synagogue. Yes, where you learn about her being Jewish and they talk about faith a little bit, and it's like so alien to the to Ellie especially. Uh huh. Um, it's really interesting. Yeah. So that whole sequence, I think, is one of the best parts of the game because it combines this the wandering element of what they're trying to do, and I do really like the way the game does depict this quest for revenge is mostly. We're, going, we're trying to get to this place where these people are. And we kind of think we know where they are. But most of the game is just us trying to get there and, and living life trying to get there. Um, and I think the game does that too much. Because it's like at a certain point, I, yes, that's, it's, an, a fun, it's a fun affectation for the story to have that is effective. But I think it's most effectively delivered there. Where you know it cuts from Joel's funeral and Ellie and Dina leaving to them being on the outskirts of Seattle and you starting to do that stuff. And by that, in the intervening time, Ellie has not obviously gotten over Joel's death, but she's gotten through that initial stage of grieving. And so she and her are immediately joking around and having fun and having that kind of interpersonal relationship in the sense that this quest for revenge and this grief and trauma and all the like the mixed up emotions that Ellie has is this huge driver but it's not something that dominates literally every single living moment of her sure, existence. Sure, and, and yeah, and and that's it's it's very nicely done. I like you know as far as like Naughty Dog's open because Uncharted Four had a little bit of this in the scene in the RV or yeah, whatever with you're the Jeep, in yeah. with the Jeep, and then Uncharted Lost Legacy had a bigger version of it. And I think the most successful of those sequences so far is still the Lost Legacy because just Uncharted lends itself to like exploring and puzzle yeah. and finding stuff and like. Like, there's all the collectible stuff in Last of Us 2 that, for the life of me, I cannot imagine wanting to go... Like, this is just not that kind of game to me yeah, in the, it's the same. I mean, it's the same with me with, like, Uncharted. You have, like, weird treasures lying around, and you're like, I don't... Why would people... But at least Uncharted is, like, a treasure-hunting game. Like, it... Yeah, but it's like, the games are not designed... They're not open world. So it's no, like, they're yeah. not designed to be good collectible-style games. Yeah. And Naughty Dog has put collectibles in every game they've made since Uncharted 1. Like, I don't know why, yeah. but okay. No, it's okay. But yeah, um, speaking of the timeline, by the way... I can't. I can't quite figure out the timeline by which Dina is just figuring out she's pregnant as they're on this trip. Because how long is it after Joel's death that they go to Seattle? I mean, they leave. They I mean they leave. I think a day or two after okay. Joel dies. Because it was all snowy, and then when they leave, it's not. So I don't know if it's supposed to be a seasonal shift, if it's been weeks. If I it's mean, been... you know, they go from Wyoming to Seattle, so it is a significant. So it would be months, right? Yeah. Because presumably she got pregnant probably a week or two before Joel is killed, because that's right. Because that's when she was still with Jesse. Jesse break up. Um, and so if you go three months, she wouldn't really be showing at that point. And I guess that would be enough yeah. for the seasons. That would be enough combined with the fact that you're going yeah. from Wyoming, a place that uh, will snow a lot, and Seattle, a place that. Well, not snow. Um, yeah. But even when you leave exactly. Wyoming, it's not snowy anymore, right? Is it not? I, I don't, don't think it is. So, so that's all. I, I didn't know if you were supposed to read into that that like she and Jesse were still having sex after no, that, or what? It's yeah. I think the implication is she and Jesse have a relationship. They break up. Two weeks later, Joel gets killed. A couple of days after that, they leave. A couple of months after that, they end up in Seattle. Okay. Yeah. So, so anyway, it, it made me question a little bit because I was just like. 
This is a. This is a, I don't quite get the title. It's not a complaint. I don't really yeah. care. But I, was just I also have out. absolutely no idea how long it would take to get from Wyoming to Seattle on horseback. So that it's, seems like it would probably be reasonable. I don't it's, know. It's not too far on a map. I mean, it's it's in terms of places you could travel in the United States. It's not nearly as long as they go in Last of Us One. Yeah. Because um, they go almost across yeah, they, the whole yeah, country. Yeah, they go from and, the East Coast all the way to Salt Lake City. So yeah, yeah. And so, then back to Wyoming. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I've only been over the border to Wyoming once to, to buy fireworks. So not me as like a rebellious teenager. My dad doing this with me as a kid because that's who my oh, dad yeah. was. Um, but anyway, uh, so I don't know enough about the geography of Wyoming either. But yes, so... It's just empty. That's, yeah. As someone who's been to Wyoming quite a few times, there's just nothing there. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I think like two people live there or something. I don't know. They probably like make hooch. It's a know. good place for a settlement. Yes, it's yeah. a good place to live in the zombie apocalypse because there's not going to be like there's not enough people living there yeah. to produce enough zombies. Speaking of zombies, so we haven't mentioned yeah. this yet. We haven't even mentioned zombies yet. I mean, this is an interesting thing, and I don't. I'm not necessarily saying this as a complaint, but it's a thought I had multiple times. The zombie stuff is so incidental to the plot of Last of Us Two. Oh yeah. That I forgot they were a part of the game every time they weren't there. It was like literally like every time zombies... I'm like, oh yeah, that's a thing in this world. And it was kind of... And I again, I don't know if that's... Because it's something that I, I commented on in our 50 year anniversary podcast about Last of Us 1. Mm-hmm. Is that most zombie stories purport to do the thing where it's not about the zombies, it's about the people. Yeah, the, the but humans I argue, are the real monster. Yeah, the yeah. real cliche. But, but I would argue most zombie things don't actually follow through on that that interestingly because like yeah because most zombie media is bad um, most zombie only me- the good zombie media that is actually does it yeah like know. george a. romero does this but yeah. the walking dead like yeah, the walking dead is about seeing the cool zombie effects every week yes like, and the like gore that is yeah. uh like if you want fetishistic gore and you're like how the fuck is this on american tv like watch some clips from fucking walking dead because sure. it is way worse than the shit in last of us yeah but like like so, so that's kind of was my argument and it's something I think Last of Us 1 does very effectively in that it starts 100%. Like, sometimes you hit humans and that sucks, but, like, the zombies are really the thing driving everything. Yeah. And then at a certain point, no, the zombies are not the bad guys here at all. Like, humankind, mankind would be fucking fine if they just had their shit together and weren't trying to murder each other. Because the zombies aren't that, if you're in a group, they're not that hard to deal with. Yeah. And Last of Us 2 really hammers that home because they're, they're not really, a, like, like there's a couple of sequences where you have to fight them. And the, the game goes just full Resident Evil in the Abbey section, yeah. um, which is a, one of my favorite parts. I loved it. Yeah. yeah. But, like... They're they're very incidental, and I think that's it's it's an extension of kind of the radicality of the incidentalness in the first game to being like they're almost an afterthought in this one. It's very interesting to me. Yeah, and I like it because it feels like it feels realistic in a weird way. Like if you because it's been what like nineteen years since the outbreak happened, we were having like like thirty because isn't it twenty between. Um, when Joel... Yes, that's right. Yeah, because yeah. I was thinking, yeah, yeah. So it's a 20-year gap plus another five from one to two, so it's like yes, 25 so years. something like 25 years. Yeah. yeah. So it is, it's been a long time, long enough that there's like, that societies are starting up that you're having Ellie who was not born um, in the old world is now an adult, like a young adult, right? And you have Lev who's like 13 or 14 years old that is... Lev is basically the same age that Ellie was in the first game. Yeah. Um, and so you're having like multiple generations now being born, living in this world um, where what had like the life that was before the outbreak is just so far away in the sense that people are building these communities successfully, in some cases less successfully in others. And there is this nice feeling of the infected is something that unless you're going out, you don't have to deal with, right? If as long as you are in 
this sort of area that you and your the people you are with have like confirmed and verified are safe. Generally, you never have to deal with it, and occasionally you send out patrols. Um, I like in the one flashback where you're with Tommy, they talk about how they, they're almost like weirdly migratory and depending on the seasons and stuff, the fact it was the kind of... I really like in the initial Jackson sequence seeing how they do the patrols and just like yeah. the nitty gritty of how Jackson defends itself and it's like, they've yeah, got they, this down to a T. You've got like this little thing that you check in on and write down everything yeah. you spotted and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and there's just the sense of people are living in this reality and building up societies to accommodate this reality that are not societies built out necessarily out of the model of what came before, right? And that's true of, of all three of the sort of different cultures you encounter of Jackson that came up and is, you know, not connected to the old government. You've got the wolves who specifically were formed to, to like to get rid of FEDRA and basically the U.S. military that created all the quarantine zones. Um, like the Boston one in the first game, and so the wolves kill them and take over Seattle. And they're like a military kind of installation. Yeah, they're like a weird sort of like citizen paramilitary, like citizen militia kind of thing that yeah. came up and, and kicked the Fedra out. And then you have the most extreme version of that in some ways is the Seraphites that sort of have this cultish religious element to them um, to like purge themselves of the old world that they're also not um, successful about in many ways. But that like, and so you are getting this sense of that the world is beginning to move on in a way and that the infected, obviously lots of people are dying all the time because of the, the infection and either by getting attacked by infected people or by um, breathing of the spores and all that kind of stuff. But it is a reality that these people have been living with into their adult lives if they were born after the outbreak occurred. It's something that I almost wish the game went a little further with in that I don't know if I buy in some places that there would be this many infected in some of these places. Yeah. Like this far out. And like if there's that much of a human kind of like installation in Seattle that I feel like some of these buildings would have been cleared out more. And it would have been interesting if like... Because like we're definitely on a path where like they're going to get rid of the infected one day in this world, right? Like it's not going to be a forever thing. Yeah. They, they, they can... If no one's new is getting infected and you can successfully prevent against that and you kill all the other ones, like, you know... Um, yeah, you then just have to figure out how to deal with like the spores and all. Yeah, that. yeah. So, so it's interesting. Um, but yeah, so it's it's funny because like I feel like we're gonna t- we could very easily do this whole review and never mention that there are zombies in the game. I mean, I and think do you think the zombie stuff in a gameplay sense is really significant? Impactful. Yeah. yeah, it's just it never it's not a story concern outside of like a small handful of moments, and even then, it's generally more of like an abstract um, story concern. Yeah, which I also think is like g- good because the first game did it like sure. it's the yeah. sense of like i don't need the last of us 2 to get into the zombie stuff that much because yeah because we've done it right mm-hmm. we've done it with that first game and it's not the most interesting part of the setting yeah so what else to talk about with the ellie section um i, I like jesse as a character too we talked yeah, about Jesse's dina very cool yeah jesse's a good guy I, I there's something like very like jesse and dina are not as flashy as like Joel in terms of like grabbing your attention, but they feel like such kind of down to earth, just like people in a way that Naughty yeah. Dog is very good at creating. Like like we remember characters like Nathan Drake and stuff, but like one of the great things about Elena, for instance, in Uncharted, she just feels like a person who would yes. exist in the world. And like I feel like they do that very well with with those two in this game, especially. Yeah, and it is this thing of again, like they are young enough that they didn't remember what it was like before, so they are just normal people. They're not like a Joel or a Tommy that like are carrying with them all this shit. Yeah. Um, they're, they, they're carrying their own shit, but it's not shit that's like left over from yeah. this big traumatic kind of paradigm shift in the world mm-hmm. around them. You also have, during the Ellie section, several flashbacks. Yes. 
Um, Which is some of my favorite stuff in the game. 100%. Yeah. Very much so. I think the, the one in the museum with Joel is... This, that's my favorite part of the whole game is the birthday yeah. flashback. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so good that it did, like... Because it kind of comes during some of the doldrums of the Ellie story. And it did, like... This was when I was probably lowest on the game as an overall thing just because of the pacing issues. I did make me think, like, this is so good, but, like... This is just more of what the first game did. This is this this section of concentrated greatness is not like part of the new stuff to Last of Us Two. Overall, I don't think I, I don't view it that way because the Abbey stuff is all new. Mm-hmm. Um, but it did. I, I did have that thought briefly of like this feels like what we really wanted was a left behind too about this. But I think there's something very smart in that sequence where it's this beautiful like you know like like it it sums up so much of what the game is about. Where like Joel. He's a great dad. That's the thing we know about uh, him. Yeah. As as before the outbreak, he was world's greatest dad. Like he was just a good dude who worked hard to like provide for his daughter, and he couldn't be around one hundred percent of the time. But she knew that, and like she loved him and all mm-hmm. this. And then with Ellie, he was a good dad to her too. And when it got they got to be settled down in Jackson, man, this dude was a really good dad. And then I think that the kind of masterstroke of that whole sequence is at the end of it when they're going out and they see the Firefly label. Yeah. And it's this this constant thing that is hanging over both of them that he gets to be a good dad and Ellie gets to have a good dad, but at the price of, oh, he murdered an entire hospital full of people and possibly robbed humanity of a future. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's what, I mean, it's because in a broad way to me, what the game is about um, at its heart is, it, it's about Ellie and Joel's relationship, like with the first game and how it has changed, right? And how... Ellie's whole quest for revenge, what's interesting about it is, in some ways, the player having to piece together, like, why is she really doing this? Like, why is she going so far? Because it's not just that Joel was a good dad, so she's going to go all the way to Seattle and murder every single person in her way and torture people and and shit that, like, is not who Ellie is, right? That's not the Ellie we know from the first game. That's not the Ellie you see in that flashback. Um, who is like this cute little nerdy 15 year old girl um, yeah. who's like, you know, d- discovering things about herself and her sexuality and is going around and like d- picking up fucking superhero cards and reading comic books and putting maybe, a hat on every dinosaur, yeah, putting hats on the dinosaurs and yeah, and is obsessed with dinosaurs going into space um, in a way that is like both very earnest, but she kind of like some of it has to hide behind like irony and, and she's like a teenager. And especially now that I'm a teacher in high school, like there is a so much I see in Ellie that I see in so many of the students I have um, from that age that is like it, it, it is both she's she's like this ball of like unbridled energy and weird interests that she's pursuing to like weird extremes and stuff like that um, and that's that Ellie and that Ellie you cannot imagine going and and beating Nora with a with an iron pipe to try to beat information out of her to find other people for her to murder right like you like that's not the same person you're seeing and do, do, I don't care if Joel is killed Ellie still would not go that far for that because she has some sort of what you would recognize as being some sort of moral character about her um and that the journey with Ellie and that's one of the reasons why I think the game needed to be trimmed up is I think it would convey in this Ellie section a lot more effectively if there was less kind of dead space between these the three or four flashbacks they have is that the flashbacks trace these like multiple feelings of Joel is a good dad Joel is also like this kind of emotionally abusive dad like he is he's overly protective 
he has done this thing and lied to Ellie about it that is so extreme that when Ellie discovers it in the later flashback, you know, she's like, it's over between us. I don't want to have anything to do with you again. He bought this life for her and for him at the cost of something inconceivable. Yes, and, and something that Ellie cannot imagine how a human being would do what Joel has done, right? Like, yeah. that's in the, in the past. Like, she can't conceive of it. It doesn't make sense, um, and it is scary. And it is something that he did, like, utterly disrespectful to what Ellie wanted, right? He, he, it's clear that Ellie, what Ellie wanted was to provide this cure. Um, and Joel took that from her. Um, and so that, that, that back and forth between what is it that's motivating her? What is her relationship with Joel? How much of this is happening because of her love for Joel? How much of it is happening because her hate for herself and kind of what Joel made her complicit to all those like complex emotions and it is um and we'll get into that because i think the ending is what ties all that stuff together but but that is the stuff in the ellie section is most interesting to me i think it's most beautifully sort of portrayed in that birthday flashback where most of it is just fun happy dinosaur times and cool spaceships um that then is soured at the end with this overhanging sense of dread um that the player has about the knowledge of what joel has done and it also has this moment that like really like kind of emotionally broke me for a second because I have like, again, I, Joel should die. Like Joel, like in a narrative sense and then like morally, it's just, you can't, there's no argument other than he's not trying to hurt anybody right now for not enacting some sort of justice on Joel, right? There's just no space for it. Um, and I know that the, there are people that played that first game that don't think that way, but for me, it's like the dude doesn't doesn't deserve the the happiness that he has. Yeah. Um. And and it's that knowledge, and and when Joel died, like I legitimately had this feeling of relief after he was dead. It's like there's this feeling of because I do think there's this weirdly sort of semi emotionally abusive quality to Joel and his relationship with Ellie. Um. That that there's this relief when he's gone to me. Well, because like, so someone on Twitter before this one came out asked me to sum up my thoughts on um, the ending of Last of Us 1. I think it's a recent listener who maybe hadn't heard our earlier episodes. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, I said, do you think Joel did the right thing? And I said, that's a complicated question. Yeah. No. I, like, I don't think the Fireflies are good. Like, that's a big part of that game to me, too, is that yeah. I don't, like, think they are an unalloyed, like, good in this world. They're not I, superheroes. They're yeah. not superheroes. And I don't, and I think the idea that they would make this vaccine and save the world is ludicrous. But at the same time, like... No, it's that still does not justify Joel killing all these people. And moreover, he didn't do it for Ellie. He did it for him. Yeah, because if he did it for Ellie, he would have told her yes. what he did. Yeah. And or he would have like demanded like, could we go wake her up and ask her? You know, like like that would be something. Yes, he right? would have pushed for yeah, a different solution rather than immediately going to, well, I'm just going to murder every single person here yes. specifically so that they don't try to get revenge on me. Yeah. You know, that's he the ending of that game, is he shoots Marlene when she's incapacitated. Because he doesn't want her to come after them. Right. You know, he does it because he is so broken by the death of his daughter. He knows he could not live another day on this earth if he let it happen to Ellie. Mm -hmm. He knows he couldn't live, yeah. right? And so it's that selfishness. And that extends to, as you say, like, he is on one hand this, this great supportive dad who gets Ellie all these things she needs and wants and is there for her. But also, what is the main motivation that he loves her you know, in this selfless way and wants to do that for her? Or is it because he needs a daughter? 
Yeah. That's, and it's it's a little of both, but it's more of the latter. Yes. And like that's one of the master strokes of Last of Us One is understanding that about Joel Joel. And I think this is something Last of Us Two does very intelligently in in terms of making Ellie kind of a player proxy. Is that I think there are a lot of people who like if you walk away from Last of Us One loving Joel, I understand why. He's he's, he's very likable. He's yeah. very likable. You see a lot of him through Ellie's eyes in that second half. He is in some ways a hero to her, like because he she's he's the first person who's ever been there for her in an extended way. Yeah, in her life. Is, yeah, who has not died as soon as he was like you know like they they reached this point of understanding and yes. then she, her friend dies right. And and but you have to hold that in your head with. What does he buy that for? At the, like, what is the cost he pays to buy that? Yeah, and, and what, what are part- all the things he's done before this? Like, before you even see him and all the like yeah. hints you get at the life that he has lived since the outbreak. Yeah, some of which is like anyone who lived this long in this world would have had to do. And some of it is Some like- of it is, you know, Tommy, you know, there's that great moment when you meet Tommy again in the first game and he talks about having nightmares about the shit that Joel yeah. did that is like... Not not everybody He's, in this world has the same nightmares. He is a man of deep violence. That is yeah. his main like communication mode with the world around him. And like you have to kind of be able to hold those both in your head at the end. And that's why that ambiguous ending to Last of Us One holds hits so hard because Ellie's also conflicted about it. Because Ellie knows it's a possibility that this yeah. is what he did. Like she know like that's why she goes to the hospital. It's not because she thinks there's no possibility he did something bad. She knows this and and is trying to hold these two things in her mind that I love this man and I am also scared of what he has done and is capable of. And you as the player kind of are asked to do that too. And that's a really hard nuance that most games, most mainstream media don't ask of you. Yeah. And Last of Us 2 is also about that. It's about her, the extremity that, to which she goes, I agree, is is not... If it were just someone she kind of, like, I think if it had happened to Dina, she wouldn't do this. Yeah. Because she didn't have... She has a much more pure, like, simple relationship with her it is not on these two levels of i love this guy and i think he did something unambiguously and unforgivably horrible and, and i don't and that and that i as ellie am in some way complicit with what he has yes. done right which is not it's not her fault but is you know she can't help but feel that way yeah the yeah. same as the player who is also complicit in it yeah. in that it's not your fault you didn't program the game they did you know you didn't make your but like you played it yeah as joel and so Ellie really does become, and I agree, I, I do think sharpening up the game at this point and tightening it would, would let some of this come through more. Because there is this aspect of Ellie as the player avatar there in that what she's going through is something I think a lot of the fan base has. And the game is, and, and this, is, this is the number one trigger for gamers, I often think, is when they ask you to critically think about yourself while playing. Yes. And that is what this game does. It, it does ask you to critically think about Joel's role in the world and your role with him and and your feelings and whether or not you know where, where you come down on it yeah yeah because there's a couple of things here of like one back to the the flashback um because the moment that i wanted like this building up to talking about all this stuff is the thing that was really heartbreaking to me is that moment where joel you know they get into the space pod and she puts on a helmet and joel found the fucking tape like joel has gone so far to create like this perfect birthday and then after that he looks at her and says in this like really broken voice did i do good um and she you know she's like oh you did are you kidding me like this is the most amazing thing ever and that moment when joel asks her did i do good like i almost like broke into tears as soon as he said that because they're in because i think like what is so phenomenal about 
both of these games is these two characters, Joel and Ellie, and just how complex their relationship is and the player's relationship is with those characters that there is because I have both of those conflicting feelings of both this relief that Joel is dead, this relief that his like presence is gone and that maybe like some actual healing can occur in his absence. Um, hopefully and, and all that kind of stuff is like getting rid of him because, because there is this like undeniable feeling of this like manipulative, abusive thing he has about him. Um, and, and, and in some ways, this whole scenario he has crafted is a part of that manipulation and part of that abuse. Like it, is, it is him playing both these roles of, of this cold-blooded killer and this father and this like loving father and controlling father and him crafting this whole scenario. And, and there's so much wrapped into that of it doesn't like... You, it doesn't absolve you of anything that you've done. Like you're just like covering up and trying to cover up the awful shit you've done that Joel knows that what he did is wrong. I don't think Joel has any question about the fact that it's like in a textbook way, if any, anybody would look at that scenario and say that you fucking... That's what the Tommy scene at the beginning of the game is about. Yes. Is that he knows and he... But he also knows Tommy is the guy who will get it if anyone... Mm-hmm. That, that gray area, you know? Yes. Of like, I did it wrong, but but what else could I do? Yeah. And so he knows that. And it's just, you know, this incredibly elaborate zombie post-apocalypse version of, you know, some dad buying their kid, like the 16-year-old kid, a really expensive car. It's, it's you know, it's like fucking Breaking Bad when Walter buys Walter Jr. the really nice car, right? It's like this feeling of guilt and all that and trying to buy off your kid um, in this, this way. And that all of that melts away as soon as the fucking lights turn off and, you know, there's that boar there, which is a good moment. Um, and then the, the firefly symbol on the wall. Yeah. And this sense of sort of darkness that hangs over everything. Um, and then the other thing I was going to say, connected with all that, and, and the other reason I was thinking of Breaking Bad, was I saw a comment a while ago uh, that I thought was interesting and then how much I disagreed with it about <laughs> Last of Us 2. Um, because, again, cause, because the negative reaction to Joel's death was not just a thing from the spoilers like there are people that are fucking pissed <laughs> that Joel is dead and it's interesting I read this one comment of someone saying um that like Joel didn't deserve to go out this way Joel is it the Arthur Morgan comment yes yes yes, 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 that yes, was, yes I've that, seen this yes yes that it's like Joel deserved to die on a mountain staring at the sunset like Arthur Morgan in Red Dead Redemption 2 sorry for the spoilers for Red Dead um but that's only one of the endings of the you know because there there is an ending where he doesn't get the happy ending and it's like I saw that and like how could you possibly? <laughs> and it's interesting because I was thinking about Red Dead Redemption 2 while playing Last of Us Part 2 a lot. Because I think those they're games are... They're very good counterpoints. Yeah, they're I... very interesting games together. Um, both in terms of some mechanical stuff and then in terms of uh, their story. But it's like, how could you possibly put Arthur Morgan and Joel in the same box outside of... They are both like angry white dude video game protagonists. But the way they go about it is completely different. Like... The whole second half of Red Dead Redemption 2 is Arthur Morgan painstakingly going through every single process he can to make up for the awful shit he's done and the awful life he's lived. And and he does get this... If, again, only if you play the honorable ending or whatever, you get this nice moment where he has some kind of respite at the end where he's lying on the mountain beaten to death, basically, and gets to see the sunset um, or the sunrise. And, and it is an incredible moment. It's one of my favorite moments in storytelling in a modern video game. It's like Red Dead Redemption 2 is one of my favorite games in years. 
Um, but like that game is about Arthur Morgan being someone who has done awful shit his whole life and then comes to realize that once he faces death and then chooses to spend his last moments trying to work to make up for that. Um, and Joel has never done anything to try to make up for anything he's done ever in his whole fucking life. All he's ever done is try to make excuses for it by buying off Ellie and trying to make it okay for him to have done what he's done by making her happy, but not for him like repenting or anything. One of his final lines in the game is, if the Lord gave me a chance to do it again, I would do it again. Yes, I would do it all again, right? Like Joel's, after realizing what he did was wrong, Joel didn't go trek over to Seattle to go find Abby and apologize for what he did, which is what Arthur Morgan would have done. Yes. And the most hilarious thing is also... Arthur Morgan, the character, would be the last person to tell you that Arthur Morgan deserved to have yes. this moment of respite at his death, right? And so it is this incredible misread of these two, of two games, yeah, of two games combined um, that are two of my favorite games, and and it is this like thing of where you look at that, and it's just it makes people feel delusional to me that you can't see who Joel is. And the thing I like about how brutal and matter-of-fact it is that they kill Joel in the way they do is that there is no excuse. There is no moment where Joel gets this... You know, there's no thing like at the end of Breaking Bad where Walter White gets to put his hand on the chemistry set. And there's like this weird moment of like he gets this moment of like weird peace in like being with himself at the end like that that you get with, with Walter White. Um, you, It's just no. Fucking Joel just gets taken out like any awful motherfucker in this world gets taken out with a goddamn golf club to his skull because he doesn't deserve anything better than that. Maybe it, nobody, I agree. Like, I don't think anybody deserves to suffer as they die. I don't think there's anything productive, but I'm, but I also can't put energy into defending Joel in that way. Right. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, there is a part of me that thinks if they, if the method of his death wasn't so extreme, I, I think people might be able to engage with it a little more because it is so alienating. But broadly, I agree with everything you're saying. And I think... I just like... There's just this feeling of like flipping the fucking middle fingers at people that, that yeah. are so hard in on Joel. That's like, no, this is what he gets. Look at what he gets. Like, it, yeah. it, 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 there's something about that I like, especially when reading... Because if you, man, don't fucking read the comments around Last of Us 2 because but, it, but, the discourse around this game has gotten fucking poisonous. I agree. I also don't think games should be made for the trolls. And I do yeah. think there's sometimes where the game feels like it's rubbing your nose in it and like me as a normal sane player, which is 90% of your player base, I don't need it that far to engage with what you're going for. And if you're doing it to this degree to give the middle finger to it dicks online grow up there's just a little bit of that that's like i don't think that's necessary you don't have to target the the trolls that i mean way. i'm not saying that i think that they literally did that that was what i felt when they're I, doing I think it. there's something about the extremity of it that feels like it's a little targeted at, at someone who's not me it's someone who like doesn't like like it's meant to wake you the fuck up to it and it's like well i played your first game and i got it i, I don't need to be woken up to it there's i think there's a legitimate argument that like some of how far they go is out of a frustration of people not getting it and like well you're definitely gonna get it now because everything is at 11 and this is not a game of particular subtlety in in places it is a game of remarkable subtlety in other places yeah. but but i do think i think there is a something refreshing to me like living through like this you know the whole like i feel like the most popular media of the 21st century has been one after the other of these stories about awful angry men that do awful angry man stuff and then 
and 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 then there are a lot of the people who get it and i think the the best example of it is the sopranos um which gives kind of the most damning ending to its character yes exactly um like one that's so shocking that even when i knew exactly what that ending was when it happened when i watched the sopranos i'm like fuck dude i can't believe that they just did this like i knew that they were going to cut to black and i still am worried that my tv is broken or something um yeah, but like, but you have those with like Sopranos, Breaking Bad, and like The Last of Us is one of these. Um, that is, there there are pieces of media that I think are condemnatory of their protagonists, but their protagonists are like interesting, complicated characters, and there's like, and it's frustrating to get into the popular like like discourse space, um, and and to see that like. To see the way that those characters are lifted up as being these like yes. exemplary models of masculinity when they're all about how this model of masculinity is not just toxic, but it is like all omnidestructive. Like it destroys everything around it. I and mean, to see people not get that again and again and again and, and for it to inform the way that people view themselves in this way that is disgusting to me. At some point, there's something really like reassuring about getting something like this that doesn't give you that space to read it that way that just says no fuck it this this is what this person is yeah you know breaking bad is an interesting example because i think everyone's forgotten this a little bit because it's it's ending was so acclaimed Mm -hmm. but when it was airing there was this vocal angry white dude minority who hated where breaking bad was going because they thought walter white was the hero and they thought skyler was the the bitch who brought him down and they thought you know all this other stuff and and the ending of breaking bad is pretty systematically about taking that apart and and i agree it gives you that respite although my reading of the last scene of breaking bad has always been that it's supposed to make you laugh in that how he it plays this silly love song and it's this pathetic man whose only love was this awful, destructive thing. But it does yeah, I, give you that ambiguity. Yeah, I yeah. I want to make it clear that like that is basically my reading of it as well. But it but, gives you, yes. especially like that whole last episode or two, gives you all this space to be like, man, look how cool Walter White is. You know, it has that yeah. whole scene where he goes in and threatens his two ex-business partners by having yes. um, Badger and the other dude um, like fake being like snipers yes. with lasers and stuff like he's so fucking cool dude and it's and it brian cranston and like he yeah it gives you all of that and it is like it is while i do raise my eyebrow at like the lack of media literacy displayed it is not shocking to me that people come yes. out of breaking bad with the takes on walter white that they do exactly and and i i yeah the last of us 2 definitely does not give you a, as much of that space and I, and I i actually think i like how you've brought this into the the broader kind of conversation of these like male anti-hero stories because that does i think when you put it in that context a lot of last of us two's choices make more sense um especially that, that it gets the because then you don't other than like five like like three minutes or whatever at the beginning of the game you don't play as a man the whole yeah, game like yeah. you play as joel or you play as ellie and abby yeah um it, there's so. definitely i think a sense that if it weren't if hbo didn't exist the Last of Us 2 would probably be a lot more subtle in its violence. Mm-hmm. Although if HBO didn't exist, there would be no The Last of Us. So, yeah. you know, because it's very indebted to these stories. Um, which is why it makes sense why that's where they're making the TV show that they shouldn't make. Yes. Because um, if you can't have Joel, Troy Baker as Joel, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Because, uh, God, I mean, we haven't really talked about the performances in this game yet. I'm sure we'll get to around yeah. to that. But I just want to... I mean, everyone in this game is extraordinary. Troy Baker has only a couple of scenes, really. But man, is he good at walking that line. And it yeah. feels like he really is on board with the interpretation you're giving. I think he knows what... And I think he knows... Joel knows what he is. Yeah. And he just... The way he plays all of that... I mean, 
it's it's almost become like we take Troy Baker for granted because he's in everything and he's like the guy and he's everywhere. And then you get one that's like, oh, right. He's everywhere because he's Troy fucking Baker. Oh mm-hmm. my God, this dude is good. Yeah, it, it just makes you realize how wasted he is in like Need for Speed games and shit sure. like that. That cast him. <laughs> um, uh, because what was the... There's the, that one game recently, I think, at the Microsoft thing that had... Oh, it was it was Dirt 4 or whatever. It's a driving game. So I don't, you know... I've, I played one of the Dirt games and it was cool. Like, I don't want to throw shade at Dirt. But there is this sense of like... Like, what's the point of getting Troy Baker if it's going to be like this short like story mode that has like a couple of random boxes you know like the crew one had troy baker as the protagonist like why like he's so good when he's given this kind of material um especially when you get to have like all the performance capture and everything along with it he's a he's a real fucking actor yeah and not that other video game actors aren't but just sometimes you need someone to read something and sometimes you need someone to perform something and those are two different things yeah and yeah and just it just again it reminds you that troy baker like despite the memes that is true of like Nolan North as well and and him and Nolan North and Laura Bailey it is fucking exhausting how they're in every single video game and it would be nice for more people to get to be protagonists of video games um in the western media because it's like they've released a tra- new trailer for that Marvel's Avengers game and I watched a little bit of it I'm like fuck it's right it's there again that's like I love these guys but holy shit and when they're given just generic video game material it just doesn't feel like it's benefited necessarily but then when you give Troy Baker this you're like no yes Trey Baker is really good. He it, is awesome. Like, I do love this dude and the performances It, it made me feel like I did in 2013 when we had that one-two punch of Bioshock Infinite and Last of Us. Yeah. And like, oh my god. And also it made me remember, like, it, it honestly, Troy Baker in this reminds me of Nolan North in Last of Us 1. Yes. Where it's like that shock of like, because Nolan North had gotten to the point Troy Baker's at now in 2013. Yes, yeah. And, he was just and, the protagonist of every fucking video game. And then Last of Us 1, his role in that made you remember, oh, right, this dude got to where he is by being the fucking best yeah and like a fucking chameleon you know Mm -hmm. and then you and i feel like that's what you get here where troy baker is in like a similar space of like it's a small part in a big game but yeah and obviously ashley johnson and laura bailey deserve even more praise because they are the protagonists of this game and they are both incredible i like laura bailey definitely like because i agree she's one of those people who has been i don't like begrudge her omnipresence because she's so talented but i feel sometimes she's wasted as you say yeah and like this is one where like ah, she gets to create this big character from scratch and she's so great um naughty dog obviously always any actor who gets to be in a naughty dog game will get to do like career best work so it's just a thing all right what else to say about the ellie section of the game um it's very violent at the end it's violent all the way throughout but then you kill a pregnant woman Yes, yeah. So, because do we want to talk about some of those scenes? Because you have that moment, the, like the Nora sequence that I think is really effective yeah. where it's like, it, it, this is the moment where like you said, John, like you remember, oh right, the zombie stuff is in this game where you remember, oh right, Ellie's immune. Yes. And it's the, a weird sort of byproduct of making a sequel to The Last of Us is that like Ellie is this like martyr child, right? She is this like miracle um, in human form that is like the only person we know of that is immune to this uh, infection that has basically wiped out human civilization as we understand it. Um, you know, a process that we are currently in the middle of and it's very exciting to be like The Last of Us Part 2 and watching uh, the outbreak happen all around us. But, um, yeah, so that's what Ellie is. And you just forget about it because it almost never comes up. Um, and she even has to wear, I love that detail that she wears the mask to hide it from people yep. because nobody can know about it. And then there's that great, great scene where Dina finds out. But then there's that moment where she's getting Nora 
and she's being chased by all the other soldiers and she gets backed up um and it's like the coolest zombie movie version of all the protagonists are backed up against the waterfall and they have to jump off at the last second and like survive the fall only this is they're dumping into um this spore infested area and and ellie is immune she doesn't need the mask and and nora gets infected and it's like this really shocking moment of ellie weaponizing her immunity to kill this other person um, yeah, that is like again. It sort of like shook me I, out of this. Oh, right, this is who Ellie is. Like this is what she has in her. I also wanted to talk about the Nora sequence because this is where the game started to click for me on how it was using the gamic medium to tell its story. Mm-hmm. Because I think so. I said this on Twitter, and I want to be clear that I'm not. This is this is me praising the game when I say this. I don't think Last of Us Two fundamentally has anything like super new or unique to say about revenge and violence. No. Because it's themed, I like, Moby Dick exists. Like, yes. we get these things. What I think is unique and new, and I don't need everything to explore a theme to do it in a new and unique way. No, what because I, you wouldn't like a lot of media if that's yes, what you needed exactly. for media. Yeah. yeah, you know, like, Shakespeare hit a lot of these boxes, you know. We, yeah. Yeah. And, and old, you know, and Moby Dick and things like that. So, so um, what I do think The Last of Us 2 does well is how it uses the gamic medium to do that message. Mm-hmm. And I think where it starts to get is, is so much of this game to me is kind of in this meta way about how the simple act of giving you a controller and putting you in command of someone, no matter how much control you really have over them, because this is not a choice-driven game or anything, instills empathy. And it automatically instills empathy to a shocking degree. And Last of Us 2 made me aware of that in a way no other game has. And it started with the Nora sequence, where... For a long time in this game, like I, I do think there is like to me a missing piece in the Ellie section where I wish somebody in her world called her on it. I wish somebody said, "Is this quixotic revenge mission necessary?" I think is... like nobody like straight up says it, but I do feel like that's kind of what J- Jesse's role is when he comes in. Yeah. Where Jesse like immediately, without kind of questioning it, prioritizes Dina's safety and her pregnancy yes. above everything else, um, and sort of soft calls Ellie on it. Yeah. Um, but like yeah. like even like even the Tommy scene I feel like is missing that piece where Tommy I feel like would be the guy to say, Boy, Joel would not want you to go do this or something. And I, I feel like Dina I I don't think Dina's attracted to Ellie's I'm gonna murder fifty people thing. No. Yeah. And I and I just there's something there that like revenge is taken as such a like well, that's just what you do. If someone kills your friend, you go kill seventy-five people, and you then you murder them. I mean, like, that's what fair, you do. They, they they just they don't view it as revenge. They call it justice, basically. Well, and that's why I wish it was a little more interrogated. But this is my point: is that so? So for a lot of the Ellie part, I was a little frustrated because it wasn't doing that. And what something clicked for me that doesn't completely erase my complaint there, but starts to address it is in the when you get to the Nora sequence. I was very in the mode of like. Man, I'm not on board with Ellie's doing. I'm having to play the game, so I'm having to make her do these things. But I really don't like it at this point. I'm, I don't, get, you know, I don't want her to go kill this Nora woman. I don't know what this Nora woman did. Blah blah blah. But you get to that section, you drop, and then she's she's running and running and running, and you have to chase her and chase her and chase her. And I was like, God, get back here, you fucking asshole. Mm-hmm. And I was like, God, why won't she just stop so I can beat you with this club? Yeah. And I was like, Oh, 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 shit. And that's what the rest of the game is about. Yeah, yeah, it is in a big way. Like that's the gameplay point of Last of Us Two. Yeah, and and there is something really fascinating about like it is it is about pushing pushing that like inherent player bias to its absolute fucking breaking point. Yes, again, to the in that like maybe it goes over the top, but there's something useful to me about it just being like no, like this we're going to push it that like it is impossible. I cannot 
fathom the player who plays this game that does not hit some point where the game is asking you to do something about pushing a button that you absolutely do not want to do. Yes. And you like resist pushing the button because the game is putting that player bias and empathy so far on you. Um, in, in with different characters, different combinations, which is interesting. But yes, but it, and it, but it has that effect because I had the same thing of where it's like, I don't want to kill Nora because Nora is also like of, of the more disposable um, set of Abby's friends because there's like Nora, there's the Vita girl, there's the dude with the scar. Like there's a couple of them that are just like random people that don't have a lot of story material around them. Nora is the one that is like the most interesting and I feel like the performance there immediately makes her this very likable person. So it's just like, I don't want to kill this lady. But yeah, once she starts running away... And there is, there's this feeling of, like, a dog chasing a mailman or something. Like, you don't even know, like, why you're getting so amped up about it. But there is this sense of, I'm, you're, like, running through these hallways, bursting through doors, kicking shit over. Um, Ellie is just shouting at this woman to get back here. Stop. You can't escape this. I'm going to kill you. All this stuff. And there's something just, like, inherently exciting and adrenaline pumping. And, and you've spent all this time and, like, she's the first solid lead you've fucking gotten. Yes. Yeah. And, and you've spent, like... like 10 hours crawling through mud, sneaking past clickers and all this shit to finally get to this lady and she's running away. And and knowing that she's like a ticking bomb that like eventually she's going to die from this infection. Yes. So I so she gets away, she's you will never get anything out of her. Yep. And and that is the start of this kind of interesting transformation for me that goes on through the Abby stuff also cuz you know that I think it's ultimate I think the ultimate moment of that for me is when there's a boss fight at the end of Abby's section that is just Ellie. And yeah. Ellie is the boss. And as Abby, I 100% wanted to take that bitch down. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> using, using the word bitch in a, in a respectful way. In the way that Abby would. Abby would. Yes. yes this is my these point. Are, yeah, you're speaking through Abby. Yes. Um, but yeah. So, I mean, so the, the Ellie section ends with you finally getting to that aquarium, which you'll yes. get to know painstakingly, maybe a little too well, through the <laughs> Abby section. Um, and you kill uh, the worst character in any Naughty Dog game, Owen. <laughs> Fuck Owen. <laughs> Fuck that dude. We'll Again, I so need to replay that section because I had no idea who Owen was really. Yeah. Like I was like, is that the dude who was like at the beginning of the game that like there's some weird tension between him and Abby? Um, I think yeah. maybe. I don't really remember. Um, and then because like while I was playing through the Abby sequence, I was like, what did I can't remember? Was Owen the other person that was there that that Ellie killed in the aquarium? Because it's like, I kind of want Abby to... Because I, I, I want to kill... I want to have the satisfaction. Most of these characters, I don't really want to kill in the story. Owen, that dude fucking... I'm glad to hear that. It. We'll get to Owen. Um, but you, you kill Owen and Abby, and Abby's pregnant, and it makes... Or Mel. Mel? Yeah, oh, Mel. Yes. Yeah, you don't yeah. kill Abby. That'd be weird, because yes. you play as Abby. Um, yeah, Mel. And uh, Mel is pregnant, and this causes Ellie to have a breakdown. Um, did that moment fully work for you? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because I think a big part of it is is the the paralleling with Dina, right? Yeah. That, that, that I think that is the moment for because it it is just like it's such like a taboo thing. Like it's so like it is if there is something that is truly morally unconscionable, like killing a pregnant woman, is that thing like that? It's just like for I, most people, you're saying it's like yeah, yes, yeah. yeah that's like it's it's. I mean, it's, it's a universally agreed upon. Taboo, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it's something that I think is just like fucking in, in like a primal evolutionary sense. Like, yes. it's just this, you, there is no way to make an excuse for it, right? There's no... And it's, it's also, 
it is 100% gratuitous on Ellie's part. She doesn't yeah. need to do it. It is completely like, like these people, she doesn't know them. She doesn't know if they deserve it. They, I guess she they were... She thinks th- they're probably attached to Joel's killing, but it's like, but yeah. it's not Abby. Like Mel, yeah. Mel is the one that had the least part in any of it. Like Mel doesn't yeah. kick Ellie on the ground. Mel yeah. doesn't spit on Joel's body. Yeah. Um, so, so it is so like unearned in that sense. Yeah, yeah I, I think the only thing is, it, there is... It is still this tension I have with, you know, and this is something that is not unique to the to this game. It is not unique to Naughty Dog. It is a thing the industry is still figuring out, which is when you are tackling themes this serious and you also have a highly developed, you know, gameplay set of things in the game and you need to have your game have like enough enemies and combat encounters to justify that, you inevitably are going to have some at least little bit of disconnect between I've done a lot of awful things as this character and this is the awful thing that pushes me over the edge. And I can broadly agree that this would be the awful thing that pushes Ellie over the edge because of pregnant woman plus, boy, she didn't need to kill either of those people yeah. at all. Plus, Dina is back at the theater also pregnant. pregnant yes. So it is like this weird, she has murdered Dina in this yeah. like symbolic way. But I still felt a little bit of, because like I was still thinking of, that, like there's, there's this one sequence in the game that I think, like some of the combat encounters, there's just like so many people and, and like segments to it. Like, um... There's the one where you're going through, it's with Jesse, the, the residential area, and you mm. keep going. I, and I think it's a phenomenal combat encounter, but I also think it's like way over the top in how you keep going down these successive ridges and like you must kill like 30 people. Like it's it's insane. And and like the amount of like blood on your hands that is not then acknowledged in the story. And I guess you could say maybe it all hits Ellie at that point, but there was just this little bit of tension there that you know, for instance, like there's The Last of Us One didn't hit me that way with like that kind of tension, and I don't. It, it's you know, it's it's this is one of those like crimes of ambition thing, mm-hmm. but it's it's interesting to me. I don't yeah. I don't know exactly how to feel about it, even though I do broadly agree that the scene is effective. Yeah, I mean, I guess I didn't have that much of the like because I think the game does a good job of justifying why the killings that happen in the story sequences are materially different than you like slitting the throats of patrolling guards on your way to get somewhere else because also lots of those encounters like it's you can't do a pacifist run there's no playthrough of this game no. where you don't kill anybody but but the wide open encounters you can stealth through those like you don't you don't have to kill people in the big like here's like this huge open area um, that you have to get to this other side because every time you get to one of those like if you can tell it's an encounter that you could technically stealth through. If once you get to the end of the encounter, Ellie like slowly opens the door and like is like breathing and like nervous and closes the door and like jams it. And it's like oh, and then can move on because it is the cutscene that would play if you snuck past it. And like now enemies from that area cannot get into where you are. Um, so like the amount of bodies at least that you produce is dependent on the player and like your your chosen. Player. Sure, I, I don't. I it's. I, I just don't. I just don't fully buy that. Like, yes, you can technically do it, but like, I think very few people are going to be able to like do the like. So the reason why I specifically say that is that there was a moment in the story when I was Abby that I like was I was motivated because I you know because because my real answer to that question is it's a video game and to me like it those two things just don't like really bleed into each other for me. Um, so it's like I don't have. It doesn't matter to me that, like, I, I killed 
these 15 people or whatever and then the story sequence it is this like oh I, I murdered this person because i do think the cutscene does a good enough job and the gameplay stuff is isolated in its own way and i've played a billion video games and it's it's fine for me um but there was a moment where it did bleed in later in the game when i'm with lev and then i'm on the seraphites island and it's like, am I really going to like murder all these people on their own island just to go? Or I'm sure, yeah, I had Yara, and I snuck through every encounter, didn't kill anybody on my way to get to Yara, and it, and it wasn't not because that's how I want to play these games because I don't like just sneaking through. Um, I I I, perf- I enjoy the process of moving through those stealth sequences and b- eliminating all the enemies in the area. Like I like that process in playing these kinds of games. And the narrative justified it for me enough that I changed the way I played, which that was like I had like the opposite effect on me. No, and I like and I, I really like that on the island they allow that. When yeah. I when I noticed that these are open areas, that there's not a giant door that's gonna make a sound when you open and they're all gonna come after you. Like I liked that. Mm-hmm. Um But I don't know. It's just like I generally agree with you, Sean, that this kind of thing doesn't bother me. Like when people complain about this in Uncharted, I think it's the stupidest fucking thing because yeah. Uncharted just flagrantly on its face does not ask you to think about it. Like, it's just not... It's it's a gamic thing. It's it's like Mario. Mario does not get to the end of the level and then look at his shoe and see all the Goomba goop on it and, like, start to cry and break down from all the Goombas he stopped. Yeah. That's what Uncharted is. Like, it's just Or not... Pokemon doesn't ask you to think about, like, the morals of cockfighting. Yeah, yeah, and if you get hung up on that with Pokemon, you're, you're performatively being hung up on it, right? Yeah. I mm-hmm. think that. But The Last of Us and The Last of Us 2 are, like, they're... There is so they they work so hard to connect those halves and make it seamless and like you know connected and and that it all is is part of a continuous world and it is so together that I would like this is not me dismissing the game but it is something like I would I think Naughty Dog has the skills to work on this more and I would love to see if make another game not necessarily Last of Us three but in this kind of darker mode. They are smart and creative enough. I would love to see them try to figure this out more. I think mm-hmm. it is a is a worthy challenge, especially because in terms of connecting those two halves, I do think Last of Us 1 did it better than Last of Us 2. So I would be curious to see if they could do that more. Um, but it's not that's not me saying then I hate and find Last of Us 2 worthless because of that. It's just a tension that is there for me in this one that, you know, when we reviewed Uncharted 4, obviously was not. In fact, we both said Uncharted 4 should have had more combat. <laughs> yes, yeah. That's like, like, Last of Us 2 is the opposite of that. <laughs> Uncharted 4, that there's too many of those sequences in Last of Us 2. Yeah, absolutely, yes. Yeah. So anyway, um, but that's the Ellie section. Do you want to talk about the Abby section? Yeah. The Abby section is fucking great and it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. And just the... So, you know, you go through the... And I think the broad arc of the Ellie section, even if it's too long... Does, I think, prime you pretty well for this in that I pretty well hated Ellie by the end of that section. Yes. I was not on board with her mission. I hated everything I had done. And yeah, so when you. Specifically, it's the moment where, again, when Jesse comes in and Jesse immediately, as soon as he finds out, prioritizes Dina in her pregnancy and, like, we yeah. have to leave. Like, it's yeah. this revenge thing is nice, justice or whatever you're going for, Ellie, but we, it's time to go. And Ellie says, like, agrees. And you know that she's not, but she yeah. she tells Jesse that she'll leave, and then it's that moment where she like basically abandons Jesse to continue her quest of revenge. Where for me it's like, yep, yeah. you're sorry, Ellie. You have now. This is like you have gone too far. Like there's no the, the, like what you are doing now isn't even about revenge. It is about your weird hangups with your own insecurities about your relationship with Dina. Now that Jesse's back and her being pregnant, yeah. it's about your weird. It's like your own weird hangups around 
um, your complicity in the things that Joel did while he was alive and you feeling like in some way responsible for that. Um, and it is like you you are you have so lost sight of what you're trying to do. Well, because when Abby comes in and, and you do not at this point fully know why Abby did what she did, but you you've pieced it together pretty well yeah. in that she had some connection to the fireflies. And and Ellie, you know, stands up with her hands up and is like, No, no, you want me I'm the one, you know, Joel did that for me. I'm the one you want. And and Abby looks at her like a fucking alien. And you just can hear Abby thinking inside, she doesn't get it. Yeah. Good God, this girl doesn't fucking get it. And Abby has that line of like, we left you alive. You wasted it. And then you cut and now you're playing as Abby. And I felt very primed to see a new point of view and play that way. And was in th- and yeah. just to have a new narrative turn, frankly. But also like to see that other side of things. Because I also knew it was coming. But like... I felt really ready for that. And I think that's that's good. Because obviously if the game had been Abby kills Joel and then you immediately like as Ellie is screaming it like pans over and you start controlling Abby as she cleans off the golf club. <laughs> that would be a really jarring way to do it, yeah. right? And you probably would not be all that on board for it. But this way, and then of course the whole Abby section is going through and meeting all the people Ellie brutally murdered. Yep. And kind of seeing this world that you know, Ellie only saw on kind of its hostile front facing side and seeing its inner workings. And ultimately it is, it is more of in some ways the like sequel that I always thought last of us should have, which is an anthology sequel that Mm -hmm. is like a new story in this world. Absolutely. And that's what it winds up being. And she is sort of our Joel avatar. Lev is kind of our Ellie avatar. And it is this sort of redemption story for Abby that even though they, they kind of map onto the Joel and Ellie archetypes, Joel certainly does not have, and Ellie certainly does not have. Yeah, I, yeah. there's so much smart that they do here. Um, yes. One is, I really loved how little the Joel and Ellie stuff mattered in Abby's section. Me too. I like that. I... Like, it's months later, the, Abby's basically over it, right? I mean, she still has the, so those nightmares about her dad, but like it becomes... That becomes connected less to specifically Joel, and it's more just this feeling of guilt that she has for all the things that she's done and the things that she's been complicit in, which then motivates her to be the Joel surrogate, effectively for Lev. Um, but yeah, but like outside of those like broad connections, it's not her like sitting and fucking like brooding about oh like the price of revenge was too much to do this. Like, was, was it truly, did I get the catharsis I was thinking by killing Joel? Like, no, she didn't really get the catharsis, catharsis she was seeking. She got maybe a part of it in some way. Um, or it like allowed her to move to the next step of actually seeking that catharsis because the Joel thing was no longer an option. Um, but it, it, it it's not dwelling on that constantly, which I think would have been too much of a downer and it would have just prevented Abby's story from being Abby's story. And I also like that you only get a couple of those cute little nods of that there's something else going on that like you you hear a couple of things that that there's like some weird intruders around but Abby doesn't deal with Ellie or Tommy at all until the ending of that section when Tommy kills Manny and all that shit yeah um, i mean it it yeah. lets it, it it feels like this is almost like two games in one yes that then have a combined ending sort of thing mm-hmm. you know it feels like this could almost be like the old sonic adventure 2 thing of yeah. play your hero side and your dark side and then you get the ultimate ending at the end or it or it's sonic and knuckles and and yeah. you just put another blu-ray disc on top because it comes with two blu-rays if you, you put your one blu-ray disc on top of your other one and put it in i actually meant to ask you that because i got it digitally did you get it physically? i got it digitally oh you got it digitally okay yeah. i didn't know if this shipped on two discs or not it, it looked like it was big enough for i think because it, it's like 70 gigabits or something yeah. So yeah. but some games are like 150 and still ship on one and just have 
having downloaded. Oh yeah, just having so, downloaded like so. yeah, like three games worth of content. Like yeah. I don't think Modern Warfare is on two discs, but it's no. fucking huge. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, but I was curious about that. Yes, that would be funny if you just tape the Blu-rays together and put them in, and it's yeah. And your PS4 explodes, and you're like, okay, that's that's not how this works. All right. Um, but yes, uh, very much like we were at this point in the last generation, we're fine. We're in the two disc mode of the generation. Yes, yeah. Just, yeah. You know, eventually we'll have our one three disc. I wish Final Fantasy VII remake came on three discs, <laughs> yes. just to like really push it home. It's like we're we're here again. Maybe Final Fantasy remake part six in a, in 10, fifteen years. We'll do that. Yeah, three ultra HD Blu-rays. It's fucking like three hundred gigabyte game. game. Yes. God. Um, Any who. Yeah, so the Abbey section very much even mirrors the overall like format of a Last of Us game, of this kind of Naughty yes. Dog game, where it starts with like very little combat, you walk around your environment, you talk to people, you, you get your like weapons together. I, I liked that, you know, from the beginning you have a much bigger arsenal as um, like the playstyles are so different. Yes, yeah, that you get your pistol and you get that like semi automatic like military rifle yes. yeah, immediately and like a bunch of ammo. Yeah. Um, she's got who's the guy she's with Manny Manny yeah. yeah I love Manny it's, Manny's a good guy because yeah, you have that moment where because she and Manny are rooming together and you go into that room and then I was like looking around the room and looking there's all these like samurai movie posters and stuff on the wall I'm like that's weird like Abby just doesn't seem like a character and then I realized oh I'm looking at Manny's side of the room Abby's side has nothing but like a picture of her dad like yes, yes. this seems like who Abby is as a character yeah. Um, and then, yeah, like, Manny just... I love he has that moment where he's like, man, I just want to get back home and watch some anime. Like, yep. what are we doing out here? Like, so, hard agree, Manny. So does the Abby section... I know it's pretty early. Does it start with the thing with her dad? Yes. Yeah, it starts with that flashback. Okay. That's a great flashback. Yeah, which is another... because So they do a lot to parallel Abby with Joel. Um, but there are lots of... There are multiple key differences. One of the main ones being that Abby is a human being with a moral center. Yes. Um, as opposed to someone who is a nihilistic fucking murderer like Joel. Um, but one of those is it starts like the first game with a flashback to this sort of tragedy that informs who she is as a person. With Joel, it was the death of his daughter... With Abby, it is the death of her cool dad um, by the death of the bad, or by the murderous bad dad of Joel. Yes. So bad dad kills cool dad and sets off Abby to kill bad dad. But it's, you know, it's a very naughty dog. Like, naughty dog, it's kind of funny to remember that, like, the pre-Left Behind games didn't do this a ton, where you're yeah. just walking around and looking at stuff and talking. Because even Last of Us 1 doesn't have as much of that. Yeah, no, some yeah. of that, obviously. But, like, Left Behind really is the one where they're like, they played Gone Home, and then they're like, let's do that. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, all their games after that, that's such a central point of all of them. Mm -hmm. But you get that, and, like, there's a whole thing with the state quarters that he picks up, and that that's the one collectible thing I liked, is that that's so tied yeah. to her character. Like, Ellie getting cool trading cards broadly fits that Ellie likes old pop culture stuff. Mm -hmm. But with Abby it being this thing that she and her dad did. And like my dad did that with yes. State Quarters when those were coming out. So like that just felt like such a great character connection. Yeah, and it's just like one thing I like about Abby um, compared to the normal Naughty Dog protagonist is that they're usually fairly like eccentric like a Nathan Drake is, like especially Ellie. And then Joel has his own eccentricities and how like one he has like this good old boy Texas thing to him and then he also has I'm like evil murder man. Um, <laughs> whereas like Abby is like I, the thing I love about Abby is she doesn't have any of that. She's just like feels like a fairly like average person who's like her hobbies are collecting state quarters and working out 
Like, yeah. and those are the two things she does. You know, and, and then maybe she goes to the movies every once in a while, but she's not like into movies, right? She's just like, yeah, I, yeah like I'll go watch the movies and then I'll go work on my fucking abs and then I'll fucking yes. drink a protein shake. I like that that in, and I also like how they kind of characterize that because the most notable thing about Abby's visual design, you know, when you meet her as an adult is. Is that she is fucking ripped. Yeah, she is built like a brick fucking house. And it's especially contrasted with Ellie, who's so, like, slight. Yeah, and has this, like, very slender build. I mean, it is especially notable when you go back to playing as Ellie after you played as Abby. That's like, right, Ellie is, like, this little tiny person. Like, she's, like, five foot seven or something and has to jump on someone. Like, that's why she has to slit everyone's throats. She couldn't choke someone out. Exactly. And it's, it's... To the point where I noticed, like, if there's one, like, thing that... I, I think like in human design game graphics still quaint art at is the the like rippling muscle stuff sometimes feels a little like off a little mm-hmm. bit in terms of human proportions in some yeah. moments. But like again, crime of ambition, it's well, still I very mean, cool. Well specifically Abby's um modeled after a female bodybuilder. So yeah. it's like so she has like it, it is like an extreme it's maybe a like slightly unrealistic physique like I you know, even if she's if living in like a relatively stable society with a gym and would have like supplements and protein shit and stuff like I still don't think you'd have like the free time to get that level of just fucking jacked in yes. the post-apocalypse and I think in some moments it looks better than others but yeah. it's still it's very cool but I like that when she's with her dad she is just more fit than the average person she's not yeah she, she has like this very kind of stocky build like she yeah. looks like she could play like football or something right but but obviously this became an obsession for her after yeah. her dad died um, but yeah the whole scene with the dad is just a very good normal naughty dog scene and then leading to the the thing with the zebra, um, which overall there is there's a level of violence against animals in this game I don't like, but the zebra scene, if that were like it, I would be okay with because I think that's a really good scene. Well, it, and it's, it's about just, empathy I mean, towards you, an yeah, animal. It's you're trying to help the yes. zebra. And yeah. I mean it's it's I think a very effective way to immediately establish him his good dad yes. is like he goes out of his way to help the zebra that just gave birth. Yes, exactly. And I like that. If if I had not if I did not have the sour taste in my mouth of killing fifty dogs, I you know, wouldn't have it wouldn't have bothered me as much. But predictably, as I said on the last podcast, the dog stuff did not bother me. I fucking hate it so much. But whatever. I, I just said my piece on that. I don't think the game should do that. Um but yeah, so so you have the zebra thing and then going to the hospital and then that whole sequence and just immediate like, you know, there is the the easy thing of like Oh, just make the guy Joel killed a really good dude, and like that makes you sympathize. But it's more about seeing it from Abby's point of view, and that this yeah. guy was her whole world, and that and that he was a pretty good dude, and that he was a pretty good dude, and that Joel did some because like, also in that scene, it's so unnecessary that Joel kills him. There's yeah. there's utterly no reason for him to do it. He could just shove like that guy wasn't going to put up a fight against Joel. Yeah, like, yeah, he like has a little scalpel. It's like yeah. great. Yeah, like, Joel could like yeah. break his wrist and then leave like that. Yes. You know, and he'd live. Um, it it's it's it reminds you of all that. I had to when I saw that scene. I, I went back and watched the scene from Last of Us One because I didn't remember which guy he was. And he's the guy you don't control because there's two other doctors you can kill or not. Yeah. But he's the guy who in the like cutscene portion, Joel I think just like slices his throat open. Yeah. It's uh, very brutal. So yeah. So immediately like there is this kind of radical empathy that is put in place, and this is something I think so much of the Abby section of the game is about is that once you are put behind the eyes of a of a character you start to empathize with them yeah and once you're put behind the eyes of a character in a naughty dog game where all this characterization is constantly undergoing you know it's it's amazing how much that trauma of her killing joel kind of slips away while mm-hmm. you're playing and you're just kind of on board with her and you immediately start to get okay i get why she did this and this and this you know yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's I think extremely effective um, in in all the yeah in in the way it sort of uses the protagonist effect on the player to just immediately establish that sympathy, and then and then giving that sort of that paralleling with uh, Joel's protagonist role from the first game in so many like small ways. And then also having everything from the game branch out from that, like, you know, the original sin of Last of Us 2 is Joel's choice at the end of the first game. And having both all of, like, the what feels like the motivating trauma behind Ellie isn't just Joel's death. It is Joel's choice in dealing yes. with all of that. And it's the same thing with Abby. That, that, that choice that Joel made, um, this awful decision he made... The Last of Us Two is about the consequences in a broad sense of what that choice brings about. Yes, exactly. It's it's why it's The Last of Us Part Two. It's yes. you know it's it it makes the because I think there are a couple roads they could have walked you know with the Last of Us sequel because I think you and I both thought at the time and probably would still agree that just a conventional sequel to The Last of Us is completely unnecessary. Yeah, if there was a Last of Us Part 2 where it was you were playing as Joel again, I don't think there is a good way to make that game. I just don't no. think it's possible. And so, you know, at that point, you have kind of two directions you can go. You can do the anthology thing where you just... It's another story in this world. And that could have been an A-plus game. Yeah, because that could be anything. Yes, yeah, that could be anything. It's just a new game that is borrowing some of the fiction and borrowing the name. Yeah. Or you can do... Well, we're going to take the most important thing that happened in Last of Us 1 and critically interrogate it for 30 hours. Yeah. And that's what they choose. And, you know, I'm not, I don't know what the parallel world where that is, but I think that was ultimately like kind of the most responsible decision. Mm-hmm. In, and I, again, want to go back to, you know, the framing you gave us earlier about all the sort of like dark male antihero stories, so many of which give their characters a nominal comeuppance. Or give their characters a true comeuppance, but it's like it's it's ambiguous enough that people read into it the wrong things. Yeah. Or don't give them a comeuppance at all. There's lots of those. Dexter. Yes. Um, <laughs> just just God. Like, did you imagine they did done the cliche like we can't we don't know how to deal with this character because we we are don't have like the balls to actually condemn this awful character that we've made. So let's do the they die and then it's revealed at the last second that they faked their death which is yeah. the worst shit yeah Joel becomes a lumberjack yeah exactly yeah they don't do that but like but Last of Us 2 is very radically about let's take these bad things that happened and that's just what this game is about and I think the Abby section is the most affecting because it's about someone Joel and Ellie never even thought about in all of this is yeah. like like who's left behind <laughs> left behind from all of that and that's Abby and and yeah, and then you get to play this whole other side of the world in Seattle, and you learn who the Seraphites are. They call them the Scars. You learn about the the, the WLF organization. Then it's got some pretty shady leadership, but it's full of just it's very much like Jackson, just a little more real, you know, militaristic. Yeah. In that it's a kind of life goes on society. There's the whole thing in the mess hall where they're eating burritos and stuff, and it's just like there's this kind of weird normalcy. I love that they're in the mess hall, and it's a food court. Yes. Too. Yes. Funny. Yeah. It, it, I love that moment where, like, because I kept on going through these like areas and like, there's something like really familiar. What are they? And then you go through this door and see this big window. And, like, oh, they're in a fucking football stadium. Like, yes, that's why. Like, all these hallways look this way. Um, and yeah, that's why they're in this like kind of food yeah. court area that's inside the stadium. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, and then you know, I think the the gameplay also just I think hits another level in the Abbey section because. It's actually kind of the inverse of what Last of Us 1 did, where Last of Us 1, it's all Joel for the first half, and then it's kind of an even split in the second half. Yeah. And it gets harder with Ellie because Ellie is weaker, 
But what they do here is they make it harder for Abby because Abby is stronger. So they kind of just dial everything up a little bit. Like the Seraphites are much more difficult enemies yeah. than your the, the normal than the wolves are for Ellie. Um, she the zombie encounters tend to be more intense with Abby, yeah. and you also just kind of have you you have roughly the same number of like tool slots, but Abby's tools tend to be stronger. Yeah, and I mean one of the things they do that I think is really satisfying from a game design point of view is that all of Ellie's section is like teaching you different mechanics and enemy types and all that so it's like by the time you get to the end of ellie's section outside of the couple like the unique things that abby can do you have seen the breadth of what like the gameplay mechanics and things have to offer you've seen what the seraphite enemies are like you've seen um with the exception of the one boss battle you've seen every type of infected you've seen both of the new infected the bloated one i think they're just called bloaters or whatever i mean the ones no, there's that, the bloaters and there's the yeah the bloaters are from the first game there's like the ones that just yeah. like explode i forget um, what they're called yeah but, yeah but there's those guys um and then there's the stalkers which are good fight we'll talk about because eventually we need to talk about like the gameplay stuff um but those guys are good but you've you, and so you've seen all of that and they've kind of tutorialized you on that and you've pulled the arrow out of your shoulder all that shit and so then once you switch to Abby, it's other again, other than the handful like unique upgrades and weapons that she has, the game's not introducing new enemy types and things to you. So it's just like giving you everything and giving you you have to like have mastery over everything now because it is not introducing new stuff, it's asking you to master the stuff that you've already encountered. And so all the gameplay stuff is accelerated. So you just like upgrade Abby way faster. You get way more scraps. So you're upgrading the weapons. You're getting weapons at a faster clip. So it's like there's no tutorializing. There's like a brief like ramp up to you getting access to all the stuff that Abby has access to. But but then like accelerating that versus like the very slow buildup that Ellie has. I found that just from like a game design perspective really satisfying. That it just kind of feels like it takes the training wheels off and you just like fucking go. Yes, exactly. Um, and there's just a lot of my favorite combat encounters in the game are in that second half yeah. because partially I just think the Seraphites are the best enemies in the game to fight. Mm-hmm. I think they're the most interesting. Like my favorite combat encounter with Ellie in the first half is the one that was in the E3 trailer a couple yes. of years ago where you're in like the parking garage and then kind of the city streets trying to avoid the Seraphites and you're in this just holy shit, what the fuck are these people mode, which uh-huh. is great, and that's really good. And then that's a lot of Abbeys, but you have more of the tools needed to kind of fight them. And they're they're just really fun to fight against. Yeah. And fun is a weird word to use with this game, but you know what I mean. It's They're like really satisfying encounters. Yes, yes, they're very good. She obviously has some of the best um, infected encounters, including the just... Well, you know what? We've borrowed a lot of Resident Evil in this game. We did the stuff with the safes. We've done a lot more with the notes. Like we've 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 embraced our inner Resident Evil in a lot of ways with this game. Let's go full Resident Evil and do a crazy giant zombie that feels like it could be like you know Mr. X from Resident yeah, Evil Two. Yeah, I, I want to see this thing fight fucking Nemesis. Yes. You know? Oh my god, that that encounter is extremely satisfying. Yeah, but just like the I because it's something that I wanted from the, ever since the first game because the whole lore around the infected is the longer you've been infected like the more mutated and stuff you become and so the bloaters which are the big fucked up ones though there's only a couple of them because that's like some of the first people infected that are not just like haven't just grown into the walls right and just become spore producers and so the idea that there's somewhere like deep in the bowels it's like the fucking balrog basically in lord of the rings like deep down here where nobody's been since the infection like nobody has been in the bottom of this hospital since outbreak day there is there is something down there, and when you push on the door a little bit, and fucking like Godzilla noises start coming from the other side of the room, you're like, oh, okay, okay, this is probably not good. 
And it is it is the punchline to that entire scene where you're in the bowels of the hospital and all of that, and then you fight the big thing, and then it, it a runner breaks off of it, and you have to fight that thing, and then you get out and you go through like the fucking ambulance and get out, and then I think I think she says something like. Uh, no one's ever going to believe me when I tell them about this. And I love that because she's alone for it. And like, yeah. yes, no one will believe her because it's such a crazy thing she went through. I think that's what sells it in the reality of this world is Abby realizing, oh, fuck, no one's going to believe this is the reality of this world. Yes, yeah. And it's just it's just a satisfying way to pay off a small detail from the lore yeah. that there is always this potential for something that is beyond... The, that bloater it's level been 25 time. years I mean yes. that's what I like about like that's the part where the game I think uses the amount of time of this infection to like really nail home like it's been a long time and and most of these things people don't encounter because to survive they would have to be away from people mm-hmm. that's yeah they are and and it's this big crazy Resident Evil thing so yeah and you're building up to it by reading all these notes and things yeah. left behind from these doctors in the emergency room dealing with the initial yeah. outbreak in Seattle um, yeah, and then that moment, because, because the, also the way they set it up is you push on that door and you get the Godzilla noises, and then you go through a whole sequence and you turn on the, the generator, and then when you, and if you're like me, the whole time you're just thinking about, I'm going to have to go see what's behind that door, like that's going to be the yeah. next thing that happens, um, and they're going to force me to go through that door to find the supplies or whatever I need. And then you go back into the room where the door is, and the door's just broken open, and there's a fucking blood trail on the ground leading outside, and you're yep. like, oh, fuck. Because uh, so it's, you know, Naughty Dog doesn't do a lot of traditional boss fights. And the ones they, like, the early Uncharted games did it a little bit in near the end. Bad. And they're bad. Yeah. And then I feel like Uncharted 4 and Lost Legacy really don't. They do kind of the quick time event stuff. Yeah, Uncharted but... 4 has, like, the very cinematic sword fight at the yes. end. But it's not really a boss fight boss no, fight. No, and, and I, that's the right choice, I yeah. think. And Last of Us 1, I think, does it smartly with the... the the Nolan North character where yeah. you're in the bar and he's stalking you. That's a great fight. And then this one is all, is really, though, the first time Naughty Dog has gone full bore Resident Evil-style giant arena boss fight. And yeah, it's where so you just good. have to take all the supplies you've been very carefully scavenging for the past 10 hours and just blow them all on this one fucking yep. thing. And, and, like, run around the area and learn the area where you can kind of get through and, like, do a loop and, yeah. like, find more stuff. And it certainly t- took me several tries. We actually haven't told people what we played it on. I played it on hard. I played it on hard also. Okay, yeah. yeah. I, I, want, I would thought about doing Survivor, but I was like, I'm probably going to play this game again, so I want to yeah. leave a harder difficulty. I started on Survivor, and here's the weird thing. In Last of Us 1, Survivor turns off listening mode. Yeah. It doesn't anymore. It's yeah, always I need- there. I think reading that because I knew that going in which I don't know why they decided to do that but that was the reason why I was like I don't need to play on Survivor that was me too because so I started on Survivor and through Joel's death I played on Survivor and then I turned it off because I'm like this is just kind of punishingly difficult but it doesn't really change the experience Yeah, and I don't know why they did that either because the sound design is even better in Last of Us 2 yeah because I mean honestly I barely used the listen mode me too yeah because it feels like it's not I mean, it wasn't necessary in Last of Us 1, but it felt more... Because, I mean, one thing they do do is they depower the listen mode. And you, if you want to make it as effective as it was in the first game, you have to spend resources to level it up. Which I think is a smart choice. That It's, like, it's not that useful outside of if there's like yeah. a lot of enemies behind walls that are close to you. It can kind of help you get your bearings, but you're not... Yeah. Like, unless you upgrade it. And since I was like, I don't need that. I'll, I'll use it for other stuff. I almost never upgraded it unless I wanted a further upgrade down that path. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's weird. I, I, I wish that survivors still turned it off because I would have yeah. picked it if that was the case. I, I, I thought for a second they might... So, so Last of Us 1 Remastered has a bonus mode called Grounded, which is even harder than Survivor. And I saw, thought, oh, when I beat the game, do I unlock Grounded? But it's just not... No. I wonder if it's going to be in a DLC at some point. Yeah. 
We'll see. Um, it's weird. Anywho, yeah, but but hard was I thought well proportioned. Yes, like I, I would recommend that people play it on that difficulty. Yeah, it gave me the challenge I wanted. Mm-hmm. So like like with that boss fight, I had to do it several times, and it was like, but in a not in a fuck this game way, in a okay, now I'm going to try this, and that's exciting way. Yes, yeah. yeah. So that's what you want. Um, okay, so so what else about Abby's story? Let's talk about some of the characters she runs into. Yeah, should we start with Owen? Yeah, let's let's fucking dig into that piece of shit. Is Owen meant to be as insufferable as he is, I or is so. it a miscalibrated character? I think he's supposed to because he is like Owen is like some of the other characters we talk about that he feels like a real person, but in a way that like real people are just are just like kind of shitty. He feels like the worst person in your college seminar who thinks yes. he knows everything and is sanctimonious as fuck. Yes, he yes he's he is this dude who's like. And it's funny because in a lot of aspects, like, he at least is advocating for way more sympathetic positions than most characters. Like, he's he's not pro-revenge. Like, he, he clearly was, like, never that on board with going and killing Joel. He's just like, well, all my friends are doing it, so I guess I'll do it, too. Um, friends don't let friends kill other people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's like Jesse, right? Je- like, Jesse is, like, the good version of Owen. Yes. Like, Jesse has that, like, conviction that it's like, I don't think Jesse thinks that going and getting revenge for Joel is the right thing to do. But as he says, his friends' problems are his problems or his friends can't get out of their own damn way, so Jesse will help him out. Um, But Owen is just like... It it feels like he is advocating for these positions that are like morally you would agree with, but he's not advocating for them from a point of conviction. He's advocating for them because he's like a flaky coward. And so like everything he does, all the relationships he has with people, specifically like Abby and Mel... Is just like it just feels like he goes with whatever is easiest and most convenient for him, and it's like, and and Abby can't see it in a way that feels very realistic because again, Abby is a woman who has two hobbies: working out and collecting quarters, and so it just doesn't feel like she's critical, like like thinks critically about the people in her life really. Um, so she's so it's like this is like the first person she ever had a crush on. And she's just going along with it until eventually it kind of gets broken. He's the dude around to fuck. Like that. There's yes. also like that aspect of it. Just, just he's there for that. Yeah, and and it's just and it's, he just fucking sucks. Like you, it's you. Even though they never say it, like I have 100. percent I'm convinced that he like slept with Mel while he was still in a relationship with Abby. Like I'm sure that he cheated on Abby with Mel, and then he cheats on Mel with Abby yeah. because he's just a fucking flaky dirtbag. Yeah. Fuck that dude. Fuck that dude. I I wish that... I just... There feels like there's something missing in the game where maybe like a moment where Abby more forcefully realizes that boy, she's put a lot on the line for this absolute goddamn loser. And, and I don't know. I... Because I agree that it feels sort of roughly realistic, but it also... If there's any bloat to me in the Abby section, it's that a lot of time is spent on Owen flashbacks where like... I, I would rather be learning more about Lev or something. Like, it's it's just there's a lot of room spent there. Now, I am a little biased on this because there was a section that glitched out horribly for me, which All is right. the aquarium section. The first time you go to the aquarium with Owen and you're walking around and you learn... And this is actually a part where I think the game is very aware of who Owen is because you learn the whole backstory of the dad who brought his family to the aquarium and wouldn't leave and eventually just died there. Yes. And that's who Owen becomes, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but... What happened is um, things stopped popping up for me, like the the trying, like the the interact with things. Weird. So I got fucking lost running around, and and I have virtually never encountered a significant glitch in a Naughty Dog game. So like I just wasn't prepared for the 
I need to restart the game thing. I just thought I wasn't finding something. And I was starting to think like, God, this game design sucks. Why can't I figure out where to go? Because like what I needed to do eventually to advance it was go to the body of the dad and pick up the letter. But it wouldn't. It, there was no indication. There was nothing. If I pressed triangle by it, nothing would happen. And finally I looked up a walkthrough. And I'm like, oh. And I restarted the game and it finally worked. But... So maybe I have a slightly biased view on how long that section is. Um, yeah, because yeah. that yeah, because that section does because I didn't I didn't encounter any like technical yeah. issues with the game. So yeah, that section didn't register I, as me yeah. as long. But but yes, there's 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 a lot of Owen and you know I think fuck that dude. but yes fuck that dude. I, I do think because I, I do think the moment where Abby tells him off um, and decides to go after Lev with Yara yeah. is a great moment because it, it is, is also it's just like. Because it's another example of his fucking hypocritical bullshit. Like, like Owen. Here's here's who Owen is. Owen is like the the platonic ideal of what Holden Caulfield talks about when he says that people are phonies in the Catcher in yes. the Rye. As someone who recently reread that book because I taught it, um, like it is like that is who Owen is. Which which means that he's Holden Caulfield all grown up. But like it is it is that like he's that fucking person. Um, so he has that whole bullshit about it's like oh I just I you know I had this realization I was fighting this terrified dude and he was just like an old man and I just couldn't kill him I just have, didn't have the stomach for it and then fucking Abby brings home to like like a like eighteen whoever however old Yara is and like a thirteen or fourteen year old seraphite like as they both call them, like kids it brings him here and then and Owen's like not cool with it and just like no fuck this like well, fuck you because you you're not you don't actually have a moral position. You just don't have the stomach to do whatever the shit is you are doing at the moment because you have no fucking foundation as a human being, you fucking dirtbag. And, 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 you know, Abby doesn't go through that whole thing, but it's like kind of actions speak louder than words. Yes. And it's just like I, her just leaving him there with Mel, the woman that he is, uh, has gotten pregnant because it's just easy for him to be in a relationship with her. It's like, fuck you, dude. It's fucking stay and here. And he's planning to abandon her. Yes, exactly. He's planning to abandon her and and their unborn child. And that was the moment where I'm like, okay, so yes, so Owen was the dude who's here when Ellie fucking kills the two people here. Thank God, you fucking piece of shit. And and that's where I just wonder if in the overall tapestry of the game, because so much of Abby's section is about learning, like, about the people, like, um, that that Ellie killed and, and gaining this empathy and sympathy. And then there's one person who you're really glad Ellie killed. That feels a little miscalibrated to me, but okay. I mean, it's like, it's eight people. One of them's going to be a piece of shit. <laughs> and, and that piece of shit is Owen, right? Yes. Like, because I do think, why couldn't you take a golf club to Owen's head? Yes, exactly. Like I wish that, yeah, I wish he was the one that, that Ellie fucking tortured. And then Ellie would torture him. And it's like, I don't know anything about this guy, but for some reason I just don't feel bad about it. I don't know. It felt way worse when I was torturing Nora. Yeah. So anyway, you have those characters. You learn a little bit more about Mel and stuff, but I think we, we kind of mentioned her. Um, but she's a good character. She's yeah. voiced by Aloy from uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. Yes, Ashley Birch. Ashley yeah. Birch, yes. Um, anyway, uh, then you have the, the real heart of the game, which is Yara and, and Lev. Yeah. Um, and I think Lev is just one of the great Naughty Dog character creations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. Lev absolutely, like, fills the hole of old Ellie yes. in this game. Um, that it's, yeah, this, like, like, Lev is an example of what I was saying, that Abby is, is just doesn't feel like an eccentric character. Yeah. Lev has some of those eccentricities of being from this weird cult and looking around and being like, what is this weird place? Like, what are all these people? And, and the way that he kind of teases Abby um, is really fun. 
Yes. And, you know, it's kind of funny because I remember when the trailer with Abby came out yeah. years and fucking years ago. Yeah, that was like 2017. And I thought, boy, that's a the ridiculously violent scene. And, yeah. like, I don't know. That's off-putting. And I still think that's a weird scene to have done as a trailer because it oh, is yeah, so yeah. off-putting. Because that's, like, one of the few examples where I feel like the way that they film it has that, like, oh, this is just... You are just, like, really lingering on the details of this woman getting her arm smashed in with a hammer. You're not, well, like... And, it's not out of focus. You're not cutting to black. It's just, like, here's, like, a fucking 30-second shot. And Abby getting hung. And, yes. like, like it is, it is really... Emphasizing the crazy death cult thing, right? Yeah. And I, I was, and it's same thing when I got there in the actual game. I was like, this game's had a lot. Do we need to ladle on crazy death cult and arm breaking and all that? And here's the thing, though, that's something I think the game justifies because that from that point on, this is what I wanted Last of Us Two to do throughout the Ellie section and and in other parts of the game. And this is where it finally does it, which is it becomes about empathy. Not just through the act of playing the game, but it becomes text of the story. Yeah. Where you you are introduced to something truly extreme in Crazy Death Cult. And you are, over the course of the next few hours, asked to begin to empathize with it through Yara and Lev. And that it's not just Lev hates this Crazy Death Cult and ran away. That was his family. That's how he grew up. He believes in their religion. He yeah. thinks there is beauty in it. He thinks it has been misled. He doesn't like the whole breaking arms part of it. But like... He's pre, you know you are not asked to reject that culture wholesale. You are not asked to hate that culture wholesale. You are asked to understand the good and bad of it. And and Abby is essentially like deprogrammed from hate through her relationship with Lev. Yeah. And that is the arc of that part of the game. And morality takes much more of a center stage and is part of the conversation. And like that's like I kind of breathed a sigh of relief when I saw the game was doing this because it is the light in the game I so desperately needed it to have. Yeah. And that's what that whole section provides and it's what Yara and Lev provide as characters, especially Lev. And it's and it is also like this sense of a journey of discovery that you don't get with Ellie because it's Ellie and you know her. Um, yes. Yeah. It's really good. And it's also just this like you said it is the sense of Abby is a character with a moral foundation. Like like yeah. that she is helping out Yara and Lev not because she needs to, but because she wants to, because she wants to help these people. Um, and, and, you know, and it starts out as them because they're just like both, they, it's a convenient partnership because they're both being hunted by the Seraphites. And so they, they partner up. Um, and then it becomes about some sort of sense of guilt for Abby that she has that dream about both of them hanging. Um, and that's where you get the disembowelings in the game because that's the thing that the Seraphites do. Um, and then it becomes about she like generally loves Lev and and wants to protect him, and it's not the Joel and Ellie relationship. Yes, because, because he she I think selflessly loves Lev. Yeah, exactly, and and she is motivated to continue a relationship out of a sense of guilt, a thing that I don't know if Joel has ever felt, um, at least post outbreak. I think he he feels it, and I think he is consciously deadened to it. And pushes it down because he believes that there's a higher, like, calling for his violence. Yeah, sure, yeah. I think he, like, technically understands that guilt is a thing that existed. Maybe he's felt it at some point. But he doesn't... But he, but he, you know, he never woke up screaming in the middle of the night and like, oh, oh, I should probably go help those two people that I abandoned on the side of the road. Um, because, because he didn't abandon them on the side of the road. He slit their throats and stole their food, you know? Right, right. yeah. Um, it's... And, and yeah, it, it, you get the sense that... Abby would actually like die for Lev if she had to. Oh, absolutely. Which, whereas Joel would kill 
to make sure they were still together, which is the the big difference. Yeah, and and, and that I think put in the same scenario. I think Abby absolutely would let Lev die for, like, the cure. Because it was something that she would know that Lev would want, right? Well, she would at the very least talk to Lev and yes. get his opinion on it. I don't yeah, know yeah, if that she if, would... if it was a thing that Lev wanted, yes, she yes. would do it. Because yeah. there's no question that that's what Ellie wanted. Yeah. Um, yeah, and Joel didn't even try to have the conversation. He yes. just jumped straight to mass murder. And yeah, so so it's it's really great. I think Lev as a character, I love that performance. I think it's a really special performance. Um, Yara as well they're just such unique characters they're so well written um, I love getting to see all the Seraphite culture like my favorite stretch of the game by far is the part where you are going to get the supplies for Yara's surgery yeah. and so you wind up climbing up and up and up to get to the skyscraper where they've built these sky bridges that is I think the coolest visual stuff in the game yeah. all the design where you get above where the where the wolves usually go, so you get all the Seraphite carvings and stuff, and like and Lev's whole thing of like, well, how do you think we moved around so quickly? And like, you guys don't look up, so here we are. And yeah. it's just it's such a cool idea. The whole thing where you're climbing across the bridge is one of those great Naughty Dog set pieces. Yeah, what they do to sort of sell um, uh, Abby's fear of heights of because it's obviously like it's showpiece there, and I you know I had a little bit of fear of heights when I was a kid, but I got over it. But I can only imagine if you're someone that had that kind of fear of heights playing this section of the game has got to be pretty fucking hard to get through because it really does it but it's like also just baked through the gameplay of that whenever you are somewhere up considerably high and you're playing as Abby and if you turn the camera and look over the edge there's a vertigo effect um, that play that they do with the camera um, and she starts like breathing harder and stuff it's it's really effective how, how well they sell that part of her character yeah, oh absolutely it's it's definitely the most for this game of like let's pour some uncharted in this bitch yeah like like it very much feels like this big crazy set piece that would be more suited to uncharted but because of how they've established the seraphites and the kind of gnarly way they do it yeah and that fear of heights thing grounds it in the last of us universe i love it yeah it's so good and it's just it's it's a great section it's a little it's a little bit of a bummer that like most of abby's story is spent getting the supplies to save a girl who dies like five minutes later but it had you know but also yara is fucking badass as shit she is like she gets that arm amputated and the next day she's running around climbing up ladders <laughs> it's like fuck lady no it's oh my like, god yeah to be clear that's not an actual complaint yeah. i have it's a intentional dramatic irony but um yeah no she's awesome um you know, and then, you know, I think we should talk about that this is a game that, that foregrounds diversity in a way that does not feel cloying to me. Yeah. Or, like, it is trying to ask for brownie points. It is, we already knew Ellie was gay, so just continue with that. Yeah. And make a sort of, you know, a blossoming gay romance be a kind of center point of that first half of the game that is not tied to violence against them. You know, yeah, and and it is it is not treated as something that is like, oh, look at this lesbian. You know, it's not blue is the warmest color, shit like that, right? It's yes. not like it's again, it's not fetishizing. They their don't, they don't have a scene like in blue is the warmest color or like seven scenes because blue is the warmest color of one of them like eating ravenously and looking at them and just the the word cunnilingus appears on screen. In, uh-huh. It doesn't actually do that in blue is the warmest color, but if you haven't seen that movie, yes, they do have over and over again the character who learns she is lesbian is obsessed with eating like food like she's eating pussy and it's a weird thing in that movie yeah that was very much made by a man yes no exactly <laughs> so this avoids that problem that you definitely can see in like hbo stuff will do it occasionally like hollywood movies will do it that it, that if 
a gay romance is centered, it's going to be a gay romance between two women, and then it's going to be fetishized in a way that um, appeals to straight men, right? Yeah. Um, and this doesn't do that at all um, with them. And then Lev is a trans character. Yes. Played and, by a trans actor also. Yeah. I do think I weirdly saw a lot of people saying, um, if, if violence against trans people triggers you, don't worry, he's not targeted because he's trans. That's a total misreading of the game. He is 100% like chased because he comes out as trans and shaves his head that is the plot of the abbey section of the game yeah. is that this boy um has been living as a girl and and you through the whole yara backstory you hear this he he knew he was a boy he told that to yara she knowing what their society was told him to keep it in finally he couldn't shave his head and then they had to leave because they were being persecuted so that is th that trigger warning that i heard from multiple outlets was just wrong that is why he is targeted yeah, and there is the one section of the game where that kind of information is revealed to Abby effectively is through them deadnaming yeah, Lev. They yell Lily. Yes, and then you fucking brutally murder them all, which is like, yeah, fuck, fuck you. I, I will blow your leg off of the shotgun and not feel too bad about it for this for this one. Um, but yeah, like it, and so it does. So, so yes, it deals with that. That that is the plot of of that section. But it doesn't feel exploitative. Um, it's no. Not, it also doesn't make Lev's transness like the thing that is that character, right? That you can encounter in media. That that That's not Lev's one character detail and that's it. Um, Lev is a fully realized character, as well realized as any other character. And Lev being trans is one part of that. And then part of that is that the Seraphites have this... Um, and it, I think one thing that's interesting about it is the way that it reveals the hypocrisy of what the Seraphites claim to be, which is a society that has moved beyond and refuses to deal with the old world, and yet they are retaining one of the many different um, biases that, that was yeah. part of the old world, which is the same thing you get with um, Jackson and the one asshole old dude who's, you know, like 60, he's like even older than Joel. Um, so he is definitely from the old world who then uses uh, a homophobic slur against Ellie and Dina. Um, like that, I, I think the way that the game deals with that material feels respectful. Like it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it is exploitative in any way. Yeah, I mean, I can always get the, the thing that, you know, I think people would like to be able to see themselves on screen where that is not one of the main focuses. And that is a main focus for Lev because that is the inciting incident. But at the same time, if you're doing a game in a post-apocalyptic setting and the main theme of your game is like hate and retribution and cycles of violence, I also think it would be disingenuous to have those characters living in the world and not be targeted in some way because that's the world we live in right now. And we're not, well, we kind of are in the post-apocalyptic hellscape. But, you know... Yeah. But, like, I think one thing I like about it is that the conclusion of that is not that Lev is, like, murdered, right? Yes, 100%. Yeah. And same thing with Ellie and Dina. While Ellie and Dina don't get the happily ever after um, because Ellie's too, like, mentally fucked up to have a, like, stable relationship with another person. Like, they, they're not... They're not using that trope of here's, like, the gay couple and then one of them is brutally murdered or they're both killed. Um, again, their relationship doesn't feel like it is treated as something that is exceptional. And in fact, part of, I think, what the game is doing by having these examples of, like, failed societies trying to move on from what came before them, but, like, are not able to do it fully. Like, Jackson is not able to produce, like, a society that is necessarily more accepting um, of, of Ellie and Dina. And I think it's, like, 
one of the reasons why I think implied that Ellie and Dina don't live in that town is to not have to deal with that shit, right? They don't have to go to that dude to get their fucking sandwiches, right? Um, they just get to, they go out to their farm and live their own lives and start it that way. And then Abby and Lev get to go and, and they are get to be together. And I like this feeling of this generational difference that our two groups of main characters, Ellie and Dina and then Abby and Lev, kind of leave behind those things um, and kind of survive on their own. And they, they, they build their own relationships together that aren't consumed by the, the biases and the bigotry of, of the world that existed before they were born. Yes, and I love that whole thing too. I, I have a general issue kind of with, with where uh, what happens to Abby and Lev at the very end of the game because it's, it's just another layer of brutality that feels like, boy, that's a lot to me, but we'll get there. But they get to move on from they it. Get right? they, on. They, they get to move on. They get to live. They're not killed, although Lev doesn't like it to have a line of dialogue because he's been so thoroughly brutalized at the end of the game and that feels a little, I don't know. But um, we'll get there. So, yeah. But what else about the Abbey section? I, mean, um, the, I think the entire climax with going out to the island and everything on the island and just the island descending into apocalypse as basically these two societies destroy each other. Yes. And, and yeah. you going through these combat encounters where everyone's fighting everyone else and you get on the horse and, and you get kicked off. All that stuff. I think that is one of the best stretches of anything in a Naughty Dog game. It is yeah. astonishing. Yeah. It is one of the most compelling like depictions of war I've seen in a game. Yeah. Um, this sense of like that slow build of you knowing that the wolves are going to go attack the island. Um, you have um, Isaac, who I think is only in like those two scenes, but he like casts such a huge shadow over the game. He's the leader of the wolves because the whole time you're playing as Ellie, you're constantly overhearing people talking about Isaac said this. Oh, we need to get word from Isaac on that, and like you just keep on hearing that name. Then you get that one scene with Abby um, near the beginning of her section that kind of sets him up, and then he's got this almost like. Colonel Kurtz, the Heart of Darkness, Apocalypse Now kind of. They did. The one thing that annoyed me is they do very much do the thing with whenever a movie star is in a video game because it's Isaac Wright or it's, or it's Isaac, Jeffrey Wright, Jeffrey Wright yeah. as Isaac. And I, I do always hate when they do that. And then, of course, the character's in like two scenes because that's all they uh-huh. could pay Jeffrey Wright to do. And it's a little bit like, well, because I don't think he necessarily needs to be in more of the game, but it was just something I noticed because I'm like, man, Jeffrey Wright's really good in this. Yeah. Oh, that's all he's going to be in. Okay. But yes, you do get the, the bookend scene on the island where Yara dies as a badass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shoot him in the takes back. that motherfucker out. Yeah and, yeah. and just the sense of then everything has just like devolved. And there's like just the sense of there aren't sides anymore. It, yeah. is, it is just pure fucking chaos. Everything is on fire. Um, and you are just trying to desperately escape. And it is this really... The, the, the sheer sense of meaninglessness and, and just chaos to everything that's going on. And this tragedy that... Like, even, even with everything that has happened to the world, that, this is, that humans are still doing this to each other. Um, it is like... It is sad on this like big scale level um, that Last of Us usually like doesn't real, really deal with because it hasn't dealt with fully formed like large societies in conflict before and there's just this real sense of sorrow to this why are these people have to do this like why yeah. why like why everything else that has happened all the death all the destruction that everyone's living in the middle of are they like we're still going to war and burning everybody's village down and like it feels like you could like that scene basically 
bar some of the guns that are there, it's like a fight, like the Norman invasion of England or some shit. It's that style of we have landed and we're just setting everything on fire and burning it to the ground. Yeah. There's there's the last sort of combat encounter in that section where you're trying to get to the docks and it's this like long stretch to run and it's two opposing sides of houses and like a block and everything's on fire and you can... Like, at that point, for me at least, I did not have the ammo to take on everyone. It was really just, who can I take out so I can make a path to run to the other side? Yeah, it's and just it's, you trying to escape. It's, yeah. And it's really good, because I remember getting to the other side and having, like, nothing left. And, like, the, the point in the health bar where you can't see the health anymore. And she's, like, stumbling around. I did not love the, like, big, threatening black guy who you have to fight. I think that's a bad boss fight. Yeah, I mean, that part at the end felt like... That's, that's the... Other area where it felt like the violence was too much. It was just like, why are you... Like, because you cut him up with, like, that sickle and all that shit. It's like, this just feels... That felt excessive and gratuitous. I also think it's weirdly racially coded that sure, he's like this yes. bigger, large, literally like larger than life black dude. In a I mean, game yeah, like, it's that like whole enemy archetype that the Fraterabites have of like these like fucking eight foot tall giant people that I don't know why they have like thirty of them. Yeah, and it's just like like this is a pretty diverse game. It it does not have any major black characters except for Isaac, who's the bad guy, and this dude you fight at the end, who's like weirdly racially coded to me. And in the first game, the only major black characters died horrible, horrible deaths. So, like, that's one area Naughty Dog can maybe improve on. Yeah. But, yeah, it's know. definitely, like, raising an eyebrow. At that. I mean, I don't... I wonder if maybe that character model is not always the same. Because I don't remember him specifically being black. But I might not have just not okay. noticed. Yeah. Because there's a chance that it is just... Again, because that's, like, a whole enemy archetype that is in the game. Of, like, yeah. the big bruisers with the fucking sledgehammers. Okay. Um... But one, but the one part about that sequence I did like is right before that, um, where like the house collapses on Abby, and then the guy attacks Lev, and then you're like crawling out, and the backpack gets stuck. And I like the brief moment of hesitation that Abby has of like my fucking backpack, and then she like lets it go, and there's the sense of all my shits in there, like yes. all my fucking quarters, my rifle, all my ammo. Again, is the sense of uh, especially if you play the game on hard or presumably Survivor, like you're. Spending so much time crawling around, like, scraping together every last fucking bottle and rag of cloth and fucking half-used thing of tape you can find. And then to just have to be like, no, my backpack, oh god, okay, I guess, guess let's just do this. And you have to let it all go. It's, it's a good little tiny moment there that I thought was very effective. And then the end of Abby's section is... You know, you go back, you find your dead friends, your dead dog, because this is a fucking game. And then you go and find, because Ellie has left the map. Yeah. And you go and find Ellie. And I do think one of the more brilliant pieces of gameplay is the Ellie boss fight. Because, yeah. one, I unlike the, the other person-on-person boss fight at the end that I hate, I don't think it's excessively brutal in how it is depicted in, on a gameplay level. Um, like, obviously, they're, they're fighting pretty hard, but it's, it's you're not taking a knife and cutting her up. And it's it's so smart in that it turns Ellie, who is this, you know, it's a fucking little stick, into a, an object of real fear and yeah. anger. And that, that as Abby, I just remember having this feeling of like, yeah, I really want to get Ellie. And then going, wait, no, I don't. What the fuck is this game doing to me? And also that Ellie is so... Ellie, because she's using all of her moves she has Yeah, she has, like, her shotgun and the arrow, yeah. She's making the little, like, bombs that you leave around and then you have to make sure not to step on them. All of that. It's really smart. And it's it's one of those kind of little master strokes that ties the game together of, like, this is what a lot of the gameplay element of it is about. Yeah, because it's also... It's one of the reasons why the game just almost never dealing with um, the, the fact that Ellie even exists in the Abbey section is so... 
powerful is that everything you've been doing with Lev and Yara and fucking Yara gets killed and all this shit and the wolves have like fall apart. The Seraphite Island is on fire. Abby has like decided like she's basically gone rogue and has killed a bunch of people that you know were her friends or like at least acquaintances um with the wolves and and all like her whole world has like burned down around her and she's got this one kid with her now lev that's like the one thing she has um and then and then like a couple of her friends that have not already been killed and she goes back and finds owen and mel's bodies and 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 then it's this thing of you know because obviously you played as ellie and you know that the ellie section ends with that brief confrontation with abby where she shoots jesse and all that um that you know that it's building up to that moment again but you kind of forget about it in the middle of everything else that's happening because it has nothing to do with abby's life it is it is her life is not about joel at this point it's not about ellie so it from abby's perspective Everything that Ellie has done, she's not even aware of, and it just comes, and she just comes home, and her fucking friends are have been murdered, um, and and that's like a really effective revelation to me of the sense of of Ellie is the one that is like dragging all this shit back up. That 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 from Abby's perspective, all of that was gone. But also, and I think this is effective in terms of the kind of cycles of revenge stuff the game, you know, the like Moby Dick cycles of revenge uh-huh. stuff that it does, is that you know Abby thought that was behind her. But Joel was someone to someone else. And that, you know, killing someone is bad, kind of no matter what they did. And that sin is still there. And it coming home to roost, that that thing she did, those chickens coming home to roost, when she comes back thinking she has redeemed herself through Lev, Mm -hmm. and being like, no, violence does beget violence, this was inevitable, is a powerful way to do that. That, that. That she only is impacted by this horrible violence that she has in some ways invited by killing Joel and leaving Ellie alive to watch it once she has gone through this whole thing that she thinks is a redemptive act yeah and I think that, that's now she, yeah that now she has to deal with yeah um yeah but she you know ultimately chooses to leave Ellie alive um I do think the the cut scene fight between Abby Ellie and Dina is another one where I'm just rolling my eyes at the severity of the violence with Dina fucking like there's a scene where she takes Dina's head and like bangs it against the ground that I really just found unnecessary and like Dina gets shot in the shoulder and all this stuff to, to the point where I'm like I don't think she's keeping that baby that seems like I don't think you can do that to a pregnant mm-hmm. woman and keep her healthy that sounds that does not look right you know um, but it's effective in so much as I do think Abby choosing to let them live I like that it is a clean like revelation of her like it feels like an actual thing she has grown as a person to be yeah. which is like no I'm not doing this yes yeah and that, and it's this Abby doing what she can to break the cycle of violence, right? That, yeah. that, that's where she has grown. Um, and that it is her relationship with Lev that makes that possible, right? Yeah. That that Especially because Lev has nothing to do with... Like, Lev really has nothing to do with any of this shit. Um, yeah. and, and sees how, like, meaningless the brutality of it is. I imagine there's a scene, like, they're walking out of the theater and Lev's like, what was that all about? And, 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 and Abby kind of explains, she's like... You went all the way to Jackson, Wyoming to murder a dude? What the fuck is wrong with you? And she's like, well, now that you put it that way, I get it. But fuck. Come on. Look, my dad was really cool. Do you know what zebras are? Yeah. Like, you, look. Look, let's go, I'm going to find a quarter. We're going to see what state is on it. And you're going to... And he's like, golf clubs? What? <laughs> you know. Like he was a fucking dick, okay? Yeah. Anywho, and now we have the epilogue to talk about. Yeah. Which has... 
This is probably the part of the game I'm most conflicted on because it has some of my favorite things in this or any other Naughty Dog game, and it has my single least favorite thing in any Naughty Dog game. So let's go to town on yes. this because it starts with you playing as Ellie again in a domestic idol where Naughty Dog is really just showing off their tech. <laughs> yes, yeah. This is the, 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 because, you know, the whole time Ellie and Dina uh, are talking about, like, oh, we can start a farm and yeah. raise cows and shit. Um, and then that's what they do. And yes, it is. They've got Potato, um, which I don't know. I, I think JJ is the actual name of the baby, but in Ellie's journal, and like later on, she just calls it Potato like three yes. times. And so it's like, the baby's Potato as far as I'm concerned, because that's very funny. Um, but yeah, but you know, she's with Potato and you have these like this big open like golden fields of reeds and wheat. Um, and the mountains in the distance, and you know, it all happens in the golden hour at sunset. Yes, it is definitely like living in the Midwest in, in Colorado is the, like a familiar kind of sight. You know, um, yeah. that is one of the things I like about Last of Us, um, this game, and and the first game is getting video games set in the area that we live because usually if it's set in America, it's on one of the coasts. Um, and so yeah, so like getting that, um, and but that slow realization that Ellie's not over it right that, that it's what? still all those things are still haunting her well it's interesting is that you get a lot of like old ellie you get a lot of yes. like left behind ellie ellie in the uh in the flashbacks where she is the kid who has funny nicknames for people and when she's interacting with the sheep she's like anthropomorphizing them and like having yeah, fun giving them weird names yeah and like like doing the faces in the mirror with the baby yeah, yeah. all that stuff that feels very ellie but there is a certain solemnity to it and there is, you know, full-on PTSD when, like, the, the door slams yeah. and, and everything. Um, and, yeah, the growing realization she's not okay with it. You meet Tommy again, who is real fucked up from everything that happened to yeah. him. He, I, I don't know where he lost the eye, but he did lose an eye. Yeah. Well, he got shot in, like, the head, I think. It, it was, did he? I he, thought he got shot in the arm, but... I did, like, it's, it's one of the things of where... Um, it's, again, where, like, they do not really linger on that violence. It is hard yeah. to tell... Uh, did, did, like because I was shocked when he was alive because I yeah. assumed that fucking that dude was dead. He sure seemed yeah. like he got fucking got at the end of the whole Abby shit. Yeah, I'm not a hundred percent sure how they all got back to Jackson yeah. because they are all so fucked up and one of them is pregnant and you know who knows. But yes, they they figured it out and and Tommy's okay and he has found where he thinks Abby is and he wants Ellie to go get some justice. Yeah, it's a good inversion of the scene. Um, at the beginning of the game where Tommy comes to basically try to talk like half-heartedly talk Ellie out of it because he he really wants to go but he knows it's intellectually he knows it's not the best thing for anybody yeah um and here it is the opposite of where Tommy's like let's go fucking get this uh motherfucker and Ellie even though Ellie does want to go she with Dina like has to slowly turn him down which is well she she finally knows full well that she shouldn't yeah and even when she does leave, she knows she shouldn't. It's, yeah. it's that she's gotten into that Joel mode of like, I know this is a bad thing, but I just kind of don't care. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, anything else to say about that section on the farm other than, man, that HDR, yeah. that color palette is pretty <laughs> good. So good. Yeah, I mean, they really show it off when you sit with Potato on the fucking um, like tractor yes. and you're just looking at the sunrise and you're like, fuck, man, this looks real good. Yep. Where in this whole stretch do you get the flashback to the dance scene that was in the E3 trailer? 
That's like at the very end, okay. right? I think I think that's after you do all the Rattler stuff, isn't it? Is it? Yeah. Because I know. Okay, so is it? Is it? You do all the Rattler stuff, and then it's that, and then it's Ellie on the farm, and then it's the final part of that with Joel, and then it's yeah, the and end. then it's yeah, and okay. it's like the guitar shot. I just it's been a couple days since I did this, so I was I was I know it's like right near the end. Yeah, because it, that's like one thing to talk about. This section is I like almost wish it had like a title card or something to set you up for how long it actually is because. It, it it's like the cliche like Return of the King thing of they keep on cutting to black and you're like is it over and then it comes back up um, and I think it works because it has like with the first game Last of Us 2 has a very novelistic style structure um, like that whole like two protagonist thing and in, in that yeah. split like that's very novelistic um, like the title card like Seattle Day 1 Seattle Day 2 and then they go through it again with from Abby like all of that stuff has that feel and if they, I think they prime the player to understand that the, the quote-unquote epilogue is like three to four hours long. It is not an epilogue. It is like chapter three of the game. If the first Ellie section is chapter one and then Abby is chapter two, this is chapter three. Yeah, not, um, not as long, but it is a substantive part of the game. Yeah, it, it, I just think epilogue just feels inappropriate. It's, it's not like, it, like Uncharted 4 ends with an epilogue where you're playing as Nathan's daughter and like you're on the beach. That's an epilogue because that's yes. like fifteen minutes. Well, because the story is over and now it's a little yeah. coda. Yeah, this is the story is not over when Abby lets Ellie go. Yeah, and that's why I think like I think they could have primed the player a little bit. I mean, it's the kind of thing that doesn't matter on a second playthrough because you go in knowing what to expect. But yeah. I think well, I'll say for me, I sat down to finish the game and I I, you know, I had to play for much longer than I thought. Yes, like I had. It was it was interesting because I had started playing. This was like three days ago. I guess is when I finished. I started playing in the morning and was planning on playing because I played most of this game in like kind of short, like two to three hour stretches. And then I go away from it because it is very intense, particularly when we get to talk about some of the more of the gameplay stuff. Um, but so, but I was planning on doing that, not realize with like getting near the end of the Abbey stuff. I think not realizing oh, like th- how much the pacing was going to pick up a little bit after I started playing. So I ended up. I think starting right around when you go to the Seraphite Island and then all that shit happens and I just kept going like, uh, uh, like I'll probably find a good place to stop and then got to the Ellie fight and then thought, oh, okay, so I'm already here. Well, the game's going to be over in like 30 minutes uh, and by that point, I think it was like noon and I didn't stop playing until like four. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's a long stretch. But yes, you have the whole Ellie part on the farm. You have... Um, Abby and Lev out in California looking yeah. for the fireflies, um, which I think is a really good little stretch where you go into the house and you, you yes. look at everything and then finally you pull the bookcase back. Yeah, and I do like the, another paralleling of Joel that like Abby's story becomes her with this kid trekking across the country trying to find the fireflies, which is what the first game is about. Yes. Yeah. Um, and they do. And, and it's, it's a good little setup because it's something that is unresolved, obviously, at the end of the game. Um, but it, neither does it feel like a like a, a sequel push or something. Yeah, and it feels like it is this. Um, again, it's like Abby has reclaimed her like morality, and she like wants to go in like do good, like yeah. like contribute to something. Um, yeah. And I like that that she's not just trying to do what Joel did, which is like let's just go like survive till we cannot survive any longer. Um, in the easiest place to survive as long as possible, which is like Joel's whole thing. And Abby's like, no, we're going to go and try to like, e- like either find the fireflies or I love the little conversation she has with Lev where Lev's like, well, if we can't find the fireflies, let's just keep going west. It's like, it's just ocean. Yeah, well, let's go see what's on the other side of that ocean. And I love the notion of, 
I don't I have no idea how anybody in this world. I don't if you could pilot a fucking cruise liner with two people or whatever. I don't know how you're getting there because um, they're not fucking expert circumnavigators of the world. Um, but the idea of another Last of Us game that is set on another continent would be very cool. Yeah, I think that should be uh, the next Last of Us Part Three. Is you start, um, you get, the Fireflies give you a really cool sailboat, and the first half of the game is you trying to sail all the way to Japan. It, it, or yeah, it's like a hardcore sailing simula- simulator, and you have to yes. deal with waves and like fucking. Uh, you have like an astro lobe and shit, and trying to navigate by the stars. You find a couple of cool islands and stuff. Yeah, and you you see some cool stories, and then the and then you fight is, zombie pirates. Yep, and the second half is in Japan. And, yeah, and it's it's uh, very cool. It's like basically Tokyo Jungle. But without uh, without the Pomeranian. Yes, yeah, no, no, with like the Pomeranian. That all the humans in Japan have died, but it, and, and the animals have taken over. But they're like hyper intelligent animals. That'd be great. It's yeah. it's like it's the dog stuff in Last of Us too, but taken to this, this weird extreme where they have taken over the world. Or like a scientist has found a way to get everyone immune from the virus because animals can't get it, so he turns them all into animals. Exactly. And so it be, makes Tokyo Jungle was a Last of Us sequel all along, and Abby is the Pomeranian. Yes. And so when we find out that on the PS5 they're releasing Tokyo Jungle remastered, we will know that they we're on the right track with this. How many people listening do you think even know what we're talking about? None. <laughs> yeah. Look up Tokyo Jungle. It's fun. Yeah, that game was fucking great. great. It, it, they, anyway. they should remaster it and re-release that game. It'd be great. It's stuck on the PS3 and that's yeah. sad. Anyway, um, yeah, so so you have that whole section with them. And then you get the Rattlers. And I don't know how I feel about it because from Ellie's perspective, the whole Rattlers section, I think, is actually some of the best combat stuff in the game. It yeah. probably is the best overall big combat encounter. I think it is, yeah. It's very thrilling. There's also, for me, just like after everything this game puts you through to layer like the most hateful organization imaginable and like have hints of sex abuse and human trafficking and all this shit. Yeah, I mean, they're basically like slavers. They're slavers. Yeah, they're stealing people and using, they're kidnapping people and using them as slave labor. It's a level of misery that does not get to me the... the the denouement I thought it, it would hopefully lead to. Um, because it just leads to more misery that I just felt a little bit like, oh God, guys, this is, this is a lot. And like having, you know, Lev almost dead on a fucking cross and Abby having her hair cut and and just beat to shit and all that. And, and just, there's, there's a level of ugliness that just feels like, you know, I think, I think you've, you've made a lot of this point game. This, this feels like an awful lot to me. I, I don't know. I don't know really how to put it in I'm words. kind of of two minds about it. I can see where that comes from. Um, there is this sense of like, that the world has not changed, right? There's this like real sense of every everywhere has their own motherfuckers, right? That it's like, whether they're the fireflies or they're the wolves or they're the Fedra or they're the Seraphites or they're the rattlers, there is this sense of wherever you go in the world, that you can't escape any of this. Right? That, that... I, but I don't, I just, if that's the case, then I don't know if that's, part of that is that I think Last of Us Part Two is one of those things that I think had very bad luck to come out right now. Sure. Because I think this is a, this is not something like Turn A Gundam or some of the other things we've talked about on this show where I'm like, I'm really glad I watched this right now. It helped me process the world. This feels like, given how dark the world is, like... This is not the kind of thing that I would like willingly want to play if I didn't like have a podcast and it was coming out and I loved the first game and all that. It's 
it's not something that helps put things in perspective to me. It's, yeah, for me, I kind of feel differently. And I mean, and this is like when I said earlier that I've spent the past few months reading a bunch of horror manga. The reason is because when shit is like this, I I personally like gravitate to shit that is like excessively dark um, when the world is dark because it makes it easier for me to like if it's something that is like dark but it's a movie or it's a comic book or whatever it is that sort of misery and all that stuff is contained within that thing and you can just sort of consume it rather than the world we are living in where the misery is infinite it is unending um it, it stretches back hundreds if not thousands of years and will um depending on your outlook probably continue for hundreds of years into the future and it is something it's too immense for people to actually like process um and so when when it is feels condensed and focused in the world like it is right now to me like i actually find something cathartic about a game getting like as messy with it as last of us does in the end cathartic is a word i was searching for and i and I don't feel that from this game. I, I really feel no cathartic. It's like this game made me feel bad every time I picked it up and played it and put it down. Like it 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 like it made me like go sit in silence and just like feel awful about things. I think the because like there's just I wish there was the allowance for a little more light in this world because like there's stuff like like if Jackson can exist, why is every other place so awful because like they do show this one place that's like got bad people in it but is pretty functional i don't i don't know that i, mean, I needed I mean, just like this, this infinite bleakness that that it's like because there's there's a point and i i you know i definitely hear this from from people on some other zombie stories like certainly this has been levied at the walking dead of like if it's always this miserable why not put a fucking bullet in your brain what the goddamn point is the point of living like there's there's a level of that for me with like how much awfulness there is but because there is because because there are people like lev and there are people like dina um that there are, and there are people in this world that are good and are moving forward in trying to change things or create things that are better um and 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 i think there is this sense of like i would agree with you if any of the major characters died in that ending section if ellie or lev or uh abby died i would 100 percent be not instead of just horribly mutilating each other i mean but they but they survive and nothing that has happened to them in terms of the violence is like irreparable right like like they don't they don't are they're not like bodily mutilated in a way that they no longer ellie loses her fingers and can't play the guitar anymore it's a giant ellie deserves like ellie deserves that for all the shit she's done like ellie has brought that on herself like i'm talking about ellie is a different thing um abby and lev get to survive and escape and and live another day and and abby wins in the end after just another like just she i guess but there's i i just don't know that it needed to go to another like ratchet up the darkness beyond 11 what we already thought we was the darkest possible to another ratchet here at the end it's 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 a fucking lot it's just a lot it's a lot i i I, I really earned it I didn't. I don't. I just... Because it's also, like, of all the different sins the game, like, kind of hints at, I really liked that, like, sexual violence wasn't a thing until, oh, they're human trafficking people, and, oh, they're looking I mean, for they, women, and, they oh, okay. don't. They don't ever directly... I mean, obviously... It's it's there. They don't it's, directly imply it. There is they nothing. 100% directly imply there. it. Why do you think they're going and... They, they, like, look at Ellie, and they're like, oh, fresh young meat. Like, they're, they're 100%. That's what they want Ellie for. 
I mean, that's the, very so, directly implied. I but they have. I mean, nowhere near the direct implication of that shit in Last of Us One. Like in this game, so in that section, they have. So they, there's there is a vague implication by the fact that that Ellie is a woman, but they have men chained up in the same cage as everybody else, right? There's not a like. I'm glad they're equal opportunity slavers. It's fucking. I'm saying that the game is not making that like direct point. I guess that they're they're not invoking that i don't it's think. meant to be like the ultimate heart of darkness like this is the pit of fucking hell like that's that's what it is and and here is my i guess i'll just say it because i want to stop dancing around okay it, yeah is i think that's a really great combat encounter gameplay is very well designed it's thrilling to play through it is so dark and so brutal and so sad and i was in this mode where ellie doing all that and she saves abby and lev and she she gets to the boats with them and i Fully, and, and I guess I was just misreading the game, but I fully thought where that was going was Ellie going to be saying, good God, this world is so shitty. There is so much hell that these people have been put through that I have put myself and others through. I don't want to be a part of that anymore. I'm going to let her go. Or they would have some kind of cathartic final conversation, something that would be like a human, like a, a ray of humanity. And instead... What happens is Ellie being like, fuck you, I'm not letting you go. We're not fucking finished, all right? And pulling out a goddamn switchblade and making you play the most interminably long bullshit boss fight where you have to just stab and slash and mutilate this opposing character who you love with a character you also deeply feel for. I thought it was brutal. I thought it was just, just a shitty bad way to end the game i think from a gameplay perspective it's an awful encounter and i so 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 did not want to participate in that it took me a good like 15 minutes to get through it because i would i did not want to press the buttons i was like slow and lagging with the dodge stuff because i felt miserable playing it i my controller was physically slipping out of my hands because i felt so disgusted by it and i i i hated it it soured the ending to me i think it is brutally nihilistic i i i i think it is the most rub your goddamn nose in it fuck you for playing our game thing i've maybe ever seen in a video game and it genuinely like all the interesting good stuff we've said about the game i i think that but it it undermines a lot of that for me i really detest that final encounter and if the if if the argument is well, th- this is all ugly and revenge is bad. But, 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 but. I don't care. That's there could be more of it. I, I, I don't think that's what I it is. I hate, hate, hate that ending. So I, I, I really like it. Um, so here's, here's for me. Because I had, I mean, I had a lot of the same reaction. That like it was, I have never found it more emotionally difficult to participate in a video game than that section. Um, like it, it was hard. Especially because, I mean, my whole basically the entire time I was playing the game was Ellie is bad. Like everything you're doing, Ellie is bad and wrong. And I understand a lot of why she's doing it, but I don't agree with her. And then I was like on Abby's team for basically the whole game. So honestly, like before I played as her. Um, and so like for me, there was a, a satisfaction in Abby's beatdown of Ellie, even as brutal as it is. That I didn't really have a problem with it from that perspective, but I but I did from Ellie, and there was a real sense of the game pushing me in this way that I found really compelling. Um, and and this this feeling of me having to grapple with and struggle with the level of anger 
um, and hate and sorrow in this character of Ellie of, of like, because I, because Ellie, I think 100% understands the meaninglessness of what she's doing. I don't think she, I, I mean, I think what she mostly wants is for Abby to kill her, right? Like, I don't even think that Ellie really wants to even win that fight. It's just, she's just so broken up about everything that has happened. And the only way she knows how to deal with anything because she is, has been raised by Joel effectively is to lash out in this frothing mad way. Um, and the only way it can end is for her to, um, be scarred enough that she can no longer that like, she's kind of purged of Joel, the good and the bad of Joel, right? In losing the thing that the, 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 the really like the one good thing that Joel did, which was teach Ellie how to play the guitar and give her, um, this other artistic tool with which to express herself because she's an artist, right? She plays the guitar, she draws, she writes poetry um, throughout the game, which I really like that with her journal. And and she has so poisoned um, the good things she's had with Joel by holding on to these awful things as well that, that the whole thing has to be purged from her system. And so she loses the good with the bad in this memory, in this last memory of her having this last conversation with Joel. And her... Being kind of in the same place that Joel was, right? That that Ellie has become the kind of person that Joel would have been if Ellie had been killed, right? If if the if the other ending of Last of Us happened and Ellie was on the operating table and they made the vaccine and everything and uh and Ellie was dead and you played a sequel to that game as Joel, it would be this of Joel going and killing violently every single person involved until he got to the very end and would die at the very end screaming mad because that's who he is because he has nothing else and that's what he turned Ellie into and the only way for Ellie to move on is to rip all that out of her violent and screaming in this storm and it, it is over the top it is incredibly extreme but it feels it felt so raw to me like the emotional place that Ellie is pushed to as a character um and felt like this kind of final piece put into the puzzle of her relationship with Joel and what the consequences of a person like Joel is not just to the people that he hates but to the people that he loves as well and that that doesn't separate those things out right and that th this is like the damage that that th that kind of toxic self-absorbed violent angry masculinity that Joel represents is what it wreaks on the world and on the people that, that that masculinity professes to try to protect. Um, and to me, it is like the this raging statement about it. Um, like, I, I found it really emotionally powerful. And it did give me this really kind of sorrowful catharsis when it was all over. Because Ellie at the end backs down, right? Because she loses her fingers and then she ultimately relents um, and, 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 and has that vision of Joel. For me, I found it very effective. I mean, I, I find that a very smart and moving reading of it, and I, I love that interpretation. I just can't, I just can't assimilate the necessity of how the game does it to that reading for me. Um, I can't assimilate that. It just felt in the. I don't know how to say this other than in the moment playing through it, seeing all of these, and there's there's something about. 
you know, this is a game where the ultimate POV is the players. It's not the, the yeah. characters because you have a larger POV on the world. And, and some of this is just hard to grapple with. But going through all of this as Ellie and seeing that amount of pain and inflicting that amount of pain and ultimately, you know, rescuing these two people, including this little kid that she's caring for, and that that none of that would make Ellie rethink any of this and none of that would stop us from having to do the final fucking knife fight cut up your 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 other playable character brutally over what i also i just also just think it's a poorly designed fight that that i don't like as a piece of game design and i think it's way too long and it, it has like three or four phases and it just goes on and on and on and i i just it, i felt really hollow and empty playing it and and you know intellectually i could go on into the next scene and see the whole idea of her having lost the fingers and no longer play the guitar and and yes as you say kind of having purged that element of joel from herself and and having putting that conversation about forgiveness at the very end in the moment when ellie kind of realizes who she became and and that oh she can kind of forgive joel now because she wound up doing the same thing yeah i think all that's very smart there's just a part of me that i don't i really felt like the game was building to the moment where she saves them and just lets them go and like or or says something about like i'm sorry i killed your fucking friends or like why did you do it abby because she still does not fully know the story or like something beyond i'm going to take a knife and stab you over and over and over again and make the player do it and i i don't know and and i and i think part of this is that i do still think this criticism that the game has its violence dialed at 11 from the very beginning to the very end and that lack of differentiation in it I think really harms the game when it wants to do something more extreme like this because everything is so fucking extreme that that it's it's really deadening and it it really makes it's it's more of a turnoff than an invitation to me and and I know I'm not alone on that so that's kind of how I felt about it like I I can intellectually get what they're going for with it but boy I I wish there was I wish there was more of, of, a, of a sense of, of I, like, I don't know why the cycle has to be so direct of her becoming Joel to the point of the violent purge, where she has to lose literal parts of her body for that metaphor to become full circle. I I don't know. I It just didn't feel right to me. I don't know how else to say it than that. Yeah, I think there's something about how, because, you know, the whole thing is also set to the backdrop of this, like, ridiculous raging storm, and they're in the fucking water, and waves are hitting them, and, and there's just this sense of, like, this raw like confused anguish that ellie has because i still like i don't think ellie understands why she is so compelled to do what she is doing but the way that that scene in this like i mean it, it, it is over the top it is extreme it is excessive it externalizes this incredible confused anguish that ellie has that i i just found it really effective and i think there was something about this this feeling that i had as the player of it is difficult for me like it is physically difficult for me to engage with this video game i've never engaged with a video game that instilled that in me in a narrative sense i've only ever played fucking sonic the hedgehog 2006 or whatever that instilled it in me because the gameplay is broken right there's just this sense of this is how far this person has been pushed by the forces around her by this this complex emotionally manipulative and abusive relationship by joel and the sense of like incredible guilt right like one of those things in the last conversation that ellie has with joel 
is she said that if I died on that table, then my life would have mattered and you took that away from me, right? That Jelly has been living this entire life at this point, now that, that, that the chance of there being a vaccine seems to be gone, that the only people probably that they can find that would have been able to do it, Joel fucking murdered all of them in cold blood. Um, Ellie's, the, the thing that Ellie found value in herself, which was this unique immunity, um, the thing that she got that bite in, at the same moment that her friend Riley dies and left, left behind is that same encounter. And she has been left with that survivor's guilt throughout the whole first game that's you know she has a conversation with joel at the end of the first game and then joel puts this even further on her and and it is the way that she just has no tools and again i think a lot of this is joel's inability to be an actually good father only like someone playing at being a father figure is that he has not helped raise or teach ellie in such a way that she has another way to deal with any of that it doesn't matter how good her life with dina is it doesn't matter how much she loves Potato. She can't deal with what has happened to her in a way that is not expressed through violence. I guess, but but I feel like you could have all of that and have a less just brutally devastating final encounter. Like, like she does ultimately break the cycle that Joel gave to her by letting Abby go, but... Do you do you, I just I just don't buy that you have to go through that sheer degree of brutality to get there. I don't. I don't buy know if you to... have to, but I think it it feels consistent with what the game is. I guess like, and I don't have a problem with yeah. it having what like an extreme amount of brutality to it. This is where this is where my other complaints about how brutal and and uh, pumped to eleven some of the gameplay stuff throughout the game is. I think comes to bear because. I think I might feel differently about it if I had not multiple times through the games hated having the controller in my hand doing what I had to do. And that's a lot of the game. And that is the um, all the dog stuff that I just find unforgivably gratuitous and stupid and like for me just completely out of bounds. Um, that I don't think games need to do that and I don't like that we are... I, I don't like that this is something that I think made people uncomfortable in fucking 2007 when Modern Warfare made you kill dogs and that now we're in 2020 and it's like, how realistic can we make the dogs that you kill and, and whine over themselves and their owner and like look cute and sniff around? Like, it's, it's really gross to me. It's like if they let you kill kids. I don't fucking like it. And you put that in there and you put the amount of like suffering you inflict on people through all the different ways you can kill and maim that just feels ridiculous at a certain point and the sounds they make and all of that and just the grossness I feel through a lot of it to end on the point of now we're going to make you feel really gross is it's it's unbalanced to me. It's like I said about the having everything up at 11. There are certain things that just just the overall effect is going to be just deadening and gross and ugly and and all of the light and interesting like like themes and ideas we've talked about through the game there's something that just there's this black hole at the end that even even here because there are other things like you've you've given me of readings on this so far that i felt very convinced by and like like moved by and this is one where i just i don't know it feels like this kind of black hole from which i can't escape with the game i don't know yeah like i will say that honestly when i think about the ending that stuff with abby is not the thing that i really think about like it's 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 like that the the physical experience of playing it was notable to me, but it is more like to me what hit so fucking hard about the ending was her going back home 
and then me realizing like that like it's that shot when you go back home that it's like oh she really lost the fingers because it wasn't to me entirely clear in the middle of that yeah. encounter and uh, and immediately but well, you can't play the guitar because she lost her ring finger and her pinky finger on her left hand and it's like you can't like you just can't actually play um chords that way it's just not physically possible she'd have to like find a left-handed guitar and learn how to play left-handed which would be inc- incredibly fucking difficult to do um and, and it was that and part of it is that i do play guitar and like my playing guitar is directly connected to my own relationship with my dad who is not like joel but it, there is a there is this like father um child relationship thing and a connection through music my dad also grew up in Texas, so there's like there's in like the country music and the kind of music that they play in the game, like all that stuff, and this moment of like that Ellie has gone so far to have destroyed the good things she had with the bad things that she had, and and this this really profound sense of tragedy um, that that I just found incredibly moving and incredibly effective, and having it connected through this repeated gameplay interaction you have with the guitar thing which is also cool and i spent like 30 plus minutes sometimes just sitting down and messing around with the guitar thing because it is incredibly fully featured you have like seven or eight different keys of like a full circle of chords to be able to play um they use the touchpad um i hope the dual sense touchpad is like it looks like that controller is a little bit bigger so maybe the touchpad is a little bit bigger because if the touchpad was a little bit bigger like you could do some really complex guitar stuff just using that and it was so cool to me that that was in the game and to have that small mechanic be the thing that at the end is like the final note haha of the game is her not being able to play that song that they that Joel teaches her that like they are so good at the animation that I literally learned how to play that game that song on the guitar in like 2 minutes by just looking at the animations and how Joel fingered it um, and then, like, I just looked at the YouTube video of that section and, like, just looked at it. And and he had it fucking capoed on the third fret. And I love he fucking comes in with that guitar and it's capoed on the third fret. And he's like, I guess I could play something. And it's like, you don't come in capoed on a, threat, on a fret, which is where you have a little bar that holds down the strings so that you can play open chords um, higher with, like, higher notes, basically. Um, and it's like, he came in knowing what he wanted to play and all that shit. It's like the biggest dad move in the world. Um, and you have... That image of Joel with the guitar on the porch and that being that memory of Joel. Like I just found like the way that the game brings all these really complex relationships that and, and emotions and feelings that Ellie has with Joel and this just feeling of it it in a weird way turned me around and made me feel more positive about Joel as a character than I did at the beginning, where I was like relieved that he died and it made me sad for him again. Um, in a way I had not felt for that game for like almost the whole runtime. Um, like I, it, the way that it, this game, and this is to me what the game is about is like these incredibly messy, complex relationships that people can have, um, that are, that are oftentimes like fundamental to your identity. And it's not until you get older and you can reflect on it and more things happen, you meet more people and you start to change that you can look back on some of those kinds of those relationships you had and realize that there was more to it than that you thought right and that there was more to either the positive or the negative and that they have shaped you in ways and that you are who you are as a person has been shaped by what those things were and those relationships were those emotional interactions you had 
um, and that the tragedy of the game of Ellie not being able to grow beyond the pain she had mixed in with those complex feelings to the point that she lost this part of like one of the few positive relationships she had with Joel. Like I like right now I'm getting really emotional thinking about it, that, that it, it like, and all the stuff with Abby that pushes Ellie to that point. Like I, I can see why someone would have, like you have that kind of reaction to it. But for me, it is the backdrop to Ellie going home and not being able to play out a note on a fucking G chord because she doesn't have the finger to hold it down. And I see all of that. And I, I feel, I felt parts of all of that while playing and all I can think is, if the scene with Abby wasn't so elongated and brutal, and wasn't so hard to play, and didn't alienate me so much as a player, didn't feel like it was so, grab the player's head, rub their nose in it, fuck you, like 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 the the, the sense of like you know, it's it's so wrong what you're doing, playing our game, and and it's so uh, I, I guess I don't, and it's feel so like... lacking in in grace, and there's so little. Just, I feel like an actual like empathy there that it deadened me to the point where those things just felt hollow to me at the end. And I wish there was a version of it that was less extreme. So when I got there, I could feel some of what you're talking about because it just left me. Once I had to play through that section, I just, it was hard to engage with anything the game had going on. I guess the one thing I, I, I wouldn't, I just don't look at it as like it is wrong for the player to be playing the game because the things that the character is doing is wrong. Like, you're I doing just... them. This this is this is gaming. This is something that I I think the game has a weird, uneasy relationship with sometimes. Of like, it wants to implicate you, but at the same time, like I don't think it wants to implicate you. It's implicating Ellie. Like I guess they're doing me... it in a fucking cutscene. I don't want to have to play that. I I think I think there's something interesting to me about the way the game is pushing on this connection between the player and the character and i mean i always find this really fascinating i like when games play with this of not of of you are inhabiting the role of the character but you are not the character right and and that's there's a different different games treat that different ways some games you are literally just the character the character is an empty avatar like a gordon freeman that you fulfill with yourself and, and project anything you want onto it um and naughty dog has always been way more Nathan Drake is Nathan Drake and who you are who gives a shit who you are like Nathan Drake is the character and you are performing as Nathan Drake like you are you are playing the script that the game has provided and there are a couple of like ways that you can go about this combat encounter but there's there are no choices you have no ability to affect broadly speaking anything about the story maybe you see the scene of, like with Take On Me maybe you don't see it um, there are like a couple of small things like that but who Ellie is as a character you have no actual input on that um and so there's this tension between that and this friction there of that you have to press the button to get things to continue but you pressing the button is not you actually doing the thing it is ellie interpreting things and ellie acting out what ellie has inside of her um i, I and i can see why jonathan again you'd feel the way that you do i guess for me it never felt like the game was implicating me, the player, directly into like the morally abhorrent things that Ellie was doing as a character. Um, it was it was at, it was pushing me to reflect on it um, and reflect on who she was and what had I, pushed her to this point. I just feel like it had made that point plenty well at that point. Like, boy, if it, if I didn't understand it by then, I wasn't playing the game. I mean, like, 
this is this is what I you know I used the word grace earlier, and there is some of that in Abby's story. There's a lot of that in Abby's story with Lev and Yara, and where she goes, and like like finding actual like grace and light in the world. And I just I wish there was even a sliver of that at the end in in Ellie's interactions with her, um, even if you know because like the the fingers getting bitten off and that is as the the big visual symbol that ends the game. I do find very moving, but also like that's something that happens in a non-player controlled part of that fight that, that they have to take over from you again to show you the important story bit and then hand it back to you so you can keep slashing and doing this. And like, I don't know. I, I don't just the value of it did not get through to me there. It was a real anchor on my experience with the game at the end is all I can say, even though I, 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 I love everything you're saying about it and I find it really fascinating and, and you know, there is obviously a lot of depth there. I'm not saying they didn't know what they were trying to do. It's just, ugh, it's a lot. It's a lot. Sure. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, you know, it's a game that really left me feeling very, very miserable. Like, like, like in an almost like state of depression. That because I finished the game at what, like ten thirty p.m. and like I just couldn't bring myself to do anything else after that that night. Yeah. And like the next day, I felt kind of out of it. I haven't really been like engaging with another game has been hard. And some of that is just that speaks to how good this game is, and it makes you you know. One thing I'll say about this is I. Everything I've said, I still think this is easily the best game I've played this year besides um, Ori and the Will of the Wisps, which would be my number one with a bullet. But, like, um, this certainly made me feel a lot more than most games I've ever played. And that's that's a good thing. And, a, and it's a double-edged sword. Because sure. there's that sense of misery. And, and I think I'm, I'm interested in that point of view you had about this is kind of cathartic for you in a time like this. Whereas for me, it's a little bit like... Boy, I don't need to feel more miserable than I do. And I'm sure there's a lot of people who feel both ways. So yeah, like, like I've, yeah, I've definitely heard. I mean, it's one of the things that's been like a little bit tiresome about listening to video game podcasts. It's a lot of people talk. It was like that, that embargo period where every video game podcast I listened to, all the people were playing Last of Us Part Two, but they couldn't actually say anything about it, even though I already knew all the shit because I read the spoilers. Um, but then just talking about it, I was like, oh man, I, I just don't know if I'm in the right mindset to play this game. And it's just like a, I, I, I get that 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 like different people find different things cathartic in that way and like but like for me it was the same thing of when people were playing animal crossing and i couldn't play animal crossing anyways because i don't have a switch but i i could never i could never play animal crossing because it would never be able to take my mind off of stuff um last was two takes my minds off my mind off of stuff right it makes me stop thinking about it's intense enough that it makes me stop thinking about what's happening outside in the world and gives me this problem which is the character of ellie and her motivation and like what she's doing and what is driving her to this like psychological complexity that is absorbing to me and that's why i find it cathartic yeah. in those ways yeah that's interesting i i just don't know it's it's weird i the game just left me feeling deeply miserable and i don't and you know i think that's kind of the point of the ending i don't i don't know if there's an i don't think there's there's any way to read that ending and come out feeling like I feel really good about the Kelly story. Ended. No, yeah, I mean it, the game is a tragedy, right? Yeah. It, is, it is like it is like capital T tragedy, right? Like it is part of. I mean, you know, the classic tragedy stories are basically all revenge stories, yeah. anyways. But that's part of Ellie, put, like that moment of Ellie deciding to go after Abby again is like the she she can't get past her dramatic flaw, right? She can't get past her obsession. It's it's her, you know, Captain Ahab thing. Um, it's her from yeah. House Hard I Stab at the uh, moment, basically. Yeah, I don't know. I I'll almost, and saying that, I almost feel like I'd rather go with the Moby Dick ending and have the whale killer. Like, there's something about that. But, 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 
I also see the value of, of where but, but you want the grace and the light and like her surviving at the end and having a future that she can build like that is that is I guess that's like where I find the grace is like I guess she has lost so much but but she has not lost everything right that there, there's all that there is and it's the same thing with Abby um, and Lev because you know this game has a ridiculous body count of significant story characters right like Jesse doesn't get that Right, Jesse walked through a door and was dead immediately because he got shot in the head. Right, and it's over for him. Um, and and he didn't get to live through all the sorrow and misery that maybe would have been waiting for him ahead in his life. But he doesn't get to live for any of like to get any of the pleasures either. Right, yeah. he doesn't get those quiet moments with Adina or whatever. Um, and I do think there is something in, in like about The Last of Us that it, in some ways it almost has a Moby Dick esque quality in that. Like, while it is this dark revenge story, and we've obviously been talking about that stuff, like, most of the stuff that's going on in the game, really, that is, like, narrative focus, which is the dialogue you have with your partner character while you're walking around the world, just isn't like that, right? Most of the story content in the game is actually fairly light, and it's fun, and it is, like, moving character interactions between two people coming to understand one another better and coming to love one another between Ellie and Dina and between Abby and Lev. And that... And I think that's part of where my feelings on the game is that, um, like, the, the darkness in the game didn't, like, tarnish that stuff for me. And it's why that the moment that leave, like, that I think about about the ending is more the quiet stuff with the guitar at the end and less the, like, you know, sound and fury of the, the fight with Abby. Um, and, and when I finished the game, because, like I said, I finished it around four, and so I've, like... While the the uh, credits were playing, I like was playing the guitar, like the guitar, listening to the credits, and just sort of like messing around because it really left a big impression on me. And then I literally like went and climbed a fucking mountain because my house is kind of backed up onto a small, a small mountain or a very big hill, depending on how you define that stuff. And like climbed up there while listening to the Last of Us Two soundtrack on Spotify, just thinking about everything that happened at the end. And then when I got at the top, it was like, it was almost hilarious, the timing, because it was right when I got to the top, Jonathan, you sent me a text message about with the timing we wanted to do to record yeah. this podcast and the next podcast we are going to do. Um, and then it definitely was, I, I think literally the last time a game left me with that kind of reaction was Red Dead Redemption 2. Um, yeah. and, and it was this kind of like, I got to fucking process <laughs> what, what has happened here and really think about it because it did like push me emotionally in ways that I found uh, fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, what else to say as we wrap this up? I mean, I, well, do you want to talk about the gameplay really quick? Yes, yeah, because okay. we haven't because because it is um, like I think the the thing I love most about the game is the narrative stuff. But I think this is without a doubt um, like the best playing Naughty Dog game. Um, the way that they have expanded um, the the foundational gameplay of The Last of Us One and really like widened it out. Um, I just find like the quality, of the encounter design, the the like. The, your ability to engage with the game in a stealth way is so like the small thing of being able to go prone and to crawl through grass and stuff. It has like it totally changed the game to me. Honestly. It's huge. It's really good. Yeah, and, and it is the the like breadth of the encounters in these huge areas. Like it really feels like the main gameplay touchstone that they used to build off of Last of Us One was Metal Gear Solid Five. Which that game has a lot of problems, but the fundamental stealth action stuff is phenomenal. Um, is is best in class still, basically, and a lot of the like crawling around, going prone, 
um, the way that your um, all like the other like gadgets and bits you can create feel way more useful to me. Um, they like the brick and bottle stuff is no longer the like number one most useful thing if you're playing on the hardest difficulties with a bullet because it uses like no meaningful resources. Like it, it is a much more like well-rounded out gameplay experience. Um, and I definitely, once it got deeper into the game, I mean, stuff like being able to build silencers that have like limited usage, which is oh, I love that MGS5 thing. Like you just have so many more options with how to engage with the game. Um, whereas Last of Us 1 is still really good. Um, and it's like a well, really well-honed gameplay experience, but it's relatively limited. Like encounters in Last of Us 1 only can play out a handful of ways. Whereas Last of Us 2, I had a bunch of, incredibly memorable ones um with both human and infected one of my favorite encounters was the first time they introduced the stalker infected which are real motherfuckers I hate those guys. um and it was in and, and because that's another thing about this game is that this game is um a, when it wants to be it is a really good horror game um, yeah when you are sneaking through dark buildings and hearing weird noises and those stalkers which don't show up on your listen mode and they like hide around corners are really like frightening um, and intense in that like Resident Evil kind of way. And when I first had that encounter, I had no idea what the fuck they were. And you're like in this weird building, like stumbling on these dead bodies that look like they're like fucking assassinated. And they look like the infected killed them, but not like in the like brutal, like a dog tearing up a rabbit way that the infected normally like leave bodies lying around. Um, and it was just this moment of like feeling like they were stalking me. And then I saw around the like, a little desk or whatever. I saw a little bump. I'm like, there's one of those motherfuckers. They're hiding right there. And I just had this moment where I had had, I had a lot of supplies on me at that time. Um, And so I was like, I'm just going to fucking go for it. I stood up and just threw a stun bomb at that corner, sprayed it full up, fucking beat him down with my baseball bat or whatever I had. And then everything else came running around and I chucked Molotov cocktails and blew them to pieces with the shotgun. And there was this really good, again, it felt like, playing Resident Evil or something. It had this really good, you're on, you're like so tense, so afraid of like what's going to be around the next corner and then you kind of take control of it. Um, and that, that push and pull between feeling powerless um, against the enemies and being afraid and feeling like you're going to get discovered or going to get killed. And then the flip side of feeling like you are utterly in control. Um, they are moving around to like how your design that I've killed this person here that's going to cause this person to do this and I shoot them with my arrow and so on and so forth and cause that like uh, domino effect that these really good stealth action games do. Um, I think especially once you get deeper in and some of the better encounters um, at the end of Ellie's section, like the first Seraphite encounter and then basically all the stuff in Ebby's stuff and then the Rattler section at the end, just as like raw gameplay, like I would, and I'll probably do this in the next few days because they have a encounter thing. I just kind of want to go back and replay some of those encounters yeah. and engage more with the mechanics Um because I just think it's so well done. I agree with all that. I think it's it's extremely well done. It's it's incredibly not just polished, but as you say, thoughtful in all the different ways and tools they give you that feel like they really interact and, and feel useful. Like there's definitely in that first game, there's some dead weight items and things you can craft that just you're never really realistically yeah. gonna use. And this game feels much more balanced in that sense. Like it's it's one of the best stealth games I've ever played, in part because it is fun both this is the key to good stealth games, and it's one that most Games with stealth just completely fuck this up. Yeah. Is that it is really fun, 
or really engaging, we should say, whether you're playing stealthy or when the stealth breaks and then you have to go crazy, yeah. it's great in both modes. And I think Last of Us 1 very much was too, but this one layers on that and makes it even better. Yeah, and, and one of the things that this game does is in Last of Us 1, it felt like there were three states that the game was in. It was either you were undiscovered, um, you were discovered and everything was going crazy, or um, you had been discovered and now you're hiding and there's like in a seek mode, right? And it had... And, but it felt like those three states were really clearly delineated from one another. And I think Last of Us 2 is much better at feeling like there's, there's a, a spectrum. Yeah, there's a huge spectrum. And especially the more I play the game, the more I realize that. Where in Last of Us 1, it felt like if you were, if you fired a gun, that, and that game didn't have silencers. So if you fired anything that wasn't the bow, everything went fucking buck wild immediately. And it, it just turned into a huge brawl. In Last of Us 2, like it's like obviously it would be ideal to use the bow or a silence the silence pistol, but if if I like pop someone really far away with my rifle, that's not the end of like my the stealthy playthrough of this encounter. Like you can go loud in specific ways, and the game accommodates that um in a way that feels more sophisticated than what Last of Us One did. And especially by the time I got to the rattlers, where I started using like explosive arrows and shit like that, where it was. It, I it, tore those motherfuckers yeah, apart. Yeah, like you just like it was a thing where it's like I barely used the, like they gave you that silent submachine gun. I barely used it because I barely needed to. It was just like I just felt like I was so in control. Um, and whatever I did, I could and the, or whatever they did to try to counter however I was playing, I could accommodate for it because I felt like I had achieved a certain level of mastery. Um, which like I really like the way that Naughty Dog's games have played since Uncharted Two. Um, but this feels more like. And I've seen this from some people who don't like the way the Naughty Dog games are designed because they are designed with a more limited sort of play scope. Um, I've seen definitely lots of people who um, didn't like old Naughty Dog games but have like really gone on for the gameplay for two. Um, and I think it it's for a good reason. Yeah, I you know I I don't know if I would go so far as to say it's it's the the best. It it's this is weird because I do think in a in moment to moment it is the best playing Naughty Dog game in everything you're describing and that amount of like fluidity and there feels like there's very little friction between you and the game and it's it's extremely engaging. I do think there's some pacing things that interact with that that bother me because sure. I do yeah. think the Last of Us combat system is still, with all of that said, is still pretty repetitive. The amount of scavenging you have to do, like I really enjoy the act of scavenging in games. It's one of my favorite things. In like, like when I go around scanning in Metroid Prime or walk around collecting things in Resident Evil Two or anything like that. Like those are some of my favorite parts. And I think there's way too much of it in this game. Yeah, I think there are too many combat encounters. It's the opposite problem I had with Uncharted Four. I just think there's a little too much of it, and it gets fatiguing in points. It it gets more fatiguing in the first half than it does in the second because yeah. the second is so good. But it does get a little fatiguing to me. And there is something about like. Uncharted 4 has a less sort of groundbreaking dynamic gameplay system, but I find that, and especially the Lost Legacy, so ludicrously well-paced that, like, I don't ever have that kind of fatigue. Like, I do think Uncharted, Last of Us 1, Uncharted 4, then Last of Us Part 2 have kind of proven to me that I think there is an upper limit of how long a Naughty Dog, yeah. style, Naughty Dog style game can be, and I think it's that Last of Us 1, Uncharted 4 length is, to me, kind of the upper boundary, maybe up to 20 hours, yeah. but... I like, I because honestly, I would say, because yes, I think... The game has, in terms of like the feel of the gameplay, it has a big picture structural problem, which is that pacing in the yeah. section, which Uncharted, The Lost Legacy, or like Uncharted 2 probably have like the tightest pacing. Like, and if, and if you're looking at that like play from beginning to end, like smoothest, most well paced gameplay experience, that would probably be The Lost Legacy. Um, but I feel like 
part two, Last of Us Part Two and Uncharted Four have some fairly similar pacing issues, like in slightly different ways. That I think like Uncharted Four also is like there's way there's at a certain point there's too much climbing around um, and doing that stuff. There's not enough combat that breaks um, that stuff up, and so it's like I think it has some of those same big picture pacing issues that playing Last of Us Part Two reminded me of. Yeah, like Uncharted Four, I love that game, but it has some of these same problems as well. And see, the thing is. I inherently think of Uncharted as a game with a little more variety to it. I mean, it has the puzzles and it has more active platforming sections and things like that. So, I Uncharted 4, I kind of... I remember, you know, one of your complaints was maybe not enough combat. And yeah. and I kind of agree with that. But overall, I really like the pace of that. Because I just inherently like the climbing stuff, I think, Yeah, the climbing stuff I, I'm fine with. But it's like... But it's... It's, it's a very thin... If it can be called a gameplay system, it is a very thin gameplay system. Right? Sure, but, I, but I've just always... I, yeah. I just like that stuff, and I always go for it, and I enjoy it. And there's something about, like, Last of Us is more limited but focused, and obviously the systems it has, it fleshes out a little bit more because there's fewer of them. It, it does not have big, like, climate of building sections. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, 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 I've always probably liked Uncharted a little more than, than you do, for instance, just because it's a little more my thing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. It's, yeah, this, guess, is, this is a matter of degrees, is what we're talking about here. Yeah, and the, I think for me, what I'm really saying about it being the best gameplay is, um, if they released paid DLC that was had no narrative but was just here's like Metal Gear Solid Five Ground Zero style. Here's just yeah. like a couple of like large bespoke encounters. I would buy the fuck out of it. Like I, I would, too, I would, would want them to make it and well, put like good challenges and like you have to get you know complete the encounter in this much time and you get a gold medal or whatever like i would fucking love that kind of dlc i would too and frankly and maybe this can help us start to wrap up this yeah. conversation um i would love a a, ga- a last of us style game that had a less serious and and um i i don't taxing. know a taxing story yeah. that just did more of this gameplay stuff and didn't have what i think is a real tension in the game that as much as I agree with everything you're saying about how good the gameplay is, there's a lot of it where I'm like, but it doesn't fully fit with me with what the game is doing thematically and all that, blah, blah, blah. And I wish there was a, a Last of Us style game that was a little, like, more in a Metal Gear kind of kind of realm or a Resident yeah. Evil realm where it was just a little more ridiculous. And, and so you could just enjoy the gameplay a little more unencumbered. I would really like that. Like, I yeah, don't really too. want a Last of Us Part 3, but if they did a... Last of Us Rebels or something. I don't know what they would call it. Yeah, or um, just like... I mean, do the thing that they did with Last of Us Part Two, where like they... So much of what they did with this game is built off of stuff they made for Uncharted 4 and Lost Legacy. Like the wider yeah. open areas, um, the rope physics, uh, yeah. like like the big grass and all that, which was all in Uncharted 4. Um, and, and yeah, like it doesn't necessarily need to be a Last of Us game to have a lot of the gameplay mechanics of Last of Us. Um, if they did something that was new, because that is what I would want. Like, I maybe uh, maybe like at the end of the PS5 generation, maybe you could make a Last of Us Part Three, just because I think it would be f- fun to do this thing where it's like we every PlayStation console from now on just ends with a Last of Us game that seems like how the fuck does this game even exist on this console? Because it it gives a really good comparison point for how far generations grow. Um, and yeah. there's something kind of I like that about both Last of Us games have come out in the last year of their respective console. Um, but it's certainly not what I would want from the next Naughty Dog game. And I would like for them to do something new, like a new setting, maybe like a new genre, but build off of what they learned in this game because I think they like have really refined and expanded their tool set for designing gameplay uh, in this game that is phenomenal to me. 
Yeah, I want a new IP that is finally the merging of Uncharted and Last of Us somehow and bring a lot of the best pieces of both of those together. In the bank, um, you f- if you open up one of the fucking like boxes, you get like Nathan's ring is in there. Nathan Drake's ring, like the sick Parva Magnus or whatever it is. And it's like a little achievement. The further confirming that, that Uncharted and Last of Us exist in the same universe, except for I think that's probably not possible because I think Uncharted 4 is set after the Outbreak Day. Um, but that, like, that's what they should do is just, it's this tale of the outbreak from Nathan Drake's perspective. That's what Uncharted 5 is. Um. Oh, God, that would be so sad. Yeah, please don't Does he lose his daughter in the first scene? Yes. Yeah, oh my God. It it would be the worst fucking game ever. Like, it's it's a funny idea, but please do not actually make that. Uncharted 5 starts the moment Uncharted 4 ends with them all on the beach together, and then a a cordyceps thing just runs out of the water at them. Yeah, it it would be basically the fucking uh, undead nightmare for DLC for Red Dead Redemption, but not played tongue-in-cheek. Yes. Where, like, you know, his family gets fucking infected at the beginning of that DLC. It's like, you like Nathan Drake having to fucking kill an infected Elena. Oh, oh my god. god. No, but what I but what I really mean is I would love to see something with maybe some of the expanded gameplay chops of The Last of Us with more of the lightness of touch of Uncharted. Yeah, the highfalutin adventure kind of Highf- feel. Highfalutin adventure, but also maybe less of a sense of self-seriousness and like, we're going to bash these themes into your head with a goddamn brick. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like that. Because I, you know, I said all this, I think Uncharted 4 is is every bit as thematically interesting and smart a game. I think it just does it with a lighter touch. Sure, yeah. And, and I think it's, you know, every bit as well written. And I like it more as a game, just overall, t- to be fair. But like, yeah, um, I would like to see something like that. I mean, I definitely don't feel like right now I need or want a Last of Us 3. I would very much like a new IP from Naughty Dog yeah. next. Um, do you feel like you would want a, 90, a Last of Us three at some point, or if there's, do you think there's like, room for I'm, it? I think it would. I think there is room to make it again. I think you'd have to like with the, like Last of Us Part two. I think you'd have to like seven or eight years down the line, maybe. Yeah. Because um, I would be interested. Like I would be way more interested in seeing what's up with Abby and Lev. And like I said, it would be cool to go to other places in the world because we've only ever seen America. And I would yeah. be. I think there's stuff to do with last of us and and like i think it would be interesting to pick up ellie way in the future and see and i don't necessarily need to play as ellie anymore but i would be curious to see i think there's unlike joel at the end of last of Us one i think there's certainly more stuff you could do with ellie as a supporting yeah. character but not as a protagonist um i think there's that room um but i think you'd have to wait a long time to do it um it's certainly yeah. not the next thing i'd want from naughty dog and it couldn't go this dark again <laughs> I no, don't think. Yeah. I don't think I think this would have to be. Well, I think like if if because if they did another one and it was set further in the future, it would like by necessity I think have to start pushing on envisioning something new in the world and and trying to build something new that is not held down by everything else because every because all the old world is like it's like a lot of Last of Us Part Two feels like the old world than like the grasp it had on the lives that these new people are leading. Um is bur- is burning like it has yes. destroyed itself um and destroyed everything around it and scarred the people left there but i think there's like a chance for someone like lev to create a new future like that's what i would want i want them to go to another continent and just find out there was no virus there and they're totally fine and everyone's just like yeah it's just weird I, we keep on like calling my my like stepbrother was in america i keep on calling he just hasn't picked it up in 
25 years. It's just weird. Or or it's just, it's like an extension of what we're dealing with in the world right now. We find out the Cordyceps virus happened under Trump. The world was already, <laughs> the world was already fed up with us. They just cut <laughs> off all travel, left America alone, and went off with, went on with their fucking lives and just didn't help America because we were such massive assholes. Yeah, it, it's, it turns out Last of Us was just a, a elaborate um, way ahead of its time for the first game, but piece of uh, extended dark political satire. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh my, my God. God. Uh, do you think this game is better than the first game? That's a hard question. Um, I don't. Yes and no. Um, I think there's some things Last of Us 2 is better about. Like, Last of Us 1 is way tighter, um, and I kind of lean in that direction. But there's something about the messiness of Last of Us 2 that I'm drawn to. Um, but, uh, like, yeah. having finished the game, like, two or three days ago, I don't feel... I don't feel like I have a strong yes or no answer. I would yeah. say that Last of Us 1 and 2 are my two favorite Naughty Dog games. Um, I think it'd be like those two. And, and I think like it's kind of, maybe I put those as, as a tie and put Uncharted 4 and Lost Legacy as a tie as like the second best. Yeah, I I would definitely put the first one above this one. I While acknowledging like the, all those gameplay improvements are huge, I, I agree like the going prone stuff is so cool. It's so cool to see some of that Metal Gear Solid 5 stuff unshackled from a mostly shitty game and put <laughs> in a really good game. Yeah. It's great. Um, you know, overall I do like this less than some of the, the better Uncharted games, but also just Uncharted is like, we've talked about before, is like the game made for Jonathan Lack. Exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, I tried for so long before you played those games to be like, Jonathan, I'm pretty sure you'd like these a lot. I like them a lot. Yeah, and you yeah. you were the one that owned the PS3 that I played them on, and you it was weird. I, <laughs> you still didn't play them. It was weird. I hadn't played them. I don't. I didn't play them until the PS4. I think. No, I, yeah, it no. was the Nathan Drake collection. I've only seen those games in 60 FPS. Yep. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So, but you know, I I, I do want to stress as many like little like lingering issues I have with the game and things I don't feel fully resolved on. I do think like it it reaches higher. It makes me feel more than most games. Ever and in recent years, you know, like like uh, Red Dead Redemption Two is actually a good comparison yeah. point. I I probably like Red Dead Two more as a game overall. I think but, I probably do also. Yeah, but and some of that is I feel like it it I think it approaches mm-hmm. similarly heavy themes with more tonal variance yeah. and allowance for real grace and like Red Dead Two also like I think one of the things that like hurts Last of Us Two a little bit in comparing it to Last of Us One is that. It's that it's it is not a huge departure from the first game the way that Red Dead Two is a huge yes. departure from Red Dead One. So like Red Dead Two really surprised me consistently that it was like doing what it was doing. Well, and it was I felt mean, like, as a Rockstar game. Yes, fucking even just Red Dead One. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing is that Red Dead Two felt like an entire company like maturing in ways we didn't expect, and this is Naughty Dog. Like this is recognizably the company. Yeah, that this made. is an expansion of. Everything that the first game did, improving in ways and maybe not um, improving in others in terms of pacing and stuff. Yeah. But it's like, it certainly doesn't leave as like holistically massive an impact on me the way The Last of Us 1 did. Just because that game yeah. fucking felt like it kind of, I mean, it didn't come out of nowhere. But it, it, it was not, it surprised me consistently in the ways that Red Dead 2 surprised me. 100%. And yeah, so... You know, I think this is still this is going to place probably very highly on my top ten of this year. I can't imagine it's the best new game I've played this year, but it is this um, Doom Eternal and Dragon Ball Z Kakarot. <laughs> it's, those are the three new games released yeah. in the year twenty twenty. I played. So. I, I have played a few more, and this would be. I definitely like this more than like Doom Eternal or or um, some of the other games I've played. But but yeah, Ori and the Will of the Wisps would still be my number one easily. And yeah, I, I, I think it's probably that, but... a dead heat tie between this and Dragon Ball Z Kakarot okay. for. 
you know, I mean, I, it definitely made me emotional, um, all of Ellie's journey at the end, but it also made me emotional when Vegeta said, you're number one Kakarot at the end of Dragon Balls with Kakarot. So. I mean, the part where, where Goku goes home and tries to play the taiko drum, but he doesn't have a left hand anymore <laughs> yeah. and he can't hold the stick, it's really sad. No, it's, well, no, that wasn't Goku, it was Gohan. Like, Gohan's, <laughs> like, you know, journey for revenge against Cell, um, it really, like, left him scarred at the end. I can't wait for Dragon Ball Z Kakarot 2, where Goku is alive again, and, and one of the villains from the past comes in and, and just beats Goku to death with a golf yeah. club somehow and then Gohan goes on a, a revenge quest which in the Dragon Ball world would mean destroying planets not, yes. not people yeah and that's that's where you know when Cell says he can destroy the whole solar system with his Kamehameha he actually does it yeah, yeah it's gonna be big what the fuck are you talking about 